The Dreamer Sleeps Without Dreaming Part 1, by Jonathan Harnish Everything is more complicated than you think. You only see a tenth of what is true. There are a million little strings attached to every choice you make. You can destroy your life every time you choose, but maybe you won't know for 30 years, and you may never ever trace it to its source, and you only get one chance to play it out. Just try and figure out your own divorce. And they say there is no fate, but there is, it's what you create. And even though the world goes on for eons and eons, you are only here for a fraction of a fraction of a second. Most of your time is spent being dead or not yet born. But while alive, you wait in vain, wasting years, for a phone call or a letter or a look from someone or something to make it all right. And it never comes, or it seems to, but it doesn't really. And so you spend your time in vague regret or vague hope that something good will come along. Something to make you feel connected. Something to make you feel whole. Something to make you feel loved. And the truth is I feel so angry. And the truth is I feel so sad. And the truth is I've felt so hurt for so long and for just as long I've been pretending I'm okay, just to get along, just for, I don't know why, maybe because no one wants to hear about my misery, because they have their own, noted severely self-loathing and seriously mentally ill author Jonathan Harnish loses his mind once again through the written word offering his 15th literary disaster, the experience of reading this novel, The Dreamer Sleeps Without Dreaming, is similar in its nature to an eerie sensation of savoir faire as one observes a bug having a bowel movement, for those who've adored Harnish's epic novels, from pastiche to his other 14 literary works, this example of anti-art deserves nothing short of scathing criticism, The Dreamer Sleeps Without Dreaming well, Fuck everybody, a man lover in the nobody proligory, Georgie's big break mister, Gus the secretary is standing over him, she waves her pencil in his face, mister, Gus to Georgie looks up, he smiles at her, that's what people do, right, they smile, she jerks the pencil toward a heavy widow, the doctor's ready for you now, she says, then she walks back over to her desk, a tight little ass traveling smoothly in a clinging grey skirt, she props her yellow pumps up on the desk as she watches him, she grimaces and pulls out an nail file, Georgie shuffles slowly over to the door, trying to keep his feet from lifting off the floor, he leans over to open the door with his elbows, wanting to avoid the static shock he can feel rising in the roots of his hair, the electric charge between his leg hair and his white, commercial grade psych ward pants, then he realizes that sane people don't open doors with their elbows, sane people just get shocked. Georgie takes the shock with a snort and pushes the dark door open, before him is Dr. Abrams, a middle-aged man with salt and pepper hair, good afternoon, Georgie, Dr. Abrams says, good afternoon, Doc, Dr. Abrams, Georgie replies, Georgie raises his left foot and his right knee quivers, it's trying to hop, or something, he looks at the man seated behind the polished mahogany desk, with a silent growl, Georgie places his left foot on the floor, in front of the right, he sinks into the small, leather chair, and smirks, while he says, daring the doctor say he is not cured, cured, huh, well, Georgie, how are you feeling today Dr. Abrams smirks right back, great, fantastic, I think I could walk right out of here today, he stresses the word walk, the doc grins, well, there are good days and there are bad days, Georgie, Georgie can see this as Dr. Abrams game, and he is not going to play it, I got a lot of good days ahead of me, doc, and I don't want to spend them in a nuthouse, Dr. Abrams sighs, Georgie, you committed yourself, six months ago, you knew that you had a problem, now you've regressed you are in denial, Georgie, Trust me, and the other physicians, you have a long way to go yet, Georgie, a long way, A.G. great point, Dr. Abrams, Georgie says, he curses himself for letting the stutter slip, on today of all days, but Georgie perseveres, a great point that I committed myself, if I committed myself, I can uncommit myself, Dr. Abrams shakes his head sadly, this is me, uncommitting myself, Georgie insists, look I'm better, I walked in here without a hop, I haven't said a word about the voices but do you know what, they are gone, totally gone, and the Tourette's, well, I'm stuck with that forever, but that's hardly a committable offense Dr. Abrams cuts him off, Georgie, to tell you the truth, your therapist gave me a call this morning, Dr. Svee, is it you, I looked you up your family and you are a high ticket in here, what do you mean Georgie's first hint of fear is a tick in his right cheek, not today, Georgie commands himself, I'd like to keep you in here, Dr. Abrams concludes, Georgie shrugs, 
playing it cool, I'm out of here, I will walk right out of here, against medical advice Dr. Abrams rolls his eyes to the ceiling, he presses his fingertips together, it is all an act, Georgie knows, all Dr. Abrams needs is to know that Georgie is not bouncing off the walls, shredding his precious books or ripping the leather from the chairs, as long as Georgie doesn't do that, he can do whatever he wants, except leave, if they only knew what trouble their money was going to bring, Georgie thinks wretchedly, my parents would have thought twice, then he laughs, no they wouldn't have, Georgie, Mr. Abrams continues, Georgie, you tried to kill yourself, for your personal safety, we have to keep you here until we are sure that you won't try to do it again that smirk again, Georgie stares silently, not saying a word, he wants to stand, to shake Dr. Abrams until his tonsils fall out on the floor, to throw him out the window and use the body as a cushion, then steal his car, Georgie wonders if Abrams keeps his keys in his jacket pocket or somewhere in his desk, no, stop it, Georgie thinks, saying people don't think about that, isn't that right, Dr. C, I've always wondered, Dr. Abrams sighs again, okay, that's fine, you'll still have to wait for us to get your paperwork together, Georgie's eyes light up, then he sees, something, in the duck's face, how long will that take he asks, as long, Dr. Abrams' voice trails off, a funny glint coming into his eyes, as long as it takes, he concludes, Georgie is screaming, but there is no sound, Georgie just takes a stand, Claudia, that bitch, whore, that woman I love and hate, is Claudia, she created a paradise and set it aflame, she is my world and its end, my kinky sex goddess, my creepy peepee nemesis, remember her, in all her glory, sleeping soundly under a teal colored dream catcher, in a red and white for poster, tangled in a cliff top tree, she never stood a chance, I never stood a chance, we love and hate no matter whose face she's wearing, whose heart she's tearing, I want to see her in those slingbacks, her pervy, cotton candy blue toes peeking out to play, but I won't, not this time, Georgie just loops and ties a thick piece of rope into a noose, not this time, not this time, not this time for Georgie, everything comes in threes, his stutters, his mutters, his women, his crazy step, step, hop, everything, this time is different, this time, I control my own destiny, this time, I end it all before bastards have a chance to end it for me, he tosses the ropes looped end over the supporting beam in his old world style country living room, then steps onto a chair and ties it tight, he cringes slightly, and lowers the loop over his head and tightens it around his neck, come on, Georgie, you can do it, he steps off the chair and kicks it away, he swings, the rope burns his throat, he gurgles, trying to cough, his hands scrabble at his neck, his feet kick wildly, wanting to stand, not this time, Georgie just gasps, and a small trickle of air cools his throat, it is not enough, not this time, lightning bugs, fireworks burst behind his eyeballs his whole body trembles and tingles and yells at him he tries to scream, his heartbeat drums in his ears, pounding and pulsing with the blood in his eyeballs, thud, 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 Georgie moans as the world goes black in his eyes, thud, 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 Proof you can go home again the black sedan pulls up to the curb outside of George Egist's old style country home. The driver, Ben, Ben, jumps out and runs to open the back door. Georgie pulls himself up out of the back seat. I thought Georgie was dead. Ben, well he isn't he's not. Dr. C you know those creepy crawly walking corpses those dead but not quite dead people. Like zombies, Ben? Sure, sure. Like zombies, Dr. C if that's what helps you sleep at night. Whatever you say, Ben, it's your story. Now, Ben is at the trunk, pulling suitcases up and onto the sidewalk. Georgie pauses for a minute, looks at him, then shrugs and walks up to his front door. His face is calm, peaceful, not a tick in sight. A brand new man, he thinks, his hand on the doorknob. Everything starts over now. Thud, thud, thud. A week later, a knock sounds on Georgie's front door. He opens the door. It is Margaret. Though surprised, he acts normal. I didn't call, he says. I know, Margaret says. Her perfect brown curls flood over her creamy skin. I just wanted to see how things were going. Of course, he says. Ah, come in. No, would you like to sit on the porch? She nods. Drink, she nods. Water. When Georgie comes out to the porch, she is sitting comfortably on his dusty, handmade wicker chair. 
have you been she begins, I know it's only been a week, but, oh, great, Georgie says, he nods a little too enthusiastically, really, I'm like a new person, he smiles, his face a comfortable mask, I'm so glad to hear that, she gushes, I had a really, really great time on the trip, you know, I can't believe it already it's like a dream, we met the Dalai Lama, and trekked over the mountains, do you remember that guy, with the chicken she sighs, it was an amazing trip, yeah, amazing, Georgie nods, the Dalai Lama, his spirit is so beautiful, just being around him, everything felt, easier, or something, Margaret shines, I'm so glad, Georgie, I just, you know when I found you, that day, when you were trying to, she dribbles off at his blank stare, well, I'm just so glad I found you, just think, you couldn't have met the Dalai Lama if you were, well, she shakes her head rapidly, yeah, I know, he smirks, life's great, yeah, thank you, for thinking of me when your therapist recommended the trip, Georgie shrugs, doctor, she thought I should ask you, he doesn't say, because you're the only person I know who actually seems to give a crap, Margaret looks at him from the corner of her eye, she inhales, then pauses, she opens her mouth, Georgie, she asks softly, why did you do it, you need a reason in this shithole world, I don't know, I, he can't tell her about Claudia, Claudia has not happened yet, he fixes on a memory, it was hard to grow up with Tourette's, he says quickly, and my parents were shitty, I mean, well, even now I don't ever see them, they weren't around when I was a kid, either, all I had was this nanny, he pauses, Margaret glows at him, so proud of herself for having gotten him to open up, you think you can fix this, why not, Ben, are you unfixable, whatever Georgie stifles an overwhelming urge to laugh, he coughs instead, go on, Margaret whispers, so this nanny, she was horrible, bad in every way, like, she used to pinch me and uh, grab at me and stuff, you know, inappropriately Margaret leans back and inhales through her teeth, that's horrible she says, yeah, they had to do surgeries and stuff, to uh, make me normal looking, Margaret looks at him inquisitively, not getting it, she used to hold me in the air, by my dick, nothing but, he trails off at her fierce blush, one day, Georgie is going to learn when to speak and when to shut the hell up, but today is not that day, so, I don't know, Dr. C says I'm all messed up about that, Georgie concludes lamely, Margaret shifts in her seat, Georgie suddenly notices her toes, which she painted jungle red for the trip to Tibet, the edges are chipped now, worn out from weeks of sandals and dirt roads, from chlorinated water and unadulterated sunlight, well, I think you're so, so much better now, she smiles warmly, then she leans over and hugs him awkwardly, since they are sitting in separate chairs, his brain whirs at her smell, then she stands, thank you so much for having me over, Georgie, and thanks for the trip it was amazing, she smiles down on him, the bright afternoon sunshine glows at the tips of her hair, making her face a black mask, I'm so glad that you're doing well, with that, she leaves, shortly thereafter, Georgie leaves too, Georgie might or might not be all better, he thinks to himself, maybe I am, and maybe I'm not, and either way, he doesn't seem to care much, that is the best indication of Georgie's sanity, sane people do not go around wondering whether or not they are crazy, they just know they have nothing to worry about, lucky bastards, Georgie wanders through the kitchen, making himself a bowl of cereal, but crazy people, Georgie thinks, crazy people are exactly the same way, there is only that brief transition period, somewhere between sane and insane, where a person is truly able to fear that their mind has gone, Georgie sits down in his dark living room for a moment, then glances at the window blinds, fortunately brief, Georgie resists the urge to descend into a catatonic stare, but he doesn't ask himself why, instead, he stands and decides to eat his cereal on the porch, healthy people spend lots of time outside, in the light, in the morning, Georgie shuffles slowly into the kitchen, the coffee machine is just burbling out the last ounce of coffee the timer reflects 10am Georgie glances at the refrigerator, and his magnetized eraser board it reads, to-do list, beneath the line, the board is blank, Georgie pulls a clean mug from the cupboard and hijacks a cup of coffee, he moves over to the back door, admiring his beautifully landscaped backyard, he deeply breathes in the aromatic coffee, then he walks back through the kitchen, towards the front door, from the corner of his eye, Georgie sees that the light on his answering machine is blinking red, he stops, takes a slow sip of coffee, and presses the play button, hi Georgie, Margaret's voice echoes from the machine, it's Margaret, I was just thinking about what we talked about, yesterday, remember, anyway, this morning when I woke up, it occurred to me, well, I thought it would be a good idea for you to maybe, maybe find your old nanny, 
You know Georgie frowns as he stares at the machine, and you could confront her about everything she did to you and, maybe get some closure or something? I don't know, talk it over with your therapist maybe, but it came into my head like lightning Georgie's finger plunges toward the answering machine, message deleted, the machine chimes, you have no new messages, Claudia moves and Georgie moves out the front door, his coffee in hand. He pulls the mail from the mailbox and sits on the porch. He takes a sip and then sets the coffee mug down. The woman's voice tickles his ear. Come here, little boy, come here. Georgie turns. The woman who stares at him is in her forties, with wild frizzy red hair. Hi, Georgie says. Hi, neighbor, I'm Claudia. I know we haven't met yet, but, well, I just moved in. Yeah, I hadn't realized. Georgie is entranced by her gaze. Then he looks down, her bare feet, her big pale feet. Her perfect, long, little toes, her adolescent pink nail polish, partially chipped off. She intoxicates him. Well, it's nice to meet you, Claudia says. He looks up at her, dizzy. Yeah, I'm Georgie, I'll see you later, Georgie, she says. Later that week, Georgie goes to the grocery store. Now that he has met the Dalai Lama, now that he is a new man, he goes to the store once a week, or so he says. When he turns the corner, there she is, Margaret. Georgie she calls, there is no escaping. He glides toward her, Georgie, she says again, how have you been great? Just great, he says. Did you get my message? Margaret asks. The one, about your nanny Georgie shifts uneasily. Yeah, yeah, he says. What do you think? Did you try to find her? Number? Well, I'm gonna, you know, but it's not easy. I was going to do it to tomorrow. Margaret beams. Oh, that's so wonderful, Georgie. I'm so glad. He nods, looking around him carefully. He fixates on a can of creamed corn. I just know it will help Georgie. I just know it. Margaret gushes. Why, yeah. Me, too. Georgie says unconvincingly. Well, up, uh, gotta go. He gestures to the end of the aisle, then gallops toward it. He almost forgets to check out, and is reminded by the alarm that sounds when he strides toward the door. Damn it, Georgie mutters. He turns around and hurls his basket high in the air. Sorry, sorry he announces, showing everyone that he is not a thief. Somewhere, Margaret is watching him. Somewhere, Margaret has seen this happenstance occurrence of sharp lifting. Somewhere, Margaret knows exactly how not fine Georgie really is. Georgie sighs and stands in line with the rest of his fellow shoppers. Later that day, Georgie walks up to his old-style country home, bags of groceries slung from his fists. On his front porch is an unexpected note. Georgie Porgie, having not seen you in some time, my affection toward you has cooled to mere fondness. I'm becoming indifferent. I don't want that. We've been separated from each other far too often, though you live right next door. I want to see you again, Georgie, tonight. XXX Claudia affection? What is this woman talking about? Georgie wonders if they have met before, maybe in another lifetime he can't remember, maybe last week at a bar, but he can't think, can't think. Georgie's mind is stuck on repeat, his balls scream for release, Claudia is a bombshell. That night, Georgie abandons his bright new self and rushes over to Claudia's. It's there, that the two are surrounded by vanilla-scented candlelight. Lust always wins over self-enlightenment. That's why we are at once so prolific and so infinitely ridiculous. Georgie wears a light blue dress shirt with a loose tie and ripped denims. Claudia is completely naked. I can't believe you've never given a girl a pedicure, she purrs. Believe it, I'm a virgin, Claudia, Georgie is solemn. She sits in the candlelit bathroom, her plump cushion perched on her toilet bowl. Georgie holds her foot in his lap. He is in agony, and enjoying every minute of it. Are we being sensual? Good god damn. You bet we are. Claudia hands over a bright red container of tiger balm. Georgie massages her feet with his eyes closed. Um, that's so relaxing. It tingles. It's warm, she moans. He removes her old pink nail polish with store brand nail polish remover. Well aren't you the quick learner Claudia smiles. Georgie fills a small footbath with a vanilla scented soak. In five minutes, Claudia is asleep. He carefully removes her beautiful, clean, pasted white feet from the warm water and pats them dry. He creases the palms of his hands with a hefty dose of rose-scented heel balm. Then he massages her feet from the toes down to her heels. Her feet twitch a little, she shivers. By the time Georgie finishes, Claudia's feet are caught in soft, 
He kisses them, hoping she will not wake up. A sad smile passes across her face. Is she dreaming? She is heavenly and peaceful. He can't stop staring. Her eyes flash open. Well done, well done, mister. She smiles. How do you know so much about pedicures? If you've never done one before Georgie blushes. Well, I've seen. I've watched how they're done. At the Sar Salon. Good boy, Claudia says. Georgie buffs her toenails furiously, starting to have a little fun. What color would you like? He asks. What do you think? What would look good on me? Claudia looks him up and down meaningfully. What would you choose? Say, if you could have my toes. Georgie's groin stick straightens up as though by command. Prickham leaks into his denim crotch. He touches it for a second, a nanosecond. What are you doing? She busts him. She laughs. Nothing. Georgie pouts. She pouts right back at him, raising her eyebrows. He flinches away from her all too knowing gaze. He carefully paints her nails, separating her toes with cotton balls. He colors them with two coats of hooker blue. He paints them rapidly, sweating and breathing heavily. When he is finished, he stands and swivels to the doorway. He has to get out of there, back across the yard to his own peaceful sanctuary, that sterile environment where his cum is safe to slurge. He will splash it into the bathtub and wash it down with a shower, safe, safe to fertilize the fishes and alligators and rats of the sewer. Neighbor, wait Claudia calls. I gotta go, sorry, but now I'm too late for the party, she exclaims. Georgie stops in his tracks. I want to congratulate you on what a great job you did on my pedicure, and on such short notice, too. He smiles, horny as all hell. Now it's your turn, Georgie's face gets that dreamy look. Sit down, she commands. Georgie seats himself on the toilet. She sits herself on the floor, perfectly naked. The mouth under her pink panties smiles up at him coyly from the cold, white, sterile linoleum. He wants to smell it. Take off your clothes, she commands. Georgie attempts to undress slowly, but misses the mark completely. When he sits again, his boner stands at attention. Claudia TSKS playfully. This has become your night. After all, she teases. I need to thank you for the great job you've done, neighbor. She stresses the word job. Ah, well, thank you, Georgie says awkwardly. You like feet, she asks respectfully. Before Georgie can respond, her freshly pedicured feet creep up his thigh and begin to gently rub his balls and shaft. Georgie is queasy, sick, dizzy, in heaven, in agony. He can see right into her crotch. Her shaved pussy drips wet on the tile. Her vagina looks so lonely. Within a minute, he can't take it any longer. He cries out in a strange squeal that makes her flinch slightly. Claudia, you've got to make me come, Georgie demands. Fast, please, please. Her feet begin to stroke his erect cock up and down. It is tall, proud, rising toward his face. All his boiling love sap about to explode. Do you want to come in my mouth? Claudia asks. On your feet, just like that. Don't stop, don't stop. He begs, are you close and before he can answer, his white nut cascades over her toes. Georgie wakes up on the cold tile of her bathroom floor early that morning. Claudia is sleeping, leaned up against the bathtub, her jaw slack. The light slanting in through the doorway shows every line of her face. She is old, but fertile. Her hair glows like flame. Claudia represents flashes of the future, a world on fire. Georgie, seeking his lifelong orgasm, knows that she is trouble, but that's just what he needs a world on fire. Forget the Dalai Lama, that happy, self-sufficient self that Georgie has always known he could be. Fuck that shit. He just wants Claudia, and all the joy he'd love torture sex she promises. Georgie leaves her place early, while she is still sleeping. In his kitchen, he glances at the refrigerator door. The magnetized board still reads to-do list, and nothing else. He doesn't hear from her at all that day, or the following week. He doesn't hear from her, but he sees her, watches her, more like it. The side of the house that faces hers he lives on that side of the house now. Every movement from her yard sends him running for a window, he can't help himself. That wild hair, those purple circled eyes, that feral laugh, those toes. He can't see her toes without using binoculars, so he keeps the binoculars right on the windowsill. He is sick, he has a problem you're telling me, shit. Georgie hardly ever leaves his cage of paradise to enter the real world. Even though he feels pretty damn good lately, even though he is a new man yet, yeah, right? Who does he think he's kidding? But sooner or later, he has to eat. Georgie shuffles through the kitchen, cluttered with dirty dishes. He lifts his favorite mug, sniffs it. Not too bad, he thinks. A little scrungy around the edges. The coffee machine timer reads 2 p.m. Fuck the school man, he commands himself, just drink the shit. Georgie pours the coffee into his mug and wrinkles his nose. He stands and stares at the refrigerator door, the eraser board, 
His hand twitches. Georgie pushes his cart through the grocery store. Every third step he takes a small hop. Just a small one. He turns the corner, and there she is again. He would turn and escape, but he can't. Instead, his cart slams right into hers. They are tangled now, a mess of intertwining wires. Georgie, she says. He nods. Once. Twice. Three times. Georgie, she says again. How are you, J. Great? J. Just great. She looks at him from the corner of her eye and backs away a little. You sure? Georgie, she whispers. He coughs. Straightens up. Yes, he says. Of course. Did you get in touch with your nani yet? Huh? Yeah. Well, I'm still tracking her down. I'll let you know. Georgie looks down at his feet, at the shelves, at anything. Margaret wrinkles at row. Yeah, I guess that would be hard. Yeah, she waits, but he will not speak. Well, uh, I guess I'll catch you later. Right, she says finally. Yeah, yeah, good to see you. Yeah, Georgie shuffles into his kitchen and drops a single, lightweight grocery bag on the counter. He stares at the refrigerator, at the eraser board, at the to-do list, which has got cigarettes scrawled on it in thick pen. He lifts the pen and checks cigarettes off the list. Georgie sits on the front porch, a lit cigarette dangling from his lips. Healthy people spend time outside, he thinks to himself. He inhales smoke deep, deep into his lungs. He feels the reassurance of the thick black stuff spread from his lungs outward. He smiles, calmed. Georgie is a bundle of purpose, a self-made man. Self-assuredly, he steps from task to task throughout the day. By the end of each day, he is exhausted, and pleased with his progress. Oh, yes. Georgie is a man of energy, a man whose drive to succeed, to excel, is surpassed by only a few of his fellow humans alive at this time. Really, it's a sunny day outside, but every blind is turned down inside Georgie's home. It feels like a single, dark shadow. As he wanders through each gloomy room, he eventually stops in one. He looks down at his answering machine. The light is flashing. When did the phone ring? Georgie wonders. Why didn't I hear it? He presses the play button. Hey Georgie. A familiar voice echoes. It's your mode. Georgie's finger jams down hard on the delete button. Message deleted. The machine informs him coldly. You ungrateful bastard. His mother's voice echoes. You have no new messages. The machine chimes. Georgie takes a cigarette out of his pack and puts it in his mouth. He doesn't light it. The cigarette dangles loosely from his lips as he walks over to the constantly heated coffee pot. Still half full of old coffee. He fills a dirty coffee mug and takes a sip at his so out it burns his tongue. Georgie drops the mug on the kitchen floor. Coffee spills everywhere as the mug shatters chaotically into countless pieces. Georgie just observes the spilled coffee and walks to the bathroom. On the can, Georgie looks at the silver toilet paper dispenser. The roll is empty, his bleary, worn-out face is also blank, empty. He steps in the shower, talking to himself. The soap drops, thudding as it strikes the porcelain tub. Georgie bends, he slips and falls. Goddamn, he moans. What a way to start the day, eh? Georgie tries to start anew in the kitchen. He lines up ten espresso cups on the counter, each filled with black liquid tar. He pours sugar shaker into each cup, running back and forth across the line-up. An unlit cigarette dangling from his lips, Georgie pours each cup into a large thermos. He walks out of the kitchen, stepping right into the spilled coffee and porcelain shards. Coffee splashes up over his feet, but Georgie doesn't notice. He walks into the living room, carrying the thermos. It doesn't look quite comfortable enough, so he opts to try the porch. But something doesn't feel right about the porch, either. Sipping from his thermos, burning his tongue with espresso, Georgie stumbles through the house to his bedroom. He collapses onto the blankets, groaning as his legs and back relax into the mattress. He props a pillow under his head and sips, sips, sips away at his black liquid tar. After downing half the thermos, Georgie steps into the bathroom. He turns on the hot water in the shower and just lets it run. Steam fills the air and moistens his lungs. Georgie needs something to satisfy him, to give him that everlasting orgasm he craves. Claudia is caput, now a ghost. She is out of the picture. He walks into the house, a lightweight gas station bag spinning from his fingers. He raises the check mark next to cigarettes on his to-do list, and then rechecks it, emptying his pockets on a desert highway. The midday sun reflects off the tinted windows of the moving stretch limousine, its pearl-white paint muddy with the billowing clouds in the sky. Inside the limo, up front, a street map is open. Our driver, Ben, focuses on the long, straight road ahead. He sniffs. Georgie has a face full of self-help literature. A pair of trendy new shoes lie on the floor beside his socked feet. 
Georgie takes a long breath through his nose, closing the book that he has just finished. Its cover reads 12 steps for stupid people. Why are you always reading those? Ben asks. Georgie's right eyelid flutters nine times. I like to see what will happen if I do the exact opposite, he says. Ben nods. That sounds reasonable. They both pause, contemplating the anti-wisdom of self-help books. The dessert rolls by, silently mocking, mocking Ben. Really, it's just an ecosystem. Course, mocking. There's no bigger fuck you to a man like Georgie, a man living a sterile existence, than life an ecosystem. A man like Georgie, Ben, or a man like you, let it go, Dr. C. Here we are, Ben finally says. The limousine pulls up to the iron gates of a palatial mansion. A trio of security guards in uniform open the door for Georgie. Ben is directed to a smaller outbuilding around back. On the hat, black asphalt just within the gates, Georgie strips down to nakedness. The dessert swelters behind him, sending up wavering gusts of invisible heat. Georgie shuffles along carefully on the burning asphalt, keeping his head down. He is quickly joined by staff members wearing mental hospital attire white shirts, black belts, white pants and shoes. They are clean, sterile people perfect for Georgie. This way, one says, his lips hail against the blanched cream of his skin. Georgie steps through the open door of the mansion and turns to the right. The patio and interior are slate and marble, clean and cool. The floor is coated with naked people, all lying on their backs. Georgie meanders through them like a zombie, unsure of his place in the carpet of bodies. The house seems dead, but is somehow breathing. The rank scent of vinegar assails his nose. Georgie finds a small space. He lies on the floor on his back, waiting. He shivers, slightly. A loud siren screams, screeches, and a horde of young, naked women flood the room and scatter, striding quickly amongst the naked bodies. One by one they match themselves to pairs of feet. Georgie's woman is creamy-skinned, with wild, red, frizzy hair and a scarred lip. She grins, and her scar turns the smile to a grimace. Georgie holds back a momentary panic, as one, the women all drop to the floor. Georgie's red head rubs his toes a few times, then sniffs his feet. She grins again that same lopsided smile. This time, Georgie is able to relax. He is in a safe arena he and she are strangers. Their nakedness means nothing. They are surrounded by wriggling, mewling grubs. She strokes his ankles lightly, and his dick springs to attention. She smirks her approval. Then swiftly she lows herself over his toes. His eyes zoom in on her pink crotch. It quivers, glistening wet. She pulls his toes inside of her. Georgie gasps, jerking slightly at the feel of her. A wet flesh sucks at him as she embeds his foot inside her slick pussy. Oh, God, Georgie moans. His eyes close in ecstasy. Around him, similar noises rise as his fellow fetishists have their dreams fulfilled. Some are having their feet bitten, others are having razors drawn lightly through their skin. Many simply enjoy a foot massage or pedicure. Most, however, most, there are cries and moans and yelps around him, but Georgie seems to be at peace as he lies on the marble floor in the nude, with no inhibitions. Everyone is so wrapped up in themselves it is like he is not even there. He is a non-entity, a nothing. Georgie's face spasms, his eyes tighten. All his peace condenses into a single, surging spark. With one last, piteous moan, Georgie comes, his dick jerks. It is like a fountain, a continuous spurt, an everlasting orgasm, perfection. It looks to him like he has splashed the red-haired foot smother a small spot glistens brightly on her pinky toe, and then it is over. She stands with one last suck, a parting flex of muscle, and then she is gone her white, broad bottom trotting swiftly away. Georgie sighs and smiles. Afterward, Georgie partakes in a foot trampling, an ex-stomping, a salt crystal crawl. He wanders from room to room in the mansion, feeling the cool, sweet air conditioning on his naked skin. He is not worried about his penis, which shrivels to an embarrassing size in the chilled air. In this place, Georgie feels as invisible as anyone and everyone is invisible. In this place, the foot trampling is fun as always, but still, Georgie would prefer to lie on the ground and have someone stomp him with her feet crush him under her strappy sandals. Georgie seems overwhelmed with pleasure, but doesn't feel quite satisfied. He longs for something else. 
rather than stomping on X, feeling the messy yolk and white exploding beneath his arch, he would rather be cracking the egg over someone else's foot, rubbing it in, Georgie's own feet hold only momentary interest for him, by late afternoon, Georgie needs more than what the mansion can offer, at first glance, after much searching, he finally finds an amply sized woman behind a small, out of the way booth in the far corner of the first floor, I need something else, Georgie says, this is all very nice, but, well, it's just too nice, he explains, he gives a smile to the woman behind the booth, he reminds himself that even though she can clearly see him, he is still invisible, the woman smiles back at him politely, she knows more about what happens in this place than anyone yet, she seems to see nothing at all of what is in front of her, that is the secret to being a good front desk clerk, did you try the foot smothering she says, many of our clients find the foot smothering to be entirely satisfactory, well I tried it, Georgie admits, but it's over, now, I need more, now, she nods complacently, of course, quite understandable, she glances over the multi-tiered schedule in front of her, you are Georgie just he nods, the woman scrutinizes his day schedule, I would much rather be walked on by other people's feet, Georgie says helpfully, oh, I'm afraid we don't have much of that here, the woman sighs, she looks at Georgie appraisingly, but I think I've found something that will work well for you, yes, it's just the thing, really, she points at a small square on the schedule, and Georgie leans over to take a look, his eyebrows raise, starts in 15 minutes either on the tennis courts or in the shed, depending on whether you'd rather do it in the dark, she drifts off, Georgie nods enthusiastically, thank you, he says, I'm here to serve, the woman smiles vacantly, her eyes seem to look miles and miles past him, as though Georgie is not really there at all, 12 minutes later, Georgie is standing in the doorway of the shed, it's dark inside, but he can hear the sounds of other masochists as they shift around within, waiting for something to start, minutes pass, Georgie takes his place against the shed wall, watching the lighted doorway as a few other stragglers come in, then, there is a long shushing noise as a hard and granular substance pours out of a large container and onto the floor, salt rock crystals, Georgie remembers, the bits of mineral ping slightly as they strike the hard cement floor, the door slides closed and Georgie is plunged into utter darkness, the other masochists, who have been whispering and muttering amongst themselves the whole time, suddenly hold their collective breath, for a moment, there is silence, a voice booms from the darkness, get down on your knees, filth Georgie complies with joy, the salt rocks thrust up at him mightily from the floor, now, crawl, like the vermin you the voice booms, Georgie and the others begin to move around, with every motion, the crystals bite into his skin and the salt begins to burn just beneath the surface, he moans at the pain, the degradation of it all, he hears his fellow crawlers moaning likewise, the voice is released by his, before he knows it, the room is filled with groans and moans, the pitiable cries of help from the damned, the self-hating salt crawlers, a part of Georgie longs to get sucked into the orgiastic swirl of pain, the communal hell that they have created, but another part of Georgie, whom he, floats above him, and watches the scene despite the total darkness, Georgie foreshadows how pathetic he would become if he gave into the moment if he got carried away with the passion of the crowd, and, seeing himself so clearly, he could not possibly allow himself to become anything else, especially a pathetic salt crawler, he is both interested and uninterested, enthralled and bored, the self-doubt, the worrying, begins to make him tire of the whole experience, it all falls short of the constant, never-ending orgasm he longs for, and his appetite will accept nothing less, afterwards, back in his limo, Georgie is dressed anew, in white shirts and shorts, a black belt, he's filthy, yet clean, he sighs, unfulfilled, his driver Ben glances at Georgie's knees, which are badly bruised, what happened to your legs Ben asks, oh, that, I crawled on a floor covered with hard salt crystals, Ben pauses a minute, seeming to assess Georgie's mood, he's been Georgie's chauffeur for five years, he knows his boss pretty well, by now, then he speaks again, quietly, why did you do that Georgie stares at his driver, whose face is reflected in the rearview mirror, he doesn't seem to judge, I don't know, it feels kind of good, 
to crawl around on the ground, to feel pain, Georgie is lying, it feels fucking great, huh, Ben nods, it does Georgie insists, he realizes he might sound a little crazy, my nanny used to do all kinds of sick and twisted things to me, Georgie says quickly and defensively, you know, like if I didn't do my homework or forgot to flush or something, stupid shit like that, oh, man, I'm sorry, Ben says, a canned response, anyway, I'm all messed up about it, Georgie finishes lamely, you know yeah, that makes sense, anyone would be, Ben says, nodding again, there is a long, uncomfortable pause, I bet she was just jealous of you, all your money, Ben says finally, I mean, it wasn't your fault or anything, yeah, yeah, no shit, Ben pulls the limousine slowly over to the side of the road, Georgie sags back in his seat, and then reaches beneath his legs and pulls out a self-help book, he tosses it at the driver's side door, Georgie and Ben lean against the limo, staring out at the dessert, a tumbleweed blows by as Georgie takes a drag on his cigarette, Ben exhales, you know, somebody actually takes the time to think up all these fucked up ways of torturing others keeping them in brightly lit rooms for days, like an Iraq, so that they lose their sense of time, somebody actually sits down and imagines these twisted ways to war people, Nani used to get off to the torture stuff, she must have Georgie blurts, that's sick, that's perfect, Georgie decides, but how could I get into that kind of shit, I should hate it more than anyone, I'll fake it until I make it, until it works, it works if you work it, Ben sniffs, yeah, probably, he says, you can't turn around these days without bumping into one sicko or another, he blinks at his word register in his own mind, and glances swiftly at Georgie, she must have, Georgie mumbles, it is clear the driver has not heard, but that's in the past, Ben, trying to redeem himself, plays counselor, maybe it's time to move on, to make something out of your life, instead of letting your past own you, yeah, I'll make a mess is what I'll do, Georgie scoffs, what is it that you want, Georgie, for real Ben insists, you have everything a person needs, and more, and Georgie responds one orgasm, a peak experience that will last my lifetime, that's what I really want, Georgie's face appears dreamy he is in some other world, a roller coaster fantasy that never ends, Ben snorts, and takes another drag, speaking of which, that woman you fancy, Margaret, is she still employed as a helpline operator he asks, Georgie waves his hand in front of his face, brushing Margaret off, nah, she's old news, he says heavily, huh, says Ben, she's the one you went to Tibet with, right Georgie nods, Ben smirks, did you guys, huh, he sneaks a quick look at Georgie, yeah Georgie snorts, course, he is lying, they didn't, but that bitch, she's just so full of herself, he continues, walking around with that fucking holier than thou attitude, I swear, she's stalking me, it was pretty cool of her to go with you on the trip, Ben says, Georgie gets what he means, yeah, I mean, she's great and all, whatever, it's just, she likes a job, she's one of those people, at least she has a job, Ben mutters, Georgie continues like he did not hear, I mean, who likes their job, she's so fucking happy all the time, happy and fulfilled, ugh, it makes me sick, does it make you sick, Ben, is that what makes you sick, shut up, doctor see this is my story, see yeah, I can see what you mean, Ben says, for a while they lean against the limo and stare out at the dessert, so you're seeing someone else now Ben sniffs and spits softly from the side of his lips, why yeah, kind of, Georgie says, he kicks a rolling tumbleweed that has embedded itself in the back tire of the limo, my neighbor, Claudia, Ben whistles and nods, nice, he says, yeah Georgie sneaks a look at him, yeah, she's alright, she's so clingy, though, you know, I'm thinking about calling it quits, hum, Ben mutters, he seems to be holding back a cough, sounds like you've got it all figured out, he says, a few hours later, the limo pulls up in front of Georgie's old style country home, Ben opens Georgie's door, see you later, he says, Georgie gives a half-hearted wave as he unlocks the front door and walks in, the door closes behind him, and he is alone again, Georgie glances at his answering machine, it sits silent and dark, he presses the play button anyway, you have no new messages, the machine chimes, Georgie turns the shower on and proceeds to shuffle around his filthy living room in the near twilight, 
The room is an overkill of every fancy modernization, every electronic doodad, and every entertainment gadget he could possibly squeeze in. There are photos and drawings framed across the walls of every past girlfriend. The bookshelves boast awards, trophies, and posters from his travels. There are seriously intellectual books, endless piles of them, most of them in three copies. His video and music collections feature an equivalent overabundance. He owns an absurd assortment of things. Sketches and notes are left lying around, some only half complete. His drawings and paintings are scattered, unfinished, but still indicative signs of brilliance. Then, there are the graph paper illustrations, intricate designs clearly drawn with some vague purpose. It's obvious that Georgie has a strong mind, maybe too strong for his own good. He also an exorbitant number of projects in process, arbitrary projects, redundant and grandiose. The elements of his house, although artistic, are placed according to obscure mathematical relationships. Everything somehow corresponds. Quantum physics material is neatly clustered, labeled, and placed with the complementary videos and books. An MC Escher print hangs in close proximity. Similarly, his stationary bike is surrounded by trophies, workout tapes, sports magazines, and signed baseballs. The metal ceiling fan reflects light while it is spinning, spinning slowly above the wheels of the bike. Georgie peeks out the window, hoping to catch a glimpse of Claudia. He rushes over and crouches by the curtains when he hears the door to her house open and close. He wonders if she notices him watching, and contemplates whether she counts on the fact that he stares, waiting. Maybe she is showering, maybe she has forgotten her towel she will have to pass through the living room naked. He thinks of sucking on her hooky blue toenails, they taste like candy. She is not home, her house sits empty, and dark. Georgie returns to the running shower, which is now steaming. He daydreams in the shower, even when the soap falls. He doesn't wash his hair today. You never look your best when you are on the verge of encountering the one you have been waiting for your entire life. You are never completely prepared for that. Georgie resolves to never be fully prepared. No sex. Love, Georgie mutters in the shower. Come, she must have thought of me as the friendly type. That's fine, I'm used to it. He picks up the bar of soap, runs it over his hair, and rinses out the sus. I enjoy it myself, that's all that matters. Though God probably took delight in watching his orchestration of me that day, that one eternal day we met, when we were together, a pensive pause. I'll call it personal growth. He spurts his epiphany, I'll never hear from Claudia, ever again he runs the bar of soap over his hair and rinses out the suds, forgetting he already has, my mind ran wild with quiet confusion, it soothed the senses, I could wake up tomorrow, thinking about the day, and the next day about today, he mutters, while I'm in love, I stop writing, for the most part, I know it won't last forever, I'm in love, I scoff at the thought, me, in love, in love with Claudia, me, in love with Claudia, Georgie's alarm clock is set for 10am, it blares and blares he dreams of fires, and sirens, he tosses and turns, eventually, the bright white of afternoon light shines through his blinds. Georgie crawls out of bed. The clock mocks him. It's 2 p.m. Georgie shuffles into the kitchen. He's a wreck. He pulls a mug from the sink and inspects the inside. Not too bad, he thinks. Again, just a little scrungy around the edges. Kind of like me. Georgie mopes around and stares blankly. He can't sleep. There's no use sleeping, he thinks, when your every need is attended to, no use in resting when you never exert yourself. Four days on empty stairs at the ceiling, at the wall fan, at Claudia's driveway and her empty windows, it all boils down to nothing, and he leaves for the grocery store. Georgie Margaret calls, waving, does this bitch ever go home? Georgie briefly considers absconding, instead, he grumbles and plucks a jar of pickles from the shelf in front of him. Georgie, she says again, rolling her cart up to his, how are you doing great? Just great, he answers, how's everything with you oh, the same, she says, there is an awkward pause Georgie scans is the nutrition facts on the back of the pickle jar, meanwhile, Margaret seems to be weighing whether it would be better to buy in bulk or go for the brand name, what do you think about the riots she finally says, at a loss, how Georgie examines an entire wall of mustard, the riots, on the news, I'm glad that it's not on our side of town, I don't really watch the news, Georgie replies, 
Oh, Margaret seems stunned, but she is not stymied for long. Well, you should really look into it. The East Side is getting so crowded now unemployment, you know, and they are starting to form crowds and, you know, they burned down the first Methodist church. Don't you? Georgie shakes his head. You don't. Georgie, you need to get up to speed. Like I said, who knows when this might start to affect our neighborhood. Someone actually takes the time to think up this shit. He mumbles, choosing a store brand Dijon. What? Well, yeah, Margaret gives Georgie a searching glance. He tries to appear normal. Anyway, it's all about unemployment and the lack of services for the poor. Crime is through the roof now, on the east side, you know. There's this whole Robin Hood mentality. She must have gotten off to it, Georgie mumbles. She just had to Margaret searches his face. Who she asks, Claudia, what Georgie looks at her face. What are you talking about? Margaret blinks, once, twice. Hey Georgie, let's get together sometime this week, she suggests. There's a kind and sympathetic, pitying, look on her face. Yeah, yeah, sure, reluctantly, he agrees. I'll drop by Wednesday, insists Margaret. She pats his hand lightly. You sure you're doing okay? She smiles. Yeah, yeah, great, he replies, convincingly. With that, she glides away, making it count with Dr. C. Who is Margaret? Really, Ben? Who is Claudia? Dr. C. asks, crossing her slender legs. Her eyes are steady on me. She thinks she sees right through me, knows all my deepest, darkest secrets. She doesn't know the worst of them. Why do you mean, Dr. C? I tease her. Margaret's Margaret. Claudia's Claudia, she nods and leans forward. I know that, in Georgie's world, that is who they are, but who are they really? Ben, in your world, Dr. C is going deep now I can tell, not that it will get her anywhere, of course, they are nothing in my world, Dr. C in my world, they don't even exist, that's the beauty of it, you see Dr. C sighs, she often wears that dreamy expression when attempting to connect me on a human level, she leans further forward and her breasts are almost touching the desk, yeah, she has my attention now, maybe I'm the one that gets to go deep this time, huh, but no her holy nipples never cross over the line to my side of the desk, not even her feet do, although I notice she wore those red slingbacks, she's just taking to tempt me, I bet, I mean, Ben, do they represent people in your own life, of all people, why does Georgie meet them, what does he need from them, why does anybody meet anybody, Dr. C, it's all them fool luck, as far as I'm concerned, what do you get out of it, Ben, she says sharply, what out of knowing Georgie, out of being Georgie, what do you get out of it, I stare at her for a moment, blinking nine times, now she is acting like the crazy one, I may like to take a harp every now and then, I'd have a bit of a stutter, but even I do not believe that I chose Georgie any more than he chose me, I appreciate the company I suggest, Dr. C shakes her head slow and heavy, you are not being very helpful, Ben, she sighs, there is a moment of silence between us, it's not like I chose him, you know, I say finally, there, Dr. C have a gem, Hushy mutters, lifting her head slightly, Georgie, I didn't say to myself one day, hey, you know it would be cool to have an alter ego, maybe I'll just make him up, well of course not, Ben, I would not dare suggest that you did this consciously, I mean, I just woke up one day and he was there, I was him, and he was me, and that was the end of that, bam, we're stuck with each other, you're right, Ben, I'm sorry, but this, I reel back, the chair I'm in doesn't have wheels, it tips back and falls over, with me along for the ride, the pain doesn't bother me so much, not so much as hearing those words from his mouth, ha, what I say from the floor, rubbing my head, one, two, three times, maybe I misheard, maybe I hallucinated those words, maybe it's just the concussion, talking, I am sorry, Ben, she repeats, you're right, it's lousy of me to expect you'll give me all the answers, I'm just tired, I suppose, it's so okay, I stutter, I lift myself back into the chair, keeping a constant eye on her, why don't you just pick up where you left off, she prompts me, smiling, we'll figure it out sooner or later, don't you worry, I shrug, sure, Claudia goes deep later that night, it begins to rain, Georgie rushes to the window as he hears a car door slam outside Claudia's house, he watches as she stomps to her front door with no regard for the wetness. She tears the door open and slams it shut behind her, then turns on every light in the house. He aches for a glimpse of her shadow to fall on the curtains. Her figure pauses, standing still for a moment. Then she's back out the door. Georgie stares as she stomps to her car. His groin tightens as she turns up the sidewalk and then, up his driveway. He looks around frantically, grabs a handful of wrappers from the coffee table and shoves them in his pocket. He paces once, twice. All the wreck of his life is too bright, too visible. To anyone who comes through the front door, he turns off the overhead light. 
Claudia's fist pounds the front door, he opens the door wide, you wouldn't believe the piece of shit day I've hit, she thunders through the open door, shucking off her wet jacket and handing it to him, yet Georgie asks, he drops her jacket onto a chair by the door, Claudia sways and barely catches herself with a hand on his sofa, can I sit she doesn't seem to notice the squalor, yet, yet Georgie moves a pile of papers and books from one end of the sofa to the other, Claudia collapses into the cushions, her eyes briefly close, um, are you thirsty Georgie asks, you got any vodka her voice is harsh and slurred, Kalua, he answers, perfect, Georgie rapidly wipes a dirty glass with a wet paper towel and fills it with ice cubes and Kalua, here, he hands it to her, she smiles and takes a long, slow sip, a little dark in here, isn't it she says slowly, Georgie looks around, if he turns on the main light, she'll see the true depths of his slovenliness, instead, he lights a few candlesticks on the coffee table, I lost my job today, she ultimately confesses, those fucking bastards fired me, Georgie racks his brains, trying to remember how normal people respond to a crisis, normal, who's normal, I'm sorry, he sympathizes after a long pause, what happened those motherfuckers, she sighs, I shouldn't have fucked him, Greg, that is, my folks always said, don't shit where you eat, but I never listen, oh, Georgie says, puzzled, actually, six stomach juices rise in his throat as he thinks of her with another man, his penis jerks a little, a cocktick, who's Greg, Greg was my co-worker, I was actually, at the clinic, fucking pig, he was married, you know, but I didn't care just in it for kicks, didn't give a damn about him or his wife which clinic Georgie interrupts, she looks at him sharply, empty, Shasta, she says, I'm a paramedic, oh, good, Georgie says, and then snaps his mouth shut, at least it's not, not what, Ben, you'll see, you'll see, she shrugs, yeah, it wasn't too bad, but when I broke it off with him and Sarah who's Sarah Georgie interrupts, his wife, Claudia says, I was doing them both, actually, it was fun, Georgie's mind reels, a married man and his wife, this woman is a mess, she sits there on his couch in all her mascara street glory, her wild hair curling in a scarlet halo, sits there, in all her creepy, pervy glory, her sexual freedom, her misery, her overripe breasts sag into the couch, she's perfect, Georgie thinks, anyway, when it all blew up, when it all got personal they fired me, he fucking fired me she picks up a drawing from the pile of papers next to her and blows her nose in it, she crinkles up the precious thing the frail child of Georgie's genius, covered in her snot and throws it across the room, perfect, sounds like a creep, Georgie says sagely, it's probably a good thing you don't work for him anymore, Claudia laughs, a tad hysterical, sure, that makes sense, she lifts the column to her mouth and drinks deep, she sighs and relaxes into the sofa, I just want to hurt him, she says softly, punch him in the face, cut his arm, make him crawl on rocks get him all scraped up, then he know how I feel she kicks the coffee table, hard, the corner of it lifts high and the candles and a stack of papers go flying, one of the candles lands on a stack of paper and it is out, the other lands on Georgie's lap, how he howls, standing and shaking the hot wax from his groin in the suddenly dark room, his heart pounds with a jolt of fear and adrenaline rushes through his veins, his cock jerks slightly, oh shit, oh shit, I'm so sorry, Claudia says, she skids to her knees in front of him, wiping out the crotch of his pants with her hands, clumsily fumbling, they are lit only by the scanty moonlight that shines through the clouds, Georgie thinks he can see her blush, shit, are you okay Georgie nods, then smiles, bliss, that rush was just what he needed, somehow, Claudia can't know that, of course, and in the darkness she can't see him smiling, that hurt he says, crossing his arms in front of his chest and frowning down at her, wanting to see her squirm, she moans pitifully I'm sorry Georgie's dick stands at attention to hear her sorrow, she is perfect in her misery, why do I like her best this way he wonders, what kind of sicko prefers to see a woman cry, that's a good question, Ben, it's not me, doctor see it's Georgie, see, Georgie is struck suddenly by, what he thinks is, the greatest idea of his life, he sits down next to Claudia, his thigh up against hers, then he leans over and kisses her softly on the mouth, she returns the kiss with feeling, Georgie breaks it off, they stare at each other a minute, that felt kind of good, Claudia admits quietly, when I burned you, you're not Greg, but, it felt kind of good, anyway, is that sick or what Georgie laughs to himself, 
I've got an idea, he says, it might sound crazy at first but, well, just hear me out, you're out of a job, now you've got bills to pay, and me, well, I need someone, someone like you, he smiles again, his face almost invisible in the darkness, when Claudia wakes up the next morning, the sun shines brightly through Georgie's slatted blinds, she reaches out her hand to the empty space beside her then sits up, Georgie is gone, she blinks her eyes once, twice, then she looks at the nightstand as her eyes widen slightly, the clock reads, 9am, there is a high stack of hundred dollar bills beside it, where's Georgie, Ben, I don't know, Doctor C can't a guy have a little privacy, and a note, Claudia pulls at the note, the note, the note, it is so bright in the light of day that she can hardly read it, she leans back into the pillow and holds the note above her head, making a shadow on the page, dear Claudia, the note reads, as per our agreement last night, here is your weekly allowance, Claudia thumbs through the stack of hundreds, counting out a full ten, she smiles, then she returns her attention to the note, there are, of course, a few vital stipulations, one, thou shall not have sexual relationships with anyone but me two, real money must be exchanged for any and all favors three, failure to comply with the above shall result in double pay or loss of job, this discreet contract will never expire, until death, yours, Georgie just Claudia frowns as she looks at the note, then glances over at the wad of cash that is slumped slightly against her leg, she grabs the cash, thumbing through it once again, then she crumples up the note and throws it in the trash, ah, what a comfy web they weave, Georgie and Claudia get right to business, Claudia comes over later that week, with a pair of handcuffs, a feather duster, a roll of duct tape, and a waxing kit, she clinks the handcuffs together mischievously, hey there, Georgie gust, she pouts and tips forward slightly, emphasizing her breasts, wanna come play Georgie nods his head mutely, it all looks pretty kitsch to him, but then Claudia is new at the whole torture thing, in a way, she is now a virgin, Georgie smiles up at her as she straddles him on the bed, what are you thinking, Mr. Gust she says in mock shock, she closes the handcuff around one of his hands and loops the empty cuff through the holes in his headboard, that you're a virgin, Georgie says, wanting to share with her, to make an open forum, like when he gave her his first pedicure, he wants it to be like that, oh, hardly, Claudia grins and locks the other handcuff into place, she slides off the bed and shimmies out of her two tight jeans, not as sexually, I mean, Georgie stutters, ha, ah, an essent and virgin, a virgin torturer, oh, Georgie, Claudia sinks to the side of the bed, checking the temperature of the hot wax with her hand, she smiles to find that it is right, this may be my first time with a pair of handcuffs she places a hand over Georgie's mouth as he smiles, maybe, but that doesn't mean it's my first time torturing someone, she slowly stuffs the feather duster into his mouth, the feathers soak up the moisture of his tongue and stick to the roof of his mouth, they flutter against the back of his throat, making him cough, Georgie tries to protest the feathers, but all that comes out is an indistinct mumble and a frustrated moan, clamping the feather duster down with her forearm, Claudia uses the duct tape to fix it onto his face, there, that should keep your gag reflex from getting in the way, she purrs, isn't that nice, Georgie rapidly shakes his head, his panic sets off another coughing fit he chokes, coughs, and sneezes until he can't open his eyes anymore because of the tears streaming from them, until his face is a fireball of frustration, if you don't calm down, you won't enjoy the rest of this, Claudia points out, pouting, she has a dipstick covered in the hot wax, letting it drip down onto Georgie's stomach, just hold your breath for a while, she suggests, he does as she asks, and eventually the feathers that tormented his tonsils are still, Georgie is now able to enjoy the feel of the warm wax as it drips onto him, it's not too hot at all, it's rather like a warm bath, he swims in the wax, feeling it engulf him, he thinks of it coating his whole body, spreading up from his toes and over his genitals, up to his belly button, and pits, then up over his face, running into his mouth and locking his tongue in place, and gluing his eyeballs to a fixed stare, then he would be dead, but forever existing, they could prop him up in a wax museum, he would be famous, and he would not even have to deal with it, Georgie indulges these fantasies as Claudia spreads the wax over him, she sings a little tune under her breath as she works, after a while, Georgie is able to entirely forget that the feather duster is in his mouth, he thinks about a little girl pointing to his waxen testicles and asking, mommy, what are those those are peanuts, dear the mommy replies, 
Fantasies only last so long, however, and Claudia is still spreading and spreading when Georgie has run out of imaginary material. Georgie starts to wonder if Claudia doesn't have what it takes to be his torturer. This wax stuff is not half bad, but it's not bad enough. Maybe Samantha, down and that place at 3rd Street would be better, she gives one hell of a good foot smothering. Then, Georgie receives a slight twinge of understanding. Claudia tugs at a bit of hardened wax down by his ankle. The spike of discomfort from tension leg hairs incites him to breathe faster. He almost inhales the feathers, almost chokes again. Better stay calm, Georgie dear. Claudia reminds him. She crouches over his body, holding herself just inches above him. Her nose is almost touching his. Her breath is on his face. All women are torturers. She snarls. We are empathetic. It's in our nature. Without looking, she catches her nail where the wax stops at his collarbone and gives a swift yank. Marjorie yells through a mouthful of feathers. Then he starts to cough again. We know exactly what it is you are afraid of. She continues ignoring him. We know exactly how to hurt you. She tears off another small piece. There are no strips. Georgie realizes. He doesn't know much about waxing. Not any more than the average male human. But he does know that strips are involved. And with no strips, she is going to have to pull off every inch of it by hand. Every round little inch. Georgie stifles a groan. Not wanting the feathers to act up again. Men may be stronger. Georgie. Claudia concludes. But women are the true inflictors of pain. She rips up a quarter-sized chunk of wax affixed to his nipple, and Georgie howls. The feathers dive down his throat ecstatically. He chokes them up, coughing and yelling and cursing Claudia in the best way he can. Oh, what a woman. Some part of his mind praises her. Something seems to snap in Claudia. Her eyes are suddenly full of rage. How does that feel? Huh? Does it hurt? She tears off piece after piece, faster and faster now, until it feels like Georgie's entire torso is inflamed. She stops for a moment, gets back in his face. This is what women do to make themselves beautiful for you. She screams at him, her face red and terrible. She tears off another piece, a dollar coin sized piece right near his groin. Am I beautiful enough for you? Georgie she tears and tears at him, at the wax, not paying attention, not even caring where the wax ends and where Georgie begins. His paws scream at him for having his hair torn out by the roots. His skin is covered in thousands of tiny scratches and a few sizable gouges from a rough and tumble ripping. He bleeds. It is horrible. He's terrified. At the same time, a sense of peace flows over him. He feels detached from his own body. He watches from a distance. He feels sorry for Claudia, who is clearly unhappy. Feels a little ashamed for taking advantage of her unhappiness, but only a little, mostly. He feels a blissful sort of numbness. He wishes he could ejaculate, but his cock is encased in hard wax. Finally, Claudia collapses over him, sobbing, incoherent. Georgie steadies his breathing, wondering what comes next. It's almost half an hour before Claudia's breathing slows, before her shudderings cease. Then she looks up at him, with wide, illuminated irises. Her eyes are wet and glowing. She is beautiful. I'm tired of this, she says, with a sniff. She stands and leaves the room. She leaves Georgie tied to the bedpost, his legs and genitals hopelessly covered in wax, the feather duster taped securely in his mouth. Huh, Georgie thinks as he watches her go. I wasn't expecting that. Only minutes later, Georgie realizes that his peanuts itch. B-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-
peeking through the blinds, but she is nowhere to be seen. He calls and leaves message after message, all left unreturned. A week passes, Georgie leaves her allowance in the mailbox. He's afraid that maybe she took the first thousand and ran. Maybe she doesn't want to play his game. This fear of rejection, the terror of another failed relationship, no matter how forced fills him with a mixture of hatred for her, the power she has to make him ill, and a longing that feels somewhat like love. Have you ever been in love, Dr. C? Fear and uncertainty give him a pain that sets him free, that fills him with delicious, slimy horror. He can't get enough of the pain her disappearance brings him. If she abandoned him forever, he might slide deeper and deeper into the cold and empty abyss, the nothingness of self that echoes, oh perfectly, that everlasting moment of orgasm. He doesn't see her come and take it, although he is spying every moment, weighing for her, the money is gone the next day. Georgie smiles to himself. A feeling even better than pain flushes through his veins. It is triumph. Soon after the money mysteriously disappears from the mailbox, Claudia begins to show up at her house now and then. Still, she doesn't return any of his calls, or come to visit, or write any notes to him. But he knows that she is there, sometimes, and she knows that he knows. This is a new kind of torture, a new delicious pain. He knows she is still playing the question now is not if, but when, and as the days drag on, Georgie becomes increasingly impatient. He makes a permanent camp in the living room, keeping everything necessary for survival next to the window, within reach of his hands. He lives for glimpses of Claudia through the blinds. Sometimes, in the dark, he imagines her naked, thinks of the softness of her sagging breasts falling to either side of her chest as she sleeps. As the days go by with only signs of Claudia, Georgie begins to run out of food. He makes runs to the kitchen to refill his water, but when the cupboards are bare he forgets the water too, and sits and sits, watching. Slowly, he begins to starve, dehydrate, melt away into the air. He feels his skin slowly tightening around him, feels the water leaving his body to feed the atmosphere. He sighs, searching and searching for the next sign of Claudia. Eventually, Georgie becomes too weak to leave money for her at the mailbox. He slumps against the window pane, his gaze propped up only by his nose at the sill. The next day, there's a knock at his door. Georgie swivels his gaze to the door, knowing, somehow, just knowing that it is Claudia, but there's no need to answer it, he thinks to himself. She'll come to me, then the door is silent, and Georgie feels a sustained moment of terror. That was my chance, that was my only chance, and I blew it. She's gone now, gone forever, and I can't lift a finger. The terror is replaced with a sense of bliss, the orgasmic nothingness of despair. Georgie melts into it, happy to disappear. God takes pleasure in this. She will not miss me, not much, not my orchestration, my loving, playful orders. She'll enjoy her freedom, it is best. The knock comes again at his door, louder and more insistent. Georgie realizes that it has awoken him from sleep. He is curled on the floor, without the energy to prop his knock nostrils at the windowsill. He thinks for a moment about answering the door. He decides that he likes the numbness better. His ear sags down to the floor. The door is pounding, quivering under Claudia's fist. Georgie, I know you're in there she yells, at last. I know you're in there Georgie flashes back to Ben's mother, to her voice fair the light at the dark doorway of Ben's childhood bedroom. I know you're in there, she whispers. Georgie shivers. I know you're in there, Benji. A crash of glass and Georgie screams, his voice high like a little nymphette. He feels the last bit of life in him leave with that scream. It sounds like a whisper in the tinkling of glass all around him. Damn it, Georgie, what did you think you were doing? Claudia mutters. She hoists him in her arms. He is thin, starved, emaciated, jaundiced and sleep deprived, unsure at swollen boils and pustules adorn his thighs. He has been too exhausted to pop them. His seam and crusted pubes show a history of careless masturbation. Poor little Georgie says Claudia, all paranoid and I can smell you rotting away he is like a child in arms, although she never had one, a child, that is, Georgie awakens in the white sterility of the hospital bedroom, he screams, closing his eyes, his shout is loud, clear, and resounding, Georgie Claudia cries. She has been sitting next to his bed. Well isn't that sweet some part of his brain snarls. What the fuck Georgie sits up straight in bed and then collapses backward. A nurse hokes her head into the room. Get me the fuck out of here Georgie yells, his eyes bulging. The nurse's head retracts and she scurries away. Georgie, calm down. Claudia tries to shush him. You're in the hospital. You almost died. You'll be all alright maybe in a day or two. Georgie looks at the tangle of cords, ignoring Claudia. Why didn't you eat, or buy any food or anything? Georgie she asks. Georgie can see from her face that she knows the answer she wants it not to be her fault. 
Fuck that shit. Without a guilt, a repentance, this whole arrangement would be nothing better than the fetish houses he used to attend, and at least the houses there is a bit of variety. He finds the clamp on his finger that measures his pulse and rips it off. He smiles sweetly as the blip blip of the heart monitor begins to sing like a siren. Hospital staff rush into the room. They glare at Georgie's sweet smile. Get me the fuck out of here. He tells them, I will pay to have all of this moved to my house. See how he gestures to Claudia with an evil glare. She's my live in caretaker. Claudia's eyes bulge, but she dares not refuse him. I'm a paramedic, she explains. Empty. Schwester, the nurses sniff their disapproval, but the doctor eventually approves the arrangement. Claudia can't help but notice how much thicker the daughter's front pocket seems after his interview with Georgie. Despite all his problems, Georgie can be very persuasive. Hours later, Georgie is nestled snugly in his home, surrounded by wires and monitors. His heart rate beeps pleasantly. Claudia is dressed in a sexy nurse's uniform, tending to his every whim. For the occasion, she has moved into the room next to his, just until his health returns, of course. Once the hospital realized who he was, whose son he was, it seemed they could not get rid of Georgie fast enough. It helped that Georgie pulled a wad of hundreds out of his wallet thicker than Claudia's wrist. You look good in that, Georgie smirks as Claudia leans over to place a tray of food on his lap. The heart rate monitor speeds up slightly. Why, thank you, Claudia simpers. She doesn't really mind the situation she likes the way the outfit shows off her figure. Lunch served, Claudia sits in the chair beside Georgie's bed and crosses her legs. Long strips of thigh are visible through the slits on each side of her skirt. Freckles smirk through the openings, teasing him. Her skin wrinkles slightly just enough. Mind if I smoke she asks, already pulling the pack out of her purse. Does it matter Georgie reminds her. She assesses him carefully, shrugs, and then lights a slim cigarette. She exhales into his face. Georgie coughs, feeling a faint rush of happiness at his discomfort. Claudia smiles a Mona Lisa smile, even though she feels momentary doubt when she sees Georgie cough. Part of her doesn't like to see his discomfort, but a larger part wants to hurt him and all men forever and ever, a man, to twist him and grind him into a pitiful nothingness. His evident pleasure reassures her that what she has done is good. It's good for me, good for both of us, she reminds herself. You know what I like about taking care of you here, she asks, smiling wickedly. What Georgie asks, her eyebrows raise, innocent, the fact that we're alone, she says. Then slowly she drops her hand and grinds her cigarette butt into his arm, Georgie screams. She closes her eyes to pull his pain closer to her. She gives one last twist, feeling the ember crush into empty ash. Claudia leans back in her chair as Georgie slumps into his pillows. She takes a few deep breaths, then feels for his pulse. His heart is still strong, despite all the tears been through. Claudia lays herself down at Georgie's side, closing her eyes. Just for a minute, it is exhausting, taking care of Georgie. She is not just his nurse, after all. She is also his torturer, his personal trainer in pain. She has to ensure she gives him that high he craves and satisfy her own perverse longings. All the while she must be certain it's not too much for him right now. His heart must remain stable and his body can't go into shock. The situation requires her to summon all of her knowledge as a paramedic, and then to go entirely against her training. She wonders if Georgie took into consideration her medical training when he decided to choose her for his torturer. It would be handy to have a professional on hand, someone who understood the limits of the human body. She doubts it. It is much more likely that her body, her face, her unique situation made her far more qualified in Georgie's mind than any medical experience would. You're one lucky son of a bitch, picking me. Claudia whispers to him gently. Any other bimbo would have killed you already, or just took the money and run. Claudia breathes deeply and evenly, comforted by the sound of Georgie's heartbeat. In a little while she will get back to work, but not just yet. Georgie, Claudia whispers. He opens his eyes to see her crouched above him like a predatory animal. The buttons of her uniform are open. Her simple, pink nipples loom over his forehead. Ah, there you are, she says quietly. She reaches down between his legs and strokes the bulge in his pants. She smiles. Right there he lifts his arm weakly. The wires drag him back down. It's all right, it's all right. She shushes him, with a small smile. She puts her hands on his arms, pinning him down beneath her. She kisses him full on the mouth, nibbling at his lips and drawing a little blood. Georgie moans in ecstasy, with fingers like ants. Claudia unzips Georgie's pants. She fumbles his stiffening man dagger away from the hot swamp of his crotch. She pinches the soft skin of his balls with her fingernails. Georgie cries out in pain and joy. 
he lifts his head and then, with a sigh, leans back into the pillow. That's good, he says. I thought you'd like that, Claudia murmurs. She pinches him again, harder, tears ball up in the corners of his eyes. When his lids flutter open again, Claudia slowly strips out of her nurse's uniform. Her breasts sag easily against her chest, enticing him. Her skin is pink, spotted with freckles and pores, covered in long, thin, shimmery red hairs. Her carpet matches the drape's wild, orange-red, waving him in. His dick is full of blood, thick with it. He thinks it might burst open at any minute. Georgie sees the red, dangling lips that glisten, wet for him. He strains for her, condoms, in the drawer. He gasps. Claudia laughs slow, almost paring. H.M. she says, pressing herself up against him. No Georgie moans. The condoms. Please, God, please. Claudia slowly, inexorably, sinks his shaft inside herself. Please he whimpers. Oh, no. She shushes him. You don't get it that easy Georgie realizes this is part of the game. She is torturing him with contact, invading his sterile existence. What if she gets pregnant? What if she gets pregnant? What if she gets pregnant? Something screams inside him as she pushes against him deeper and deeper. There is no protection between them, no safe place. If a child results from her torture, she doesn't care. The fear of this possibility, of her not caring, of the risk real risk rises up in him and bursts. Yeah he murmurs as he comes inside her, hard, she laughs at him, and for a moment, Georgie feels it that sweet, endless bliss he has been searching for, he laughs along with her, pulling her face down with his plugged arms, maybe this is it, Georgie thinks, maybe this is all I've been looking for, I could get used to this, practice makes perfect after that one, pure, perfect moment, Claudia disappears again, the first day, Georgie wanders around aimlessly, wishing her back, the second day he checks the cupboards and realizes he needs to buy some food, Georgie weakly rolls his cart down the aisle at the grocery store, leaning against the bar and shuffling along, he wonders how Claudia could leave when he was still so weak, he could die, if he died, how would she get her money, she is smart enough to know that, he smiles, sure, she's smart enough, enough to know that he would get back on his feet, if only to crawl back for more, Georgie briefly considers dying, if only to prove her wrong, then he smiles, and knocks a few cans of pineapple rings into his cart, that would be too easy, Georgie bumps into Margaret on his way out of the store, their eyes both widen, Georgie Margaret says, Georgie keeps walking, his head twisting as he passes her, up, uh, hey, I'm, up, uh, Margaret frowns, yeah, sure, she nods, see you some other time, then, Georgie nods, later, and then he's gone, Claudia places herself softly in the shadow of a street kiosk, the clock on her cell phone reads 2.30pm, it has been over a day since Georgie last left his house, she knows he will need some smoke soon, she stands in the corner of the kiosk, smoking a slim and watching passes by purchase magazines, six, and candy, just as she has finished smoking her first slim down to the filter, Georgie approaches the counter, with a grin, Claudia crushes the stub beneath her shiny red sling backs, the clerk behind the counter hands Georgie his regular smokes, without a word Georgie nods and leaves a fistful of cash on the counter, way more than they are worth, and then turns, Claudia sidles up behind him, fancy meeting you here, she whispers in his ear, she savors a momentary thrill as he stiffens, his quick gasp is music to her, Claudia, he breathes, he turns around, Claudia takes a step back, smiling at him just out of arm's reach, I feel like we're drifting apart, she pouts, I don't want us to become indifferent to each other, Georgie grins, knowing her game too well already, I'll call you, tomorrow, Claudia smiles and winks at him, then, with a whiff of perfume and stale cigarette smoke, she drifts back into the shadow of the kiosk, and Georgie is alone in the bright daylight of the street, the day passes without a call from Claudia, Georgie paces, checking the windows, he sits on his front porch, smoking and watching her house, he builds his ten shots of espresso and gulps them down until, night falls and he is a wraith, flitting from one window to the next, for a moment, it appears that a light glimmers deep within Claudia's home, but then he blinks, and it seems like nothing has changed, the next day, Georgie's alarm blares at the usual time, he slams a hand down on the ever screechy timepiece, morning light streams through the white blinds, splashing on his dark and dirty carpet, when Georgie finally sits up, he blinks, the clock alarm flashes 12pm, Georgie tweaks the blinds and peers out at Claudia's house, this is now part of his morning ritual to see if she is home, to 
to see if she came home, to see if she has left home, not knowing where she is, that is a sweet torture indeed, her car is parked out front, he looks down at his limp dick, soft and sagging between his flat, resting testes, then, Georgie does something entirely uncharacteristic, he gets out of bed, he staggers through the lonely house, as he walks past the bathroom he decides to turn the shower on as hot as possible, the still hot coffee, freshly percolated from earlier that morning, speaks to him, Georgie looks around the wreck of the room, its counters scattered with broken glass and pools of old food, floors covered in food bits and blue mold, he turns and walks out, past the bathroom, which billows steam from the running shower, with bare feet, he advances to the front door, steam pours out behind him as he goes, Georgie stalks across the grass that separates their two homes, not caring that someone might see him violating the unspoken rule about using sidewalks, she has upset his whole existence, he may as well upset alone, Georgie pounds on the front door of Claudia's house, knowing she is inside, he is tired of the hold she has on him, tired of the games, ever since that moment with her, after he came back to from the hospital, ever since that moment of pure ecstasy, of unadulterated orgasm, he wants just her, he wants her with him all the time, this avoidance torture is bullshit, it's like he is paying her for what she usually does anyway, and, even worse, it no longer gets him quite as high, this isn't what I paid for, he snarls as she opens the door, her eyes widen in surprise, I could pay anyone to avoid me, most people do it for free, for a moment, Claudia looks frightened, then she laughs, drives you crazy, doesn't it Claudia smirks, that's not the point, Georgie mutters, Claudia shrugs playfully, I'm making lunch, would you like to come in she says, turning and waving, she walks to the kitchen without waiting for his answer, Georgie follows a moment later, leaving the front door creaking open behind him, Claudia's kitchen glows with yellow light, it is clean but cluttered, the smell of fresh food entices Georgie to step further, the coils of the gas burning stove blow orange beneath a flat pan, on which Claudia is frying a sandwich, would you like one she gestures politely, Georgie shakes his head, Claudia shrugs and nudges the sandwich with her index finger, she flips it with a quick flash of fingertips, Georgie is amazed at her lack of fear, he winces when, a few minutes later, she pushes the sandwich onto a plate, out she cries softly as the skin of her finger grazes the hot pan, she sucks on the finger for a moment, then she pulls it out of her mouth and, looking at it cross-eyed, close, her gaze flicks to Georgie for a moment, she smiles, why don't you give it a try she says softly, slyly, she points with her burned finger, just a little touch, with a mixture of dread and elation, Georgie slowly brings his finger close to the hot pan, searing pain blanks his mind, followed by blissful numbness, he pulls his finger off and runs it under the cold water of her sink, the burn throbs painfully, filling him, a wh he moans quietly, not bad, a Claudia insists, Georgie nods, sucking on his finger, he looks at Claudia appraisingly, lingering his gaze over her hips and breasts, I know, she says finally, grinning, why don't you sit on it what Georgie looks at the hot pan, a final hiss of butter burns with a wisp of smoke from its black surface, he looks back at Claudia, thinking longingly, do it, she says, don't make me make you, she glares at him with a mean smirk, with one more wistful glance at Claudia, Georgie eases himself onto the hot pan, it seems only hot at first, it wobbles unsteadily beneath his pretty bottom, then, all of a sudden, it scorches him, with a yowl, Georgie leaps from the stove, the pan clangs to the ground behind him, Georgie feels the heat of the burn throb in his backside, he closes his eyes, weighing for the numbness and nothingness of pain to soothe his tormented soul, Georgie Claudia yells, pointing at the back of his pants, he twists, and realizes that the continued heat was not from the burn, but because his pants are on fire, shit he screams, the flames lick up his pants, and threaten to wrap around his belt, Georgie tugs and jerks at his pants until they crumple to the floor, he leaps away from them, given oxygen, the fire leaps higher, Jesus, Georgie Claudia screams, put it out Georgie tries to pick up the burning pants and put them in the sink, but midway through the air the fire scorches his hand, 
Shit he yells again, throwing the fireball at the sink. It strikes the world behind, and flames begin to climb quickly up the drapes. Georgie Claudia screams. What are you doing? She runs to the pantry and grabs a small fire extinguisher. She stares at the directions on the extinguisher as the fire climbs up the drapes and begins to singe the wallpaper. The nearby cabinets begin to blacken the laminate melts down in boiling drops that hiss as they land on the stainless steel sink. Claudia struggles with the pin, unsuccessful, she shoves the extinguisher into Georgie's hands and takes a step away from the burning flames. Georgie looks at the extinguisher, trying to distinguish step 1 from step 3, the metal grows warm in his hands as the burning plastic of the laminate cabinet strips heavily onto the counter, my ass hurts, he whimpers, he watches as the fire begins to eat away at the wall surrounding the windowsill. Claudia takes another step backwards, her eyes wide and terrified, with a squeak, she turns and runs for the front door, Georgie follows fast behind, the extinguisher still tight in his hand, at the doorway, Claudia suddenly stops and Georgie crashes into her, my pictures, she moans, and makes a move to run back inside, Georgie stops her, call the fire department, he commands, finally abandoning the pain that swelters up and down his thighs and back, Georgie realizes that he is not wearing any pants, he looks toward the street, where a small crowd of neighbors have gathered, what he yells at them then realizes that his underwear is singed, his legs lobster red, he turns to the street and roars in frustration, call the goddamn police he screams, and they scatter, my cell phones inside Claudia wails, pulling at her hair, the smoke from the fire has begun to press heavily against her front windows now, Georgie glances at her, pleased with the smudge of smoke on her turned up nose, and with the frantic, indrawn terror of her brilliant green eyes, at this moment, he despises her for her idiocy, for her weakness in the face of this catastrophe, at this moment, she is perfect in her inadequacy, Georgie pulls out the pin from the fire extinguisher with a confident jerk, he throws it on the grass, and scoffs, use my phone, he tells her scathingly, pointing at his house, without a word, she turns and races for his front door, Georgie walks into Claudia's burning house and stands in the doorway of the kitchen, watching as the room becomes one coarse blaze, he aims the fire extinguisher at the cabinets and begins to spray, watching the white foam as it singes black spots into the fire, that ignore it completely, pissing down a well, Georgie thinks, and closes his eyes blissfully, when the extinguisher runs out, the fire rages on, Georgie takes a step back from the flames, which have only grown hotter, the bulge builds in his shorts, without warning, his huge cock peeks out between the soft flaps, it thrusts itself forward toward the flames, with a cry, Georgie erupts onto the damage he has caused, the semen spurts in short little gusts, which hiss and boil as they strike the hot floor, Georgie takes another step back, beaten down by the scorching flames, seeing there is no hope for the house now, his cum becomes an impossible stream, a pure, lasting orgasm that splashes wetly from the tip of his penis and dissolves into steam in the heat of the fire, step by slow step, Georgie backs away from the fire, spewing constantly until he reaches the front doorway, the light from the midday sun strikes warm on his back, and his dick suddenly sags, lifeless, Georgie staggers backward a few more steps, an idiot grin on his face, with a drooling, gurgling sigh, he collapses backwards onto the lawn, when the blaring red fire engines finally pull up in front of Claudia's house, flames are flickering teasingly from the attic windows, Claudia is huddled over Georgie, whom she has dragged away from the front of the building after carefully tucking his limp dick back into his shorts, my god, he mutters under his breath, his eyelids fluttering rapidly, my god, was it good for you Claudia can't help but think that Georgie is delusional, not that great, she mutters, she watches as fire Fighters' hoses do nothing against the roaring inferno that was once her home. Shit, what am I going to do now? She wonders out loud. Georgie's eyes open wide. He grins a slow grin. You can stay with me, he says quite lucidly. Then he laughs, so quietly, and coughs the last bit of smoke from his lungs. Claudia moves in. Part 2 Claudia skips over to Georgie's old style country home. Her house is a charred pile, and the insurance company is balking at payment. Sure, it is not the first time she has ever moved in with a guy, but it is a step forward in her and Georgie's relationship. It's not really a relationship, Claudia has to remind herself constantly, it's an arrangement, a purely financial arrangement, it is only going to last until the insurance money comes through on her house, but that could take years, Claudia thinks, with a sly nod, 
Yes, Georgie looks up slowly from his perch on the porch when Claudia crosses the lawn. She is skipping actually skipping. She leaps up the front stairs with a single bound, then spreads her arms above her head in the sign for victory. Not bad, for a lady in her forties, Georgie thinks. This bodes well on the prospects of their sex life. It's just until the insurance comes through, Georgie points out. Nothing to get excited about. Claudia hangs her head, her mood crushed. Hey, I thought I was the one supposed to be torturing you, Mr. Georgie, she thinks. She tries out an evil grin, and the look of shock on his face cements her instinct. Lesson number one learned, never show Georgie your true feelings. I'm just thinking of all the fun we're going to have, she pouts, raising her eyebrows. Georgie shudders and gives a small smile of anticipation. Claudia laughs. It was just the reaction she was hoping for. Asking Claudia to move in was probably the best, and worst, decision of his life. Georgie ponders this epiphany as she plucks the hair from his forearms, one by one, with a pair of tweezers. It was the best decision because now she can't torture him with her absence, which was getting really annoying. Now, Georgie feels like he is getting what he pays for, and maybe a little extra. However, it's the worst decision because he has to see every side of her now. Sometimes she is happy or silly, even though he can tell she tries very hard to be neither of those things when he is watching. Still, no one is perfect. Seeing Claudia in a pleasant mood, in a celebratory mood, kills for Georgie the little sadomasochistic fantasy he is trying to live out with her. It's a buzzkill, is what it is. Georgie has the chance to examine Claudia from all angles. Now, he knows about the tiny wrinkles on the underside of her butt cheeks. He knows about the shining yellow earwax that adorns the outer rim of her irkinel. He knows the yellow glow of the whites of her eyes, and the myriad arteries that grace them. He knows too much. In short, on the plus side, Georgie gets to torture Claudia a little, too. After all, she is living under his roof, and it is in his nature to do so. Hey Claudia, you want to get me a glass of water he says lazily one afternoon? Do I look like your damn housemate? She fires back in reply. No, although you are on the payroll. Georgie muses, unless you'd rather not be Claudia slams shut the book she was reading and stands up. She makes a snarling grimace at the backside of his head. Georgie is not exactly sure how he knows this, but he does. Claudia stomps into the kitchen, muttering. When she returns, she is holding a tall glass of water. She holds it high above him, presenting it to him like a bottle of wine. Georgie nods, smirking, with an expression that echoes the contempt of his. Claudia pours the water into his lap. It is scalding hot. Georgie howls with pain and pleasure. It she yells, a he sucks her in through his teeth. Claudia's smile falters slightly he can see he has an opportunity. Eyeballs, Georgie groans, damn it, I think, ow he screeches, damn it, Claudia, you burned my nutsack. Shit he bends over his crotch protectively, oh god, Georgie are you okay? I didn't think, she sputters, ah, uh, ah uh, Georgie yells, I might never have an erection again what if you broke it? Fuck Claudia is crying now, really scared, Georgie, I didn't know she cries. You've got to believe me, I wouldn't have, if I knew. God, it was such a stupid, petty thing to do. Stupid. Georgie, I'm so sorry, Tess pour down Claudia's cheeks. Please, please forgive me, she begs. Hey, it's probably nothing, Georgie says simply, and sits back in his chair. He smirks at her once more. Claudia rocks back on her heels, shocked, as she realizes she's been duped. Lesson number two, she thinks. Never believe a thing that Georgie says. Claudia mopes around Georgie's old-style country home. At first she was excited to move in with him. However, Claudia has lost her excitement about the move. For one thing, neither she nor Georgie have a job. The closest thing Claudia has to a job is the perpetual dormant of Georgie. This was easy when she could do so by absenting herself. But at this point, living with him, she has nowhere else to go. She has to actually do stuff. Claudia drifts into the kitchen, which she has managed to scrub to a dull, sterile shine. The appliances glint dreadfully. When she opens the refrigerator, all that greets her is ketchup and steak sauce, repeats a box with one dry slice left, three beers in an ancient 12-pack, and a sadomasochistic porno mag. She picks up the pizza slice, leaving the empty box, and grabs a beer. Thinking twice, she nips the S&M magazine off the middle shelf, thinking it wouldn't hurt to get a few new ideas. Georgie seems pretty tired of the sick burn and testy pinching bit he may have left the magazine in the refrigerator for her to find, or absent mendedly set it down and forgot it, or, for some unknown reason, 
decided that porn belongs in the refrigerator, with Georgie, it is impossible to know, Georgie enters the room just as she is leaving, and they both avoid each other's gaze, for the last several days they have been floating around like this, pretending to be invisible, it is easier, somehow, easier than reconciling her paycheck with the attachment that would otherwise grow between them, that has been growing, whether we like it or not, she slides past him in the doorway, looking down at the molding that lines the whole floor, keeping her eyes on her toes, she walks up the stairs to the red bedroom that she has made her own, she flops against the red and white doors canopy bed, enjoying the sense of disorientation and dizziness that comes over her from days and days of nothing stacked together all in a row. She begins to eat. Claudia flips through the magazine as she tears at the stale pizza with her teeth, looking at the pictures with a combination of loathing and embarrassment. When it comes down to it, the pictures are just funny she wants to laugh, but when she thinks about actually trying the whip and the thumb screws, it makes her feel a little sick. She licks the crumbs from her fingers and softens the last bit of dry crust in her throat with a long, cool gulp of beer. She laughs, softly, and tries to blink small tears from her eyes. She chucks half the beer and turns the page. The face on the man in the next page makes her gasp for a moment, until she realizes that it is not Greg. Not really. Oh, she moans in disappointment. She examines what he is doing, and finally notices the woman in the picture. They are twisted into crazy, deformed shapes. His face is marked with pain, hers crazed with triumph. The blood glistens so moistly on his skin that Claudia can almost hear it drip, dripping onto the hardwood floors. Claudia polishes off the last of the beer, touching the picture lightly with her fingertips. With a flash she sees herself as the girl in the picture, and Greg below her whimpering in pain and desire, she sees herself standing triumphantly over him. With a small moan she presses herself against the pillows, touching herself carefully. A small smile spreads across her face. When she's done, she tiptoes to the doorway, still naked. Georgie. Claudia's voice is a chime that echoes in Georgie's ears as he rummages through the cupboards to figure out where she hid all the damn coffee cups. He perks up, he peculates, he moves over to the stairs with two long steps. Yeah he calls, would you come up here, darling she says in a deep, seductive voice. Georgie shrugs and trudges up the stairs. What is it he says before he turns into the room? As he takes a step inside, the light goes out. He is plunged into darkness. Claudia's voice seems to bleed out of the walls. Just one more step in, Georgie. She coaxes him, wait, stop. Now on to your right, Georgie breaks into a sweat. A low rumble sounds in the darkness before him, seeming to come from the floor. Watch out, Claudia purrs. You don't want to wake it up, do you? Georgie feels himself shrinking, but as he is shrinking the walls close in on him he can't see them but he can feel the air of the room grow tighter, more dense. The air wraps around him, trapping him in place. He can't breathe. Claudia he screams. Let me out. Claudia's laugh echoes from the walls. She is not in the room with him. There is no room. Claudia Georgie screams. He flails with his arms and strikes hardwood on every side. His wrist tingles where it has struck the wall. His elbow explodes in a series of sparked nerves. He turns back around, beating at the door behind him, which is not a door anymore but a wall. Not a room but a box. A dark, airless box. This is my coffin. Georgie realizes with a terror that chokes him and brings him to his knees. I'm dying. I'm dead. She killed me. Who killed you? Ben? Not me. Doctor C. Not me. Georgie collapses into dark nothing. His slumping body knocks the side of the coffin, bringing it crashing down to the floor. Georgie lies in it helplessly, in a daze, his fingers twitching feebly against the wood. When Georgie wakes up, he's in his bed with Claudia. The sheets around him are thrashed, twisted up like a thick rope. The ones around Claudia are somehow unmoved, as smooth as sand dunes in moonlight. A dream he wonders, or did she wait until I passed out and haul me into bed? Claudia rolls over, and even asleep the look on her face is triumphant, gloating. Georgie will never know if it was a dream or not. Well wait, then was it a dream or wasn't it? How am I supposed to know, Doctor C? When I'm Georgie, and he's me, I only know what Georgie knows, and he, does Georgie know what you know, Ben? Sheesh, Doctor C lighten up a bit, Well, yeah, I can't tell you, yet, can't tell yet. Georgie feels a cold hand wrap around his heart, he rolls himself over and attempts to go back to sleep. The blue full moon lights up Georgie and Claudia on the white sand beach. They are a happy-go-lucky, 
fun couple, all perfectly white-toothed smiles and sleepy, bedroom looks. It's as though they are posing for cheap promotional brochures for some ritzy beachside resort or sweaty tourist spa. Georgie and Claudia chase each other playfully around the big white sandlot. Claudia dips her feet in the white foam seawater as she sits at the edge. Georgie tries to lick Claudia's wet, gritty feet, but Claudia girlishly grinds his face into the salty tide water, using her perfectly manicured, stylish feet to hold his head down. Georgie's hair bobs up and down with the rising and falling waves as Claudia laughs. As the sun sets, Georgie and Claudia dance in the empty beach parking lot, near his sporty, gull-winged car. The car's CD player is set on high volume, playing 80s disco music with a pulsing, throbbing beat, but slightly shrill and nervingly dinny through the metal speakers. In the background, a silent fire alarm wails. During the day, Georgie is a zombie, his dreams unsettle, unnerve him. He's terrified they are real, and that he doesn't know it. He's afraid that they are false and the daytime is what's actually real. He's afraid to sleep, or afraid to wake up. He's fearful he might be going crazy. Georgie zombies through the kitchen, the living room, the front porch, onto the back stoop, and over again. Sometimes he zombies on the couch, just staring at the wreck of Claudia's old burned down house. That must be real, if he can see it, if it's there all the time. That must be real, at least. Georgie is so out of it that when the house phone rings, he actually answers it for once. Giawachi boy his mother's voice cries out joyously over the line. Lord, I thought I would never hear your voice again. How you been, Giawachi of all the times to forget to let the answering machine get it. Hi, Ma, Georgie mutters. Claudia, in the next room, pricks up her ears. Georgie can see mischief brewing in her brain, and he makes haste to avoid it. Hey, I can't talk right now, Ma, he says. I'm pretty busy. What? You are think you're some kind of big shot. Mr. G.O.G. his mother teases. Mr. Big Shot don't have time for his own mother Claudia's and snakes around the side of his head and plucks the receiver from his hands. Mrs. Gust Claudia says pleasantly, I am so glad you called. Her eyes narrow wickedly. Georgie can hear his mother asking and who might you be? I can't say I'm surprised Georgie hasn't mentioned me to you yet. Claudia schmozzes. He's such a secretive little devil, isn't he? Georgie can hear his mother most rapidly assenting, and knows that the battle is lost before he can even begin fighting. His mother will love Claudia. Discussing Georgie's many faults is something she can go on about for hours. He sits down heavily on the floor and looks up at her, begging her not to do too much damage. For God's sake, please don't invite us to dinner, he prays. I'm Georgie's girlfriend, Claudia reveals. His living girlfriend, the sound of his mother babbling in disbelief rises so much that Claudia has to hold the receiver away from her ear. She smirks at Georgie. I know, Mrs. Gust, Georgie's quite a catch. She winks at him. Yes, yes you're Georgie. Georgie Gust, Claudia knows. That's the one Georgie can make out the sound of his mother inviting them. Oh, we must have you over for dinner. I'd be so pleased to meet you and your husband. Oh, yes. Georgie is delighted too. Next Thursday. Perfect. Claudia laughs. Oh, yes. I'm writing it on the calendar. Next Thursday. I promise. Bye. Mrs. G with a triumphant smile. Claudia hands the phone back over to Georgie. She wants to talk to you. She says. Giawachi his mother yells at him. How'd you get such a nice girlfriend? I can't wait to see you two on Thursday. I love her already. A pause. She's not one of those vegetarians. Is she Georgie? Claudia's voice is a raspy, raw-edged thing that sets Georgie's heart beating. He runs to the stairs, knowing what's to come and wanting it anyway. Yeah he calls. Would you come up here? Darling she says in a deep voice that is not quite her own. He takes the stairs two at a time. What is it he says before he turns into the room. He sees her. She's lying on her side, facing the doorway, naked. She pats the bedspread beside her. Just more of the same, she says with an evil gleam in her eye. He takes two steps and a hop that lands him on the bed. He grins. You just lie back, she commands. Georgie complies. With a few deft gestures, she frees his already hard cock from his khakis, a nip of his nipple and a quick, bruising pinch of nails at his pudgy sides. Claudia then lowers her face to his groin. All, all right, he stutters, watching her intently. She goes down, pulling his shaft up, up inside her mouth. Her tongue is moist and does a little dance around him. He moans as all the blood rushes to the very ends of him. Slowly, Claudia clenches her teeth against him. Ah, ow, Georgie warns her. She laughs, the sound muffled by his big pussy spear. She sucks him hard and he moans oh, then her teeth scrape him again. Ow, Georgie says. Claudia swiftly pulls her head up. She glares at him with her glittery green eyes. Shut up, 
She commands. He opens his mouth, and then snaps it shut. She sucks him down again and Georgie can feel himself starting to disappear inside of her, down the black tunnel of her throat. She is scraping, scraping him away like a cheese grater, and soon he will be nothing but a tiny little carrot, and then a stub, and then nothing. He cries out with terror and pain, but the blood pounds faster and faster into his ditty feels the pain as a kind of ecstasy. It moves his blood, everything drops the pain and the pleasure together pounding in his ears. Georgie screams oh god, oh fuck as everything rises up in him all at once. Claudia jerks her head up with one final slash of her teeth. She wipes her mouth and grins, what, what, no, I'm so close Georgie pleads, she smirks at him, HM, that's too bad, she says, lifting herself off the bed and swiftly pulling her clothes back on, Georgie's dick and balls are screaming at him, throbbing still, he looks down, expecting the whole thing to be in shreds, instead it pulses purple at him, an angry tower, now even my cock hates me, Georgie thinks as Claudia gives one last flip of her hair, at the doorway, she looks over her shoulder for a final gloat, who didn't think it would be that easy, the douchey taunts him, and then she is gone, dinner with the gusts, Giawajimus's gust screeches, when she opens the door to her son, Jiawaji, you haven't been over in ages Mama Gust is a huge woman dressed completely in purple spandex, her hair poofs around her thick jowls like a ball of cotton, one forgotten curl hangs from a lock behind her ear like jewelry, when she wraps Georgie in a hug, her body engulfs him, sucking him into the fat rolls of her enormous belly, for a moment, he cannot breathe, and Claudia she yells, Georgie snorts at the accuracy of her misnomer, Claudia has claws, alright, Claudia, you're so old Georgie laughs out loud at the look on Claudia's face, it looks like she is about to get a little more than she bargained for, well I'm sorry, dear, but you must know that Georgie here is only 32, and Georgie's mother seems to remember what a lovely girl Claudia is, but who am I to judge she concludes, you two are happy, Arantia Georgie and Claudia nod uncomfortably, without looking at each other, well it's that, and Georgie's mother brushes her hands together and shifts herself out of the doorway so Claudia and Georgie can enter, the front hall is enormous it is clear to Claudia that the gusts of money, a curving marble staircase ascends to her right, a chandelier drips from the vaulted ceiling, your father's at the table Georgie's mother yells to them as she disappears down a long hall, dinner will be out in a minute not my father, Georgie mutters, glancing at Claudia, she just shrugs, whatever she comments, Georgie leads her into the dining room, where they are greeted by another crystal chandelier, a shining darkwood dining table large enough to seat twelve, and Georgie's father, who rises up from his third martini, the flush in his face and the gleam in his eye gives him that away, Georgie boy he says, a little too loudly, Georgie boy, you finally came, and with a girl, too, he appraises Claudia with a knowing eye, a pretty little thing, isn't she he says finally, she's in her forties Georgie's mother screams from the kitchen, Claudia flinches, now don't listen to her, Georgie's father says in a low voice, taking Claudia by the elbow, she's just jealous, he winks and guides her to her place at the table, Georgie pops open the bottle of wine they have brought for the occasion and serves Claudia, himself, and his mother a glass, Georgie's father declines, gesturing to the martini pitcher on the sideboard, gotta dance with the girl that brung ya, he jokes, in a few minutes, Georgie's mother sails from the kitchen with a rolling cart packed with food they ham, scalloped potatoes, asparagus wrapped in prosciutto, tomato slices topped with basil and broiled mozzarella, and a huge bowl of fresh garden salad, well, help yourselves Georgie's mother cries, you both look about half starved, thank you, Mrs. Gust, this looks amazing, Claudia says politely, hiding her smile, Georgie's mother heaps an extra spoonful of potatoes on Claudia's plate, oh, I do what I can, she says, there is only the sound of chewing and the mumbling of appreciative comments for a while, then, so where did you two meet, then Georgie's mother asks, oh, we were neighbors, Claudia explains, didn't have too far to move, then, did you Georgie's mother jokes, Georgie and Claudia both nod, HM, Georgie's father mumbles into his ham, so Georgie's Tourette's doesn't bother ya, then Georgie's mother continues, it runs most of the goils off, then again, with you being so old and all, ma Georgie whines, Claudia's not old, well, the girl knows her age, Georgie's mother says huffily, she turns back to Claudia, anyway, we're just so glad that you gave our Jiawaji a chance, he needs a lady around, 
someone to pick up after him. You take good care of our boy, don't you Claudia? Claudia grins. Of course, Mrs. Gust. Georgie's a little rough around the edges, but he cleans up real nice. She reaches over and ruffles up his hair. Both Georgie and his mother stare at the affectionate gesture. Georgie's father snickers slightly. The Tourette's isn't catching. You know, Georgie's mother says, continuing on her favorite topic. You don't need to worry about coming down with it. The yeah kids might. Ma Georgie snaps. The last thing he needs is his mom putting ideas in Claudia's head. Ma, he continues on more quietly. How is everything down at the club oh, same as ever, Jiawajidia, she says, patting his hand with her own, those same bitches always sniffing round with their noses in the air, and your father's tennis game is as bad as ever, I don't know why we bother to keep up our membership, Huey, it's so damn expensive, dear, it doesn't matter that it's expensive, Georgie's father says very carefully, we already have more money than we know what to do with, Claudia glances over at Georgie, to confirm that this is true, his face is still a stone, but she can tell that Georgie knows his father is right, this explains so much, like why Georgie never seems to worry about not having a job, so, Mr. and Mrs. Gust, Claudia breaks the tension, where did you two meet oh, it was so romantic Georgie's mother gushes, we met at the beach, under the moonlight, do ya remember it, Huey no, number, we met at the restaurant, remember he shakes his head disdainfully and turns to Claudia, well, we knew each other in high school, of course, but we met up again at a restaurant here in town, or, I like the beach story better, Huey Georgie's mother whines playfully, well you can't make it more real just because you like it better Georgie's father snaps, Claudia and Georgie begin to pay very close attention to the food on their plates, gosh, Huey, don't get so upset, Georgie's mother says in a hushed voice, we've got company, Georgie's father mumbles, polishes off his martini, and attends to his potatoes, we met at the beach, Georgie's mother continues, as if nothing at all had happened, at a party, we were so young back then, but even then, I knew that Huey would ask me to marry him, someday, oh, we danced all night, she stops abruptly and looks at Claudia and Georgie, do you two go dancing she demands, you really should, maybe Giawachi's got two left feet, but you should still go dancing, Georgie shrugs, maybe sometime, Claudia says, Georgie's mother nods, once, twice, three times, finally, she says, are you ready for some dessert, I bet you're ready for some dessert, she stands up and waddles from the room, Georgie's father helps himself to the martini pitcher on the sideboard, while Claudia tries to catch Georgie's eye, she had come here to humiliate Georgie in front of his family, to torture him with their disapproval and disgust, but she finds that she is too late, they already disapprove and are disgusted enough with Georgie, they can hardly stand each other, let alone him, having dinner with his parents is torture enough, for him, Claudia wonders if there is a way to utilize dinner with the parents torture without her actually having to be there, but she suspects that if she is not there to drag Georgie along, he probably wouldn't go, she can't really blame him, here it is Georgie's mother sings out as she comes back through the door, she has a three-tiered cake on a beautiful silver pedestal, blazing with candles, it's for your birthday, Jiawachi she sets the cake down on the table, the top is decorated with race cars and checkered flags, it's not my birthday, Georgie says solemnly, still, his eyes light up as he looks at the cake, it might just be the glow of the candles, though, it's for all the birthdays you are missed having with us, Georgie's mother said, Claudia wonders if the guilt trip is on purpose, but all she can detect in the woman's face is a happy glow, Georgie's mother exudes guilt, it is not that she tries to make people feel bad, it is just that her very existence makes people feel bad, when Giawachi was little, he always wanted to be a race car driver, Georgie's mother explains to Claudia, ever since he was little, he wanted to be a driver, who wouldn't Claudia exclaims, when no one is looking, Claudia sneaks one of the candles off the top of the cake, she holds it at an angle under the table, so that the hot wax drips slowly on the crotch of Georgie's pants, she knows it doesn't hurt him not much at least, it is more like a pact, of sorts, or a gesture of friendship, Georgie finds her free hand with one of his and squeezes it, tight, she can see a tiny tear glimmering in the corner of his eye, then, with her long suffering sigh, Georgie blows the candles out, the fruits of his labor, isolate me, destroy me, tear up my eyeballs and do your dance in the sockets, 
You know you love me, I know you hate me, let's love and hate our way to the bank, to the grave, to the back of my shiny new car, trap me, smother me, strangle me to nothingness, I want your blood and flesh to become apparent to me I want to meet your hungry, tearing in it to go, there's only one way to go, now, and that is to disappear and your loving strangle, your twisting dark galaxy, isolate me, love me, destroy me, Georgie opens his eyes and realizes that everyone is staring at him, everyone, who are these people, why am I here, don't you remember Claudia's voice taunts him, you wanted this, Georgie blinks and looks around, not finding Claudia anywhere, instead he is surrounded by a wall of faces, they all stare at him, mouths agape, a child makes a small sound and its mother pulls it close, protecting its face with her hands, what Georgie finally croaks, a man steps out from the crowd, just what do you think you're doing the man asks, his voice is angry, though his eyes convey something of a smirk, I, I don't know, Georgie says, the man's face distorts with mocking hate, there's obviously something wrong with him, a woman to his left whispers, Georgie looks down at himself, he is naked, Georgie staggers away from the people, trying to hide himself behind his hands, his face is a ball of fire that ends in bright splashes on his back, fuck, Georgie mutters, fuck, 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 he has no idea how he came to be naked in the streets, only the vague sense that it is Claudia's fault, he doesn't even know where he is, he steps into three different stores before finding someone who will not scream and thrust him back out into the street again, finally, he steps into a dingy corner drugstore, which is being watched over by wrinkled old clerk who has probably seen everything there is to see, can I use your phone Georgie asks desperately, panting, the clerk eyeballs him, from the slight fat rolls of his neck to his thick ankles, you'd better cover up, the clerk says slowly, his face doesn't twitch not even an inch, Georgie gapes at the man, he gestures up and down the length and width of his naked body, I can't, he squeaks, I just woke up like this, the clerk shrugs, he points to the bargain bin in the corner, which overflows with t-shirts, buy a t-shirt, then you can use the phone, the old man suggests, does it look like I have my wallet on me Georgie frantically gestures to his pocket less, bare legs, the old clerk raises his eyebrows, and points at Georgie's right hand, Georgie lifts his hand, and realizes that he has been holding his wallet the whole time, really he wonders, what's real, really, Georgie pulls out a tin and buys a t-shirt, it is so long that the cotton falls around his knees, he feels like a little kid in an old fashioned nighty. the old man smiles, phones back here, he says, gesturing behind the counter, Georgie comes around to the back of the counter and feels an instant sense of relief, from behind the counter, his legs are hidden, to anyone on the other side of the counter, he's just a guy wearing a really long t-shirt, hello Ben's voice speaks into his ear through the phone, Ben, Georgie gasps with relief, Ben, you got her to come get me, I'm, I'm, Claudia, shit, you just have to come get me, now there is a muffled sound on the other end of the phone, sure thing, Mr. Gust, where are you up, Georgie looks around him, then lifts his mouth over the top of the receiver, hey, he asks the clerk, where am I the old man snorts unbelievingly, don't ask me, he says, what, you mean you don't know where we are Georgie exclaims, it's your store, isn't it though, I know where I am, the old man says, a smile tugging the corner of his wrinkled old mouth, but as for yourself, I thoroughly believe you are somewhere else entirely, yes he, maybe, 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 baby, just the address please, he sighs, when Georgie hangs up the phone, the clerk gestures towards the door, no pants, no service, he says, bad for business, but you don't sell any pants, Georgie points out, the shopkeeper crosses his arms and sighs heavily through his nose, what if I stay behind the counter Georgie pleads, no one can tell I'm not wearing pants when I'm back here, the old man slowly shakes his head, last thing I need is a man swinging loose behind my counter, he says roughly, Georgie suddenly gets the idea that this might be one of those stores that carries a shotgun somewhere behind the counter, he whisks himself out to the street and leans against the corner of the building, trying to hide in its narrow shadow, finally, 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 Ben pulls up in the limo, when Georgie arrives back at his house, Claudia is reading a book in the living room, did you have a nice time she asks without looking up, 
What do you think Georgie yells, he gestures to the long t-shirt, which drifts around him like Granny's nightshirt. Claudia looks at him finally, she snorts, this isn't what I wanted Georgie wails, he sits down across from her, the shirt rides up to his waist, exposing his balls, they look shriveled and sad, peeking out from under the cotton drape, he doesn't seem to notice or if he does, he doesn't seem to care, how did you do it he insists. Claudia points her chin at the bookshelf. One of the books has been pulled from its place and lies face down on the shelf, its binding facing outward. Everyday hypnotism, Georgie reads out loud. Christ, with a sinking feeling, Georgie realizes Claudia could do the same thing to him again. Every day, if she wanted to, he doesn't even know what the trigger is, there is no way to stop her, to undo what she has done. From this moment onward, Georgie's nakedness is her plaything, her their plastic doll. She can dance his boys out on the street anytime she wants. The fear of her power over him tightens in his gut. This is part of the torture. You can't do this kind of stuff, Georgie explains, what will people think Claudio looks at him steadily, since when do you care what people thinks he can't, Georgie mutters, you love it, she insists, Georgie pulls out his wallet and gives her an extra grand for the month, although he would never say it out loud, the money is proof enough, she has earned it, where do you come up with this shit Claudia smiles vacantly, her eyes cold and unrevealing, she says nothing, shuddering, Georgie turns from her and moves carefully upstairs, later that afternoon, Georgie hears the doorbell ring, he doesn't move, maybe it is the police, to take him in for public exposure, if not this time, sooner or later they will come, the doorbell rings again, and he realizes that Claudia has not answered it, he grudgingly trudges downstairs, he can hear voices in the doorway, when he reaches the bottom of the staircase, the door clicks closed, the hall is empty, Georgie moves to the window that overlooks the front porch, who is she talking to, rage and injustice course through him as he considers the thought that Claudia might have struck up acquaintance with an old lover, he peeks carefully between the blinds, she is talking a woman, whose back is to Georgie, I just wanted to make sure he's okay, the woman says, the voice is Margaret's, Georgie's heart skips a beat, a friend of mine saw him downtown earlier today, he's fine, Claudia says with a slippery smile, the afternoon sun slides across her cheek, really, I mean, of course he's embarrassed about it, but he is taking the whole thing really well, Margaret sits down on a wicker chair, turning so Georgie can see her face, she frowns, I just don't understand how it could have happened, it's not the sort of thing that happens by accident, Claudia looks at Margaret with something close to pity, Georgie has issues, Margaret, she says, you can't just take a person to meet the Dalai Lama and assume he'll be magically healed, well then he's not doing alright, is he Margaret says heatedly, Claudia cuts her off with a gesture, he's seeing someone, it's being taken care of well, I, I just want to make sure he's okay, that's all, Margaret stutters, of course you do, Claudia sniffs, you spend two weeks nursing him back to health in an exotic location and then the second you get back you abandon him, you want to make sure that he's okay only as long as that means that you don't have to do anything, Georgie feels a pang in his stomach as he watches Margaret's face twitch with guilt, he wants to yell, don't hurt my friend but he doesn't, he just keeps watching, I, I, Margaret stutters, you have no stake in his future, anymore, Claudia insists, I'm taking care of Georgie now, full time, Claudia stretches herself up tall, and Georgie is amazed by what an imposing figure she seems, Margaret's face fills with a suppressed panic, oh she says creakily, then she seems to find some strength in herself, well I can only hope he's in good hands, then, she snarls, and then flees the porch before Claudia can say another word, at the sight of Margaret's small figure turning swiftly onto the road, Georgie feels the dark not inside of him grow bigger, Margaret he thinks, but he can't quite finish the thought, Claudia turns back toward the house, a satisfied smirk curling her lips, she notices Georgie peeking out at her from the blinds and laughs. Georgie looks up at her in horror. She's my friend Georgie yells at her through the window. She frowns for only a second, then she mocks him, her voice muffled by the glass. Oh, poor Georgie, your friends don't like you anymore, do they? She says in a sing-song voice. He gapes at her. She steps inside the front door. It's your own damn fault, she hisses her, face coming close to his. She is right. Georgie sinks into the despair that is clamoring inside him, trying to find peace in numbness. Instead, he finds only turmoil and fear. The misery is part of the torture, he reminds himself. 
but still he finds it difficult to believe. This is not what I wanted. Something insists. It is, you're so pathetic. Claudia continues. She can see that he is sinking, but wants to plunge him under. You care so much about what other people think that it even makes you look desperate. The well-trained Georgie tries to argue no, I'm an individual but the secret. Drowning Georgie knows that what she is saying is true. He despises himself. You're so pathetic. You beg for love and attention, but don't even know how to get it. Claudia continues. You're such an idiot, hopping around in that silly blue hat, moping after your cigarettes like a fucking zombie. If you want people to like you, why don't you just act like a normal person? Georgie tries to straighten up as an overwhelming rage builds in him. FFF, FF fuck you he shouts. He charges out the front door, turning up the street in the direction where Margaret went. She is nowhere to be seen, but he keeps walking anyway. It's all in a day's work Claudia dreams that she is having dinner with Augusts, except that instead of the ham, there is an entire roast pig on the table, an apple shoved in its snout, and there are tall, slim candles lighting the dark wood table, dripping rivulets of wax, wasted wax. Claudia thinks in the dream, Georgie's mother comes to the table with a pair of thick, round goggles over her eyes and a leather helmet on her head. She sits, Giawaji always wanted to be a driver, she says, Ma Georgie whines, in Claudia's dream he is only five years old, although everyone treats him like he is thirty. Georgie and I are lovers Claudia blurts out, everyone looks up at her, now she has done it, well why wouldn't she be, dear Georgie's mother asks, dishing out more potatoes, through the dream, Claudia realizes that Georgie is not married, he is not Greg, she can't hurt Georgie in the same way that she wants to hurt Greg, and hurting Georgie will not hurt Greg, not one bit, Claudia wakes up from the dream filled with an aching sense of loss, for some reason, she can't say why, it feels like someone she loved very dearly has just died, Georgie, Claudia says quietly, kindly one evening, he looks up at her in surprise, her eyes are wide, her expression innocent and caring, Georgie feels a sudden certainty that everything they have been through in the last few months has just been a dream, he will wake up any minute and discover that they are actually happy together, and consider it, the American dream couple on the outside and in, maybe they will go for a drive in his shiny black car and dance together on the beach, he is surprised at the sudden bliss this thought gives him, that a satisfying, loving relationship with Claudia is the dream, the nightmare is the reality, he realizes, the bliss between the moments of torture, the accidental currents of happiness, is what makes up his orgasm now his life is just one torturous sexual act interspersed with brief spurts of joy and relief from pain, I was thinking, Claudia continues, looking on him with eyes filled with, only somewhat false, adoration, what if we went out for dinner tonight, like, an actual date her voice sinks down to a whisper, like real couples do, Georgie wonders again if the whole arrangement is a lie, his mind could have created all the torment during an episode, a way to explain all the pain of their normally loving relationship, but that is impossible, is it, Ben, is it really, why yeah, sure, he stutters, looking up at her with hope, wonderful, Claudia seems to glow, she drops down and plants a lingering kiss on his forehead, I have to take a shower, shouldn't we look nice Georgie can only nod in silence, Georgie and Claudia step out of his shiny black sedan in front of the neighborhood's premier Italian restaurant, Claudia is dressed to the nines in a slinky green dress that shimmers with her eyes, her hair falls in soft, red waves down her back, Georgie wears a dark grey suit with pale blue pinstripes, they glide together to the front door of the restaurant, a doorman in a tuxedo opens it as they arrive, Georgie, it's beautiful, Claudia says in a hushed tone as they enter the dining room, it is dimly lit, but filled with mirrors, lighted candles, and glinting crystal, the two are seated in red leather chairs in a corner near the window, where the glow of nearby shops lights their faces, thank you, Georgie, Claudia says after a sip of water, her eyes seem to shine, almost, almost, Georgie convinces himself that their arrangement is a lie, that this momentary connection and consideration are truth, almost, their conversation is light and pleasant, without any bitterness or mention of what has passed between them in the last weeks, Claudia's face seems to glow in the candlelight her freckles have all disappeared, when Georgie squints, he decides that Claudia's hair looks almost like Margaret's, the waitress is attractive, tall, and graceful, 
Her eyes shine, too, as she meets Georgie's gaze, his momentary happiness overflows, and he smiles at her radiantly, he includes Claudia in his smile, feeling suddenly like the three of them wholly understand each other, that the world is at peace, that they are all at one with themselves and the universe, when the waitress glides happily away, Georgie sets his hand on the table, halfway between himself and Claudia, he beckons her with his fingers, this was a good idea, he says, I can't believe you, she hisses, what Georgie frowns, for a moment, he disbelieves his ears, but her face is a horrible sight, despite this she spent making it up, it is twisted into some horrible snarl, an evil mask, she looks like a demon or gargoyle, what do you mean he tries desperately to hang on to his earlier happiness, I saw how you were acting with the waitress, she says, do you think I'm blind she's insane, Georgie realizes in a moment of inspiration, completely nuts, what are you talking about Georgie replies, raising his voice slightly, you know what I'm talking about, you were flirting with her Claudia accuses him, an older couple at the next table look at the two disapprovingly, I was not Georgie says, I didn't say anything, like you need to speak, Claudia scoffs, you have all people should know that you're more attractive when you keep your mouth shut, W where do you, how, Christ, Claudia, we're at one of the nicest restaurants in town and all you can do is insult me don't change the subject, she insists, you were flirting with that girl, she's young enough to be your daughter fellow patrons are becoming tense at Georgie and Claudia's display, some of them stare at Georgie openly, with hostile faces, she's hardly a girl, she could be your daughter, maybe, one of the women at the table nearby gasps, she looks sternly at Georgie and then shares a pitying glance with Claudia, men ask um, the woman mutters to her companion, who knows, I can't believe you Claudia says a little louder, all I want is to have a nice dinner with you that's what I want, to Georgie interrupts, and all you can do is ogle the waitress Claudia barrels forward like a freight train, you disgust me, Georgie could care less about Claudia's disgust, at that moment, the waitress brings their food, Georgie stares unflinchingly at the woman's breasts, she seems nice, he thinks to himself, when he turns to his dinner, Claudia slaps him hard across the face, you're embarrassing me she screams, I spent hours trying to look beautiful for you and in front of all these people you just ignore me and stare at that girl like you're at Hooters or something these people wouldn't have a clue about it if you weren't yelling so loud Georgie, roars back, losing his temper, so you admit it, you were flirting with her Claudia screeches, triumphant, so what if I was Georgie returns, what's the big fucking deal the woman at the nearby table looks sharply at him and he returns her glare, what the fuck are you looking at he snaps, you're always doing this to me Claudia yells, you have no respect for me or for any woman she turns to the sympathetic woman nearby, he walks around naked, you know, she reveals, downtown, it's disgusting, the woman gasps, that was him she murmurs, she whispers something to her partner, with a glare, they both stand up and leave, sexist, one of the women hisses as they pass, bitch, Georgie mutters, he looks down at his food, his appetite gone, you are really something else, Claudia starts in on him again, what does she have that's so great, how Georgie rolls his eyes, nothing, Claudia, you're perfect just the way you are, she grunts, unsure what to make of this sarcasm, can we just eat Georgie asks, poking at his food with a fork, that's all you think about, Claudia says, slamming her napkin down on the table, your stomach, and your dick, pumping the table with her hip as she stands, Claudia glowers down at him, then, she walks out of the restaurant, leaving Georgie alone in front of two lukewarm plates of food, Claudia scurries down to the car in her heels clacking against the sidewalk, the secret to Claudia's fake outs is that they are not really fake, there is a small, secret Claudia inside her, that's actually kind of pissed about the way Georgie and the waitress seem to have a special moment back there, she doesn't think about the fact that she was included in that moment, too, if she did consider that fact, it probably would not help Georgie's case, anyway, a second after she slides her feet across the smooth carpet of Georgie's shiny black car, she doesn't give a shit about the waitress or about Georgie anymore, or so she tells herself, instead, she laughs a quiet chuckle and leans back against the seat, she rolls down the divider that separates her from the driver, hey, Ben, she says, her voice throaty and seductive, howls about a drink when Georgie comes home, the lights in the house are blazing, music plays loudly over the wireless sound system, 
Claudia is nowhere to be seen. Georgie briefly wonders what horrors are in store for him. He wonders if an apology would stave off a torture. An apology would be more likely to cause pain, he decides. Claudia would use the moment of weakness to shred his heart. He pays the bills, after all. What does he need to apologize for? Georgie stands indecisively in his own front entryway. He could turn around and leave. He could run away, and she would never find him. The Galapagos are nice, this time of year. Maybe he should do it. She can have a house as long as he is free of what is in it. He won't. Even if I did run away, Georgie thinks, there would be someone else. Someone else likes her to torture me. There's always a Claudia, no matter what I call her. In that case, Georgie would not be in control. The torturer would be part of the love-hate relationship that he is doomed to always repeat. But with Claudia, at least, Georgie is in control. After all, she is only doing what she does it because he pays her to. Georgie fingers his wallet, wondering if he could pay her to stop. He is afraid of knowing the answer to that question. He goes upstairs. On the covers of his neatly made by Claudia bed, Georgie finds a note. Dearest Georgie, the note reads, My dismay at your behavior at dinner this evening, and my own, can know no bounds. You and I have hurt each other so many times that there is nothing left for us to do. It is obvious, as well, that your affection for me has dwindled, and there can be no reviving it. What else is there for me but despair? You are my shelter and my sustenance. I should so much rather lose my life than my heart. Remember me fondly, love, ever, Claudia Georgie's mind whirls and he considers the note. What does it mean? Has she left him for good? At once his stomach sinks into his groin and his brain rips free of his skull. His thoughts float happily for a second when he thinks about life without Claudia's form of torture. He feels himself becoming aroused at the thought, all his past rationalizations, for a moment, far behind him. Then he looks at the note once more, and is filled with terror, as she, could she have. He races to the bathroom, she lies on the cold tile in a vast swamp of blood. Her arms are sticky with it, her eyes are glassy and horror-filled. Georgie drops to his knees, she's slumped against the counter, which overflows with water from the running sink. The water coats her black, charred skin, exacerbating the still-sparking hair dryer that rests just beside her fingertips. Georgie drops to his knees, her face is bloated and strange, her hands limp at her sides, her toes pointed down just an inch from the lid of the toilet seat. Georgie drops to his knees, she lays in the bathtub, her arm limp over the edge, her face white and empty against the still water. An empty prescription bottle attends a few, last, unswallowed white pills. Georgie drops to his knees, Claudia his voice makes a gargling sound, his tongue seems trapped in his throat. His thoughts are all horror, his heart a bleak, terrified thing, and yet the hope, the small hope that now she has disappeared forever twinges softly at him. Claudia he feels her slippery hand and finds a pulse. The hope disappears in cloud of impossibility and guilt. Georgie slaps her across the face. Jesus, Georgie she yells, sitting bolt upright. I'm not really dying, you dolt. She rubs her face with her hand. Ow, sheesh. She remonstrates him. Georgie gapes at her like a fish. But, the pills, the note, he babbles. Claudia sinks back into the tub and smiles lazily. She lifts a glass of wine from the rim and brings it to her lips. You really think I'd give up all this she says finally. But, what about the waitress? I'll date what the hell do I care if you flirt with the waitress or if you don't Claudia says with a wave of her hand. She closes her eyes. I don't kid myself that I have any hold on you. Yet Georgie looks at her unflinching face. He tests the waters. I guess you don't have a hold on me, he says thoughtfully. He hopes it hurts her, even if it doesn't hurt her, he is glad to say it out loud, if only to show that he doesn't give a shit, either. As Georgie leaves her there he thinks, for just a moment, that he hears her sob. but as he looks back into the tub, Claudia's face is pure, serene, calm, he decides that it was just his imagination. When Georgie wakes up the next morning, all he sees is darkness, darkness again, this time literally. He blinks for a moment, waiting for his eyes to adjust, but there is no light none at all. Before him is only a vast wall of blackness, Georgie pushes his hands up before his face and sits up straight, adrenaline coursing through him. He cries out, one hand brushes against soft cloth, the other clutches the matted substance to his side, he is sitting on carpet, he stands and hits his head on something hard, which vibrates with a soft dong when he strikes it, where am I, Georgie thinks wildly, is this hell, am I dead, Claudia he screams, the light switches on, he is in the closet, sheesh, Georgie, Claudia says, rubbing her eyes, she is wearing her pajamas, what are you doing in the closet, Georgie shakes his head, Claudia shrugs, can you hand me my robe without a word, he hands it to her, 
Claudia closes the door, after a moment, she turns out the light. Georgie sits on the floor in the closet, staring into the darkness. It is quiet, and still, a night with no stars, no moon to confuse it, it is a new kind of nothingness. He likes it all right. Georgie walks down to the kitchen. Claudia is huddled over the coffee maker, making small noises. Her shoulders are shaking a little. Georgie wonders if she is crying. Again? What does she have to be sad about? Anyway, she is not the one who has to undergo daily torture. Georgie scoffs softly and Claudia straightens up. You put me in the closet he says grumpily, grabbing a coffee cup. Claudia sends him a withering glare. Georgie wonders for a moment whether he has begun sleepwalking or if it was another hypnosis trick of Claudia's. Judging from Claudia's face, he figures that he will never know. He decides to laugh. That was pretty stupid, he tells her. I mean, the closet? It's not like I'm claustrophobic or anything. Claudia shrugs. Yeah, you sounded pretty calm and collected when you were thrashing around in there, she says meanly. Hum, Georgie mutters. He pours himself a cup of coffee and stares at her. He remembers the nothingness of the closet. It was not orgasmic, but it was peaceful. It was alright, he thinks. Define all alright, Ben, you're supposed to be the doctor. Doctor C, you tell me, I'm tired of the way you've been treating me, Georgie says. Last night, this morning, I mean, can't you let up even a little Claudia stares at him. You don't pay me to let up, she says finally. I don't even get weekends, so am I supposed to feel sorry for you? You're the one who's torturing me. You've done the most despicable things to me, isolated me from my friends. I can't even try myself right now I never even know where I'm going to wake up anymore Georgie realizes he is screaming now Claudia cringes back from him at every step what do you want me to do Georgie Claudia screams back he is shocked to find that tears are streaming down her face her face is shining red and mottled like a cherry I'm just doing my job now you're telling me I can't even do that right Georgie squirms under her despair it's just that I'm doing it all too well Claudia accuses him you can't handle it is that it how is it my fault if you can't make up your mind he can't believe the storm that he has unleashed you can't ask me to do something and then bitch at me when I do it Claudia wails you can't have it both ways Georgie I can have it any way I want Georgie insists meanly I'm the one that's paying you Claudia's jaw drops open words fail her she bursts into fresh tears you are so cruel she sobs oh shut up Georgie snarls tired of the guilt trip disbelieving her tears you love it you know you do Claudia buries her face in her hands the sound of her crying fills the kitchen the whole house Georgie can't handle her misery he leaves I need a smoke he mutters to himself slamming the door behind him calling out for reinforcements Georgie wanders up and down the aisles of the grocery store for a pack of cigarettes and a small sack of limes in his hand he watches the shelves of goods slide past him red green yellow colored labels it's a rainbow Georgie thinks a rainbow he stands for a moment staring dumbly at a can of fried onions Georgie Margaret calls Georgie, over here when Georgie hears her voice, something in him lifts. He turns to see her waving from the end of the aisle. I stopped by your house the other day, but, Margaret pauses, I wasn't feeling well, Georgie supplies. I heard about, um, what happened, downtown, yes, that Georgie pauses, rubbing his chin meaningfully. That was embarrassing, wasn't it? Well, I've just had some trouble sleeping, lately, I've been sleepwalking, that is, pleased with this fabrication, Georgie asks Margaret how she has been, oh fine, fine, she says, smiling, work, you know, well, I signed my first book deal, I guess you wouldn't have heard about that, right that's great Georgie exclaims with a big smile, you write he thinks, since when do you write, what is the book about he says finally, Margaret looks confused for a moment, oh my god, I never told you about it Margaret beams, I wrote it years ago, and I've been submitting it for publication, I had all but given up but it was finally accepted she says, it's about, well, it's about a girl, like me, but with Tourette's and schizophrenia, well, things get really bad for her, one thing after another, you know, and then she meets a man who can support her, who has the time to care for her and the money, too, well that's just great Georgie's smile is frozen on his face, really, what a great story,
story thank you Georgie Margaret smiles, so, uh, I met your girlfriend the other day, when I came to meet you she says it's like a question, like she is not sure whether Claudia is his girlfriend or not, yes, Claudia, Georgie says, she's just great, isn't she Margaret starts, oh yeah, she mumbles, so, you guys are really happy, how you bet, Georgie grins, he's playing the part of a lifetime, she's like, my soulmate, she's so thoughtful all the time really takes care of me, you know Margaret seems to take his every word as a pain in her heart, she actually flinches, well, as long as you're happy, she says, oh, I am, Georgie assures her, his utter bliss gives her no room for doubt, she puts on a happy face, and the mask is complete, well alright, Georgie, make sure you tell her that I'm glad she's taking such good care of you, Margaret pauses a moment, and a light flashes in her mind, did you get in touch with your nanny, yet what Georgie looks at her blankly, your nanny, the one who used to, you know, I thought you were going to confront her, yet Georgie says, well, no, I haven't found her yet, she's really hard to find, you know she can tell that he's lying, but drops it for now, she places her hand lightly on Georgie's arm, I'm glad that we're still friends, she says, smiling up at him, he smiles back with real pleasure, it sucks to hold a grudge, doesn't it he says, she nods, if you need anything, anything at all, she says quietly, well, you know you can count on me, and with that, she turns and rolls her cart down the next aisle without a backward glance, Georgie knows that Margaret doesn't buy his and Claudia's everlasting bliss, but he would not have it any other way, what is the point of being miserable if everyone knows about it, the house is rocking when Georgie gets back from the store, the windows are blazing light, with only shadows of the people who crowd his living room, music booms their windows and walls, the frame seems to shake and creak from the sound waves, someone yells at him from his own porch, hey, buddy Georgie sneers at the man, sheesh, what's his problem, the man snickers, hey, who invited you, anyway he balls at Georgie's back, Georgie slams through the open front door and bumps into a young party girl on her way out to the porch, she smiles up at him drunkenly, her eyes shining with bright blue makeup, Hey, you got a light she giggles, I need a smokes, she laughs again and looks over her shoulder at no one, did you hear that, a smokes she takes one look at Georgie's face and then slides past him, bumping arms with the man on the porch, a smokes she snickers, and he laughs loudly with her, dropping an arm lightly on her shoulders, ordinarily, Georgie would be all over this party, he would be its wildest fiend, hey party, he would mumble drunkenly, punctuating the air with a pack of smokes, hey party, you ain't seen nothing yet, but not here, not in his own little sanctuary, the cave that he has made for himself, and Claudia, oh number, in Instead he is mad, he wants to go ballistic on Claudia, smack her around a little, something anything, strange alcoholics and druggies have invaded his untidy little world, some are knocking over the stacks in the living room, others are raiding the almost empty refrigerator for mayonnaise scrapings and a last water pickle, worst of all, with all the people, he can't even find Claudia, fucking bitch, he mutters, Georgie walks into the kitchen, where there is a blender going in the corner, is that my blender he wonders, do I have a blender? The man with the controls takes his hand off the top for a moment to grab the belt loop of a pretty little blonde standing next to him. With a triumphant rush, the contents of the blender free themselves, sending an explosion of orange liquid and crushed ice all over the counters and cupboard. Georgie gapes at the mess, the orgasmic spurt of alcohol that has tainted his otherwise sterile environment. Don't worry, man, the guy who took his hand off the top leans his face close to the blonde, although he is talking to Georgie. He fingers a lock of her hair, basks in her willing smile. I'll take care of it. First thing tomorrow, then he addresses the girl like no one else is even there. Shots he suggests. Georgie stomps out into the backyard, where a crowd of 20 and 30-something men and women dance together to the tunings of an iPod and a fat set of speakers. They gyrate, crooning and boning together. The muscle heads have all taken their shirts off, and so have some of the skinnier girls. One girl, a waist along, slender board, wanders around in nothing but matching underwear dark purple lace bouncing from chest to chest as she tries to dance. It is like one big orgy in Georgie's backyard. He is reminded of the fetish houses where he used to play, except the people at this party are almost all, without exception, remarkably attractive. Georgie sees a flash of red, kai, wild, or rangy red, Claudia, he weaves his way through the bodies, 
thumping elbows and pushing past the naked flesh of all the pulsing, sweating dancers, the stench of collective body odor shoves its way up into his nostrils, he tries hard not to gack, the dancers part a minute and he sees a Claudia wedged between two well-muscled young men and doing a good job on both of them, neither of the men can take their eyes off her, and Georgie can hardly blame them, she is wearing her most fetching black leather halter top, her tightest and lowest cut black leather pants, a shimmering red thong pokes up from her ass crack, Claudia sees Georgie and winks at him, she flicks the whip she is holding in her right hand so that it curves gently around the cheek of the young man who rides her belly button, it's a party, Georgie she cries drunkenly, flinging her head back, her hair rises above her face, swirling like flame, I threw you a party I didn't want a fucking party, Claudia he yells, grabbing at her elbow, her eyes open wide, like she is surprised by his anger, he tries to pull her away from the two hunky young men and out of the pumping, thrusting crowd, but one of the men steps in front of him, give the lady some respect, the man says, he crosses his arms over his ridiculously bulging pectorals, yet the other man chimes in, he is stockier than the first, but still bigger than Georgie, hey guys, Claudia laughs, trying to lighten the mood, let's just dance, hi with one last glower, the two boys turn back to their sexy cougar and resume their half-frenzied attempts to fuck a leather-bound ass, they will probably both do it, too, once the sun goes down, Georgie pictures the two of them riding his Claudia, their sweaty and strong young that is working in tandem at her, forming a cage of flesh around his Claudia, jealousy twists through his heart like a thick, rusty wire, shoving him deeper than he knew existed, why does she bother with me if she can get that, Georgie revels in disgust and self-hatred, because you're paying her to, Dumbus, the obvious reply, and that brings along a whole new brand of pain, Georgie thuts up the stairs, in the bedroom, some black-haired bimbo is giving a surfer dude a back massage in Georgie's bed, get the hell out he yells, and they scram, Christ, he mumbles, climbing into the bed with his shoes on, in ten minutes, he is asleep, when Georgie sleeps, he dreams of the deep dark of the closet, the silence and peace, the strange anonymity of blackness, soothe his rattled nerves, my dear, my deepest love, your peace is music to my senses, come and be nothing with me, sink into the bliss of blackness, have a world without, us, when Georgie dreams, Claudia is his slave, he strings her up until she is hanging from the ceiling her wrists chafing from the robe, Georgie, please she screams, terrified, she is not paying him to torture her, after all, he's just doing it for fun, please, Georgie, just let me down, who's Georgie he answers, he laughs, there's no Georgie here, Georgie sharpens a knife carefully as he watches her swing, her eyes soar back and forth with every swipe of the blade, Georgie, I couldn't help it, she gasps, you made me do it you wanted me to, I just did what you wanted me to do, Georgie takes the tip of the knife and embeds it into her calf, she screams, you wanted to do it, he says finally, I asked you for it, but you wanted to do it, he slowly drags the blade down to her ankle, he has to tug on it when he gets towards the bottom, then he slices her Achilles tendon, psycho style, Georgie gets nothing from Claudia now but a series of screams and weepings, no, 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 no she moans, and balls between cuts, how could you do it, how could you know how far to go, how can you know when to stop if you don't know what it's like, Claudia he persuades her, he grabs each side of the cut with his fingers and begins to tear the skin away from the muscle, tearing slowly from the back of the calf all the way to her shin bone, Claudia's screams are a constant, everlasting nightmare of pain, shhh, Georgie soothes her as he gives the skin one last tug, ripping it from her leg, blood drains from her in a series of small waterfalls to the floor, this is for your own good, Georgie soothes her, then he starts to work on her other leg, when Georgie comes back to reality, reality, it is in the strange half darkness of morning, a searing pain in his arm brings him full awake, Georgie tries to sit up, but a heavy weight holds him down, Claudia straddles him, naked, she grins fanatically, her hairy glowing orange halo, good morning, lover, she murmurs, then she slashes at him again with a razor blade, in the chest this time, our Georgie cries, but as the blood seeps from the cut, the exclamation turns to a low moan, the numbness and nothingness of this pure, blessed pain is all that he has missed and more, again he begs, Georgie doesn't hear the Mexican cleaning crew when they arrive, but they can hear him, they stand uncertainly on the front porch as his voice drifts down from the upstairs window, Georgie is moaning and groaning, Sanchez looks over at Ruben, gives him a swift shrug, sounds like fun, 
Hey he mutters, Ruben just grunts, Hey Mary, why don't you get a coffee started Sanchez suggests. He tosses her the keys, Mary is the only Anglo of the crew, but for some strange reason she doesn't speak any English, only Spanish. She stares up at the upstairs window with eyes large in fear, for favor, she whispers, Sanchez gives her no pardon, with trembling fingers, she puts the key in the lock, she enters the house of pain, which echoes with Georgie's cries. Then the door closes behind her, and Ruben and Sanchez each light a cigarette, occasionally glancing upward and snickering, Margaret stands uncertainly at the threshold of Georgie's old-style country home, the door is slightly ajar, inside, the sounds of thumping and knocking echo, along with whispered words in Spanish. More worrisome are the sounds of screaming and moaning from upstairs. Sanchez pauses when he sees her. A mop is in one hand and a bucket filled with cleaning supplies is in the other. Excuse me, he says finally. She moves away from the door to let him through. Just cleaning up, she asks as Ruben passes by, closely followed by Mary. Mary keeps her head down. She is shy. Oh, yeah Ruben whistles through his teeth. What a riot in there last night. Hey he winks at Margaret. Not so quiet this morning, either, he smirks. Margaret returns his attitude with a cold smile, and he shrugs boyishly. Then Ruben, Sanchez, and Mary load up the van and drive off. The screaming and moaning continue from upstairs. It is Georgie. Margaret knows that it is Georgie. What is that woman doing to him she thinks frantically. Whatever it is, it can't be good. Stealing herself, Margaret rings the doorbell. The moaning cuts off amid gasp. Margaret hears the slamming of the door and light thumping from inside the house. The front door swings open. It's Claudia. The woman's hair floats around her head like fiery orange snakes. Her eyes are shadowed with purple circles. Her freckles seem straining to jump off of her parchment white skin. Ah, hi Margaret begins. What do you want? Claudia interrupts. Margaret gapes at the woman, her mouth opening and closing like a fish. Georgie, she sputters finally. She stands up a little straighter. I wanted to talk to Georgie. He's not home. Claudia says impatiently. Her eyes narrow, her message clear. Scram. But I heard him, Margaret insists, almost choking on the words. Claudia's eyes are like smoldering coals. Margaret cringes back from them but refuses to leave. Did you? Claudia raises an eyebrow. Then she sighs. Her face softens into a small smile. I suppose you did. Margaret can't help but mildly relax at Claudia's sudden change of attitude, although she is still terrified of the woman. Why don't you sit down? Claudia gestures gently to one of the porch chairs. Margaret collapses into it weakly. Claudia's smile increases slightly. To Margaret, the woman's canines seem somewhat pointed. Georgie has not been feeling very well. Lately, Claudia explains. Margaret raises her eyebrows and opens her mouth to express her worry, but Claudia cuts her off. Not that. Mentally, he is fine. It's just... Ah, the flu, a really bad case of the flu, that's what the noise is from it's hurting him a lot, Margaret gasps, shouldn't he be in the hospital, if it's that bad Claudia shakes her head, I took him there last night, but you know Georgie he can't stand the hospital, she smiles, they sent me home with instructions for caring for him, and I know who to call if he takes a turn for the worst, but they say he should pull through alright, it just has to hurt him a bit, first, before he can get better, can I see him Margaret says, no Claudia exclaims, her breaths come quick, her eyes wild for a moment, he's really contagious, Claudia's eyes narrow evenly, trust me, you don't want to catch this one, Margaret nods slowly, then her eyes narrow with suspicion, I just saw Georgia yesterday, at the grocery store, she says, he seemed fine, Claudia seems shocked for a moment, and then, is that jealousy, I don't know, Ben, is it, does Claudia love Georgie, really, who can love Georgie, Doc, really, Georgie isn't real, you know, who can love what isn't even there, and what does love have to do with jealousy, anyway Margaret starts, what can Claudia have to be jealous of, it came on quickly, Claudia says, her smile stiffening, her sharp teeth glisten Margaret shudders, in the afternoon, I took him to the hospital last night, they sent him home this morning, Margaret nods again, what else can she do, Claudia's story is airtight, will you tell him I came by to see him Margaret says, tell him that I'm worried about him and I hope he gets better soon, Claudia's grin widens, 
triumphant. Oh, I will. I'm sure that he'll be back on his feet in no time. Claudia rises from her chair. Margaret stands with her but doesn't move away. She hesitates a moment, looking up to the bedroom window, wondering. Georgie has been absolutely silent since Claudia came to the door, almost as if. Goodbye, Claudia says pointedly, showing her teeth. Yes, Margaret jumps a little, and takes a few steps back. Yes, goodbye, as if Claudia is the one who is causing his pain. Margaret puts as much feeling as she can into her next words. I'm sure we'll see each other again soon, she snarls. Claudia's face seems to indicate that she would rather not, but Margaret doesn't see. She is already halfway down the sidewalk, running for the street. When she hears the front door slam, Margaret sneaks back up to the side of the house. After a moment, she hears Georgie begin to moan again. He actually screams. The sound reminds her of a terrified child. With this proof in her pocket, Margaret flees the sounds of her friend's pain. That night, Georgie dozes on his bed. He feels his cut oozing slowly into the bandages Claudia applied so expertly. The tingling, burning pain consumes his whole mind. He relaxes into the sensation, wrapping it around him like a blanket. A fuzzy, pinching, biting blanket. The doorbell rings. Georgie dimly hears Claudia's voice as she answers. A loud, booming male voice answers hers. Georgie perks up a little. He wonders if it is an old boyfriend. Claudia answers the voice, but it insists. The door opens and two sets of loud footsteps clomp on the hardwood floors. A soft knock on the door, and Claudia pokes her head in. I'm so sorry, dear, but there are some officers here to see you, she says in the kindest, most gentle voice that Georgie has ever heard her yours. What he says groggily. He's sick, she exclaims to someone behind her. You can't just come in, you might catch it, we'll take our chances, mom, the booming voice says. Georgie sighs. They can come in, Claudia, he says. Two blue suits tramp into the room in heavy black shoes. When they see Georgie lying on the bed, they exchange glances. We are sorry to bother you, sir, says the first suit. His voice is quiet, but serious. I'm Detective Marley, and this is my partner, Officer Carver. Detective Marley is thin, with a mustache. Georgie wants to laugh at him, but remembers to play his part. Is everything okay? What's wrong he says weakly. There's been a report of domestic violence. Carver begins, his voice filling up the room. He is a large man, with a shock of black hair that sticks straight up towards the ceiling. What? Claudia Georgie looks over at her. It wasn't me, darling, she says innocently. He wonders if this is a new sort of torture. Maybe she will send him to jail, and let the inmates and the guards do the torturing for her. He would have to pay her double for that, maybe even an extra grand as congratulations for her genius. She's riding me all the way to the bank, he thinks lazily. Then Georgie realizes that the cops are staring at him. Um, so, what he stammers, I never hit her. Not even once, the officers glance at one another. Detective Marley turns around. Would you mind leaving us, Ms. Nesbitt, he says calmly. Claudia looks at Georgie. He shrugs weakly. Don't be too hard on him, Claudia says. He's in very fragile condition. She walks over to Georgie's side and drops a kiss on his forehead, just like she loves him, just like she cares for him. So this is what it would be like, Georgie thinks wonderingly, amazed at the momentary bliss that floods him at her gentle touch. Then she leaves, closing the door quietly behind her. When the latch clicks closed, both cops direct their attention entirely to Georgie. The tip wasn't about you abusing Claudia, Marley says. It was about her abusing you. For a moment, Georgie can't even speak. He stares at them both. A hysterical chuckle rises in his throat, but he disguises it as a cough. Hem, ha, what he says finally. That's ridiculous, Marley shrugs. Maybe, he says. Carver pulls out a pad of paper from his breast pocket. Just what is your relationship with Ms. Nesbitt, he asks. His pen poised above the paper. She's my girlfriend. She lives here with me, Georgie says. She's my tormentor, my torturer, he wants to say. She's my love and hate, my twisty bivet sex goddess. Don't judge her, officers. I asked her to. Do you think there are people judging you, Ben? Of course there are. Dr. C, aren't you judging me? Isn't that what this is all about? Carver scratches down his answer on the pad. Does she ever hit you? Mr. Gust Carver continues. Of course not, Georgie says. This time, he really does laugh. Although they can't tell why. Look at her. She, she couldn't hurt a spider. The cops take a moment to think as one of their radios buzzes an encrypted message. There are many different ways of hurting the ones we love, Marley says quietly, with an understanding smile. 
Love Georgie says quietly, seeming to think about it. Yeah, love, Marley and Carver shake their heads. Clearly, the man is a goner. Do you have any reason to believe that Mrs. Nesbitt would want to hurt you? Mr. Gust Carver asks brusquely. Oh really, is this necessary? Georgie says in a brash tone. He hopes his facade is intact. Marley smiles again, seeming to agree with Georgie at the ridiculousness of the questioning. It's just part of the routine, he whispers. Paperwork, you know, shouldn't you see a doctor? Carver interrupts. You look pretty sick. Georgie readjusts the bunching pillow under his elbow and shrugs. I feel better today than yesterday. I'll be f fine. The officers exchange a look when they hear his stutter. Sir, I think you should see a doctor, Marley says. You don't look too great to me. What do you shithead know about it? Georgie cries out. Then he closes his eyes. Marley whispers something to Carver. Georgie can't hear most of it, but the word poison passes his lips. He laughs. You two are really something. Really, he says, you're not going to get me into the hospital. I'm fine. Everything's fine here. My girlfriend is not beating me, or torturing me, or even making me mad. Most of the time, he laughs loudly at his own joke, but Carver and Marley will not laugh with him. He sobers up. In any case, you two are completely out of line here. I have no intention of charging my girlfriend with abuse, nor do I have any reason to. Now if you yell please the officers look at each other in confusion. Come and get out. Georgie finishes. They stand, but hesitate. Get out he screams. Claudia opens the door with a bang. What are you doing to him in here? She demands. Out Georgie screams again. His screams and her nagging tone follow the officers all the way to the door and to the street. Dr. C goes deep then. Dr. C says finally, one day. For a long time she just listened to me tell the story, but today, Ben, she says, yeah Ben, why is the driver named Ben I look at her, she is going nuts again, why is anyone named anything I point out, why was I named Ben she pushes her lips together, is there a story there, behind your name she asks, Dr. C is some kind of detective, but she is always digging in the wrong direction, if you ask me, family name, I explain, we're all a bunch of inbred blue bloods, you know, too many names would be tough to remember, her lip quirks a bit, one of these days I will get her to smile, why is the driver named Ben she repeats, is it a family name for him, to how the heck should I know I retort? You don't see me or Georgie talking much to Ben, do you? Maybe that is the problem, she muses. What I swear, the woman has really lost her mind, this time. Ben, are you Georgie's driver? I laugh. Ah, uh, no, Dr. C, I haven't been driving since the robbery. You know that. She waves me off. No, Ben, like you are the vehicle, and Georgie rides around in you. That is why Ben is the driver, right? I don't know. Dr. C, it is a hell of a lot more complicated than that. Love can keep them together in her dreams. Claudia is having dinner with the gusts. Only instead of a ham on the table, Georgie is curled up on a large serving platter, an apple shoved between his teeth. His skin is still crackling roasted to perfection. His eyes are glassy, sightless. Georgie's mother approaches with a carving knife and fork, drawing their edges together sharpening them. She poises over Georgie. I'm so glad you're not one of those vegetarians, she says. She grins a horrible grin. I just wanted to thank Yar for taking such good care of Jiawaji, she says, and then slices downward with a flash of steel. Georgie squeals his pain and Claudia jerks out of bed. She looks over at the lump that is Georgie, his screeching still echoing between her ears. I am sorry, I am sorry, I am so sorry, with a glass of wine in her hand. Claudia mopes around Georgie's old-style country home. It is nothing at all like what she expected. The sterile counters are not clean because someone cares for the place and its inhabitants. Someone who tenderly scrubs down the surfaces with loving consideration. Number, the counters are clean because no one uses them, because the place is devoid of life. No one lives there, really. Claudia and Georgie drift around the place like ghosts, replaying the tortures of ages past. Claudia wonders if Georgie still feels the pain, if he still gets off to it. As for her, she doesn't feel the satisfaction of torturing him anymore. Georgie is no longer every man who has hurt her, and hurting him is no longer a way to get back at every evil she has ever known. Georgie is just a man that her life is all tangled up in, the man she can't seem to convince herself to leave. Like all the others, she loves him, but the torture must continue. Walking into the cluttered yet organized living room, Claudia kicks over a stack of Georgie's sketches. Let that be the latest blow, she thinks to herself. Now he'll have to stack it all back up. She snickers at herself. Any petty meanness can be justified, but that doesn't make it right. Claudia drains the glass of wine as she hears Georgie's alarm go off. The digital clock on the wall reads, 
10 a.m. She thinks about starting a pot of coffee, but, slightly frustrated, she goes for more booze. She considers how she might torture poor Georgie this evening. Screw pain, she thinks. She is not into pain, not tonight. That night, when Georgie walks in expecting dinner, Claudia breezes past him on her way out the door. Where you going Georgie says, confusion all over his face. None of your business, Claudia grins wolfishly. Don't I get a night off every now and then he can smell that she has been drinking, but then so has he. She is wearing tight jeans that show her pretty bottom, her thick thighs. A scanty halter shows the small row of fat at the back of her shoulders. Georgie wants to laugh at her, a little, but he thinks that maybe, just maybe, some other man might find her attractive. If he had been drinking, if she was just his type, I thought she was your type. Georgie, older, unfettered, nice feet, Georgie tells that voice in his head to shut it. You live with a woman long enough, and her skin doesn't seem all that sexy anymore. It is just enough to make you want to puke, actually, just enough. Sure, he grins, diabolically, I could use a night off, too. He smirks at her as she leaves. He imagines that she is somewhat unsettled by his cavalier attitude. It's more likely, he decides, that she doesn't give a shit about me or my pain. Probably, she just really needs a break. Claudia slides into the greasy sleazy bar like she owns the place. It's been months since old Claudia has been around. For a minute everyone looks up, surprised to see her. Within seconds, the collective drunk fuddle erases the novelty of Claudia's reappearance, and their short-term memories forget that she has ever been gone. Claudia fits right in, her favorite stool still bears her name, Jim Gimlet. She orders, her green eyes glistening. The bartender is not quite as gone as the other regulars, though he's still drunk. He looks at her, tilting his head slightly sideways. Been a while, he says gruffly, pouring her drink. Yeah, yes so, she grins at him. Damn it feels good to be out again, on the prowl. Claudia thinks, rah, she shifts her shoulders easily, feeling the bar against the skin of her back, she can feel eyes on her, but she's not here for just any old fling, oh number, Claudia has a particular gentleman in mind for tonight, she has a plan, and she is sticking to it, of course, she started the night early in order to work up her resolve, in order to keep Georgie from sucking her into his company, after a few drinks she plays a round or two of darts, a little pool, she bangs around the jukebox for a minute or two, catching up with the regulars, there is nothing new in their lives, luckily, nothing to catch up on except the same old shit played over and over again, and, luckily for Claudia, they are all so wasted that they can't remember what she has told them, so she tells them everything and more than everything, she tells them everything she wishes she had a nerve to do to Georgie, but can't, ten minutes later, one of them staggers over to her again and says, hey Claudia, how the hell you been and she can start it all over again, maybe talking about it is better than living it, she wonders if Georgie would modify the deal to make imagining new tortures, without actually doing them, a still payable offense, she knows the answer to that before she even begins, Claudia sighs and puts her chin in her hands, with her elbows on the bar, she sips deeply from her fourth gin gimlet. She is starting to warm up to it, a little, her shoulders slouch, her belt pulls in at her gut, cutting off circulation to her nether regions. The door creaks open, and in walk her lucky bear. Claudia smiles to see their faces, their arms wrapped around each other. They are so damn happy, she thinks. She knows she would hate them nearly as much if they weren't so damn happy all the time. She glowers a little, until they notice her. She arranges her face. Greg. Sarah she calls, over here, you two with intoxicated smiles, Greg and Sarah float over to where Claudia waits, maybe they are dumb, or maybe they are too trusting or maybe Claudia never got a chance to tell them everything she thought of them, they don't seem to think that there is anything wrong with the picture of Claudia waving to them and hollering friendly greetings at the top of her lungs, Claudia Sarah gushes, Claudia, Greg belches, how the hell have you been, we haven't seen you in ages, yet Claudia exclaims, I guess because I got fired, Sarah and Greg look at her for a moment with fixed terror, then Claudia laughs, and they both laugh with her, they are captivated by her, her wild hair, her free spirit, her open toes beckon to them both. Claudia, I'm so sorry, Greg says presently, I don't know what I was thinking, back then, it was such a terrible mistake, Claudia grins easily, it is not Greg that she loves and hates, it is not Greg that she wants to make suffer anymore, it is Georgie just Georgie, and for now, that means that Greg is forgiven, Sarah, too, by default, Claudia puts her hands on both their legs, she breathes her hat, 
Ginny breath onto their cheeks. That's all in the past, she insists, her vocal cords humming. Craig and Sarah croon along with her. Oh I'm so glad, Sarah says. Her eyes shine bright. I missed our friendship. Claudia wants to laugh at the woman who can call their love and hate relationship a friendship. Maybe you can, oh maybe you should. But instead she just smiles and keeps her features smooth. This round is on me she exclaims. The three former lovers cozy up at the bar, whispering and pointing fingers and bursting into loud laughs. And then my house burned down Claudia yells finally. Craig and Sarah crack up. Can you believe it she goes them, wordlessly, with tears streaming from their eyes, they shake their heads, Claudia, you live such a crazy life, Sarah giggles, yeah well, it gets better, Claudia grins, now I'm living with the guy who burned my house down oh, you're not Sarah insists, Craig laughs out loud, of course she is, he chuckles, you should come stay with us, Sarah gasps, she gives a squeal, in her drunken haze, she thinks this is a good idea, Claudia waves the woman down, oh, I am feeling really settled where I am, Georgie that's his name he's actually such a sweet man, like an uncle, really, her eyes light up, almost as if she had come up with an idea on the spot, hey, you guys should meet him she exclaims, do you want to meet him tonight Greg and Sarah nod their heads enthusiastically, I've got to meet this guy, Greg snickers, alright, Claudia smiles, one more shot and then we're out of here, Greg and Sarah nod again, their eyelids folding like marionettes, Claudia can almost hear them clack shut, half an hour later, the three puppets stagger in the dark towards the front door of Georgie's old style country home, one of the shadowed figures giggles, then stumbles into a bush, Sarah one of the other shadows laughs helplessly, it bends down to scoop her up, Claudia's shadow strides purposefully up the front steps, tripping only slightly on her way, Georgie sits in his dark office with his feet on the shimmering desktop, he talks into three video cameras that have been set up, that have always been set up, for the single purpose of recording him and perhaps, perhaps, catching a moment of sanity, you never know, it could work, but at the moment, Georgie is a schizo as ever, babbling on into the night about what a poor, tortured creature he is under Claudia, how even her leaving him for a night is still a torment to him, poor, poor Georgie, and then he hears the voices at the front door, when he recognizes Claudia's voice among them, Georgie relaxes, but only slightly, regardless of what he has been saying to the cameras, about how being apart from Claudia is a torture in itself, he really doesn't want to face her, now or ever, he can't imagine what new torture she has cooked up for him, and he doesn't want to learn, Georgie dives under his desk when he hears the footsteps climbing the stairs to the second floor, just as he manages to tuck his feet in behind him, exposing his pudgy bottom to the coldness of the hardwood floor, the door slams open, Georgie Claudia calls drunkenly, there is giggling behind her, Georgie Porgy she snorts her laughter, huh, where is that little muffin, my uncle type, that is, my funny uncle, another explosion of laughter from the hallway, and Claudia exits, leaving the door to swing partially open, Georgie squeezes his eyelids tight shut, he hardly dares to breathe until he hears their voices in the next room, then he stands and crawls to the cameras, he stands up next to the one on the left, which is positioned in such a way that he can jump behind the door if anyone comes, you see what I'm talking about he whispers into the camera, hearing noises coming from Claudia's room, he detaches the camera from its tripod and creeps down the hallway, I'll show you, Georgie whispers, his heart hammers in his chest, when he gets to the door he can hear Claudia moaning, he knows what is going on, but can't stop himself from opening the door, anyway, it's one aspect of the part he plays, the part they play together, the room is dark, but the moon's glow bursts through the single window, Claudia and her two lovers are all entwined, they are like one massive, gyrating, screeching creature, Georgie trains the camera steady on the beast, Ubichi screeches, hardly recognizing his own voice, the beast seems hardly to notice him, it just keeps right on, Ubich Georgie is screaming, although there is no sound, when Claudia wakes up the next morning, her unexpected double pay awaits her on her bedside table, Georgie is nowhere to be seen, Claudia thumbs through the cash, if the insurance doesn't come through on the house in another year or so, she will have enough money to build a new one, at this rate, if she can make it that long, if I can stick to sleeping around, skip the cigarette burns and the S&M shit, 
Maybe I can make it, she decides. It's not that hard, after all. Georgie can't even look at Claudia, let alone talk to her about what happened. He mopes up and down the aisles at the grocery store, but Margaret is nowhere in sight. It's not her shopping day. Georgie considers waiting around until she does show up. It will only be a day, maybe two days. Their store is a 24-hour grocery store. Georgie could live off our free samples and produce and fresh baked bread until Margaret shows up. Margaret will know what to do, Georgie thinks. Margaret will fuck me. She'll make Claudia look like a two-bit hooker, an over-the-hill beauty queen. Georgie knows that Margaret will never fuck him, not in a million years, but she might give him some relief, just a little relief. Then Georgie eventually realizes that Claudia might end up at the store too. He has never seen her there before, but you just never know. It's something new with Claudia every day, and maybe first thing on today's list is to go shopping. Georgie rockets out of the grocery store like a cat out of a bathtub. Where does Georgie go to avoid Claudia? To the same places he used to go before her. Georgie slides into place in his old haunts, the sicko twisted sex clubs of his past, like a foot sliding into an old shoe. He walks up to his favorite, a century-old woodhouse with a maze of rooms on the top floor. He sighs as his foot hits the third step at an old step that creaks every time. It's as though nothing has changed. The club is not a business on the outside, but a private residence. Nothing to see here. Mom, just as lonely, heartbroken suckers for pain, having a friendly get-together. Hello, Mr. Gust, says the woman who sits at the foot of the stairs. We haven't seen you here for quite some time, I've been busy, Georgie says. He grins at the woman. In these places, Georgie doesn't feel quite like the self that he presents to the rest of the world. In this house, filled with sicko twisted pervs and their creepy lusts, Georgie feels quite suave, almost, normal. Is Samantha here he asks, in the mood for a good old-fashioned foot smothering. HM, Samantha has a prior engagement, the woman says, consulting her clipboard. How about Taylor? Georgie shrugs, whatever he says. The woman shows him to a private room a small room, with a queen-sized bed, a large closet, and several mirrors. Alia will be in shortly, the woman says, with a disingenuous smile, she leaves. Georgie sits on the bed and waits. After a few minutes, he lies on his back and stares up at the ceiling, the mirror embedded above stares back at him. Georgie looks up at his own face. It is not a bad face, Georgie thinks, although he has a hard time believing that it's really his. Finally, the door opens again. Alia Georgie asks. He props himself up on his elbows. That's me, the girl says. She is dark-skinned and petite, with dyed blonde hair, or a wig Georgie can't decide which. Huh, Georgie says. Alia walks closer to him. You wanted a foot smothering, yes. Well, number Georgie's mind is racing. I changed my mind. Is that okay? Alia smiles softly. Well, that depends on what you want me to do, she says. Tie me up. Cut me, burn me, whip me. Georgie entreats her. He can't meet her gaze. He glances over at the bedside table. Propped on it is another mirror. A small round hand mirror. Georgie's face surprises him again. Oh, you want it rough today? Is that it Alia purrs? Well, I think I can manage that, Mr. Gust. Yes, indeed. Georgie watches with detachment as Alia ties his hands with handkerchiefs to the bedposts, avoiding both her eyes and his own eyes, which would entreat him from the mirror if he could stand to look into them. Claudia brought this on herself, he reminds himself. She cheated first, with those, those. Georgie remembers the sight of the beast and anger flares hot in him. He clenches his fist and rattles the bedpost. HM, someone's getting excited, Alia notes. She slowly undoes the buttons of Georgie's shirt. Then she pulls a pen knife from the top drawer of the bedside table. She draws the blade gently across his chest. It is just a tickle, just a reminder of what pain could be. She is too soft, too gentle, this Alia. She lacks Claudia's rough edge, her true penchant for pain. She probably never gets angry. This girl, just uses her soft voice, the voice of reason, to keep everyone under control. Do you do hypnotism? Georgie blurts out. Alia lays a hand on his shoulder and smiles. Afraid not. She draws the knife a little harder now, causing a bit of a burn on his skin. She uses the sharp tip to prick at his collarbone. Georgie feels a small bit of wetness where she has been. He groans with the release that this gives him. Claudia will flow out of him as his blood leaks through fresh cuts. Maybe he will forget all about Claudia. Maybe Alia will do the trick. You like that? Hushy encourages him. She scratches his neck and throat with her fingernails. Yeah, 
You do. Then she stops for a moment. She dips her fingernail in one of the small drops of blood that sprang up on Georgie's chest, where she pricked him. She draws a tiny, thin line across his throat. What is your safe word? She asks finally. What Georgie says wonderingly. Safe word? How could anything in this world be made safe? You know, Alia explains. A word you can say, to make me stop. If things get too rough for you, what Georgie understands now, but he is too incensed to respond properly. Untie me, he commands her, biting her lip. Alia slowly complies. Georgie sits up abruptly once he is free, buttoning his shirt with rapid hands. I think that's enough for today, he says in a huff as he stands. I'm sorry, was it something I did? Alia asks. Don't go, I'll do it right next time. Just tell me what I did. Georgie turns in the doorway. A safe word, he scoffs at the thought. You've got to be kidding me. After his encounter with Alia, Georgie gets down and dirty. Only the worst of the worst will do it for him. He could not stand to sit and be tortured by another nice girl. He sits through innumerable foot smotherings. He is tied down, cut up, forced to crawl across hard rock crystals, all be for the anonymity of strangers. The strangers are a nice touch. Georgie thinks they add an element of humiliation to the situation that a private room never could. But Georgie is even less fulfilled now than he was before he met Claudia. Before Claudia, Georgie did not know what good was. Now he watches all his so-called tormentors, his fellow sufferers, and he feels nothing but contempt. These masochists do not know what it is like to have a Claudia on their chest, digging holes into their hearts. They do not know what it is like to have her in their oxygen, destroying their perfectly controlled environments. They have not woken up locked in a closet, or naked in the street. They are vacationing masochists, dabbling in a past time they do not even understand. They don't know what pain is, they don't have the slightest clue, they are weak. Georgie has outgrown them. By the end of the week, Georgie has had enough of the same old paltry S&M fetish houses. He wants the big guns, something he has never seen before, something that is bound to shake him up. He takes the recommendation of a friend, if you could call him a friend, who gives him a phone number without a name. Just trust me, the guy says, shaking visibly, this is some heavy shit. Here, if this doesn't shake you up, then you must be dead. Georgie finds hope in this promise. He calls his the number, he is sent to voicemail a lonely mechanized voice repeats the dialed number to him, then commands him to leave a message. There is the beep. Hey, up, uh, my name is Georgie Gust. I got your number from a friend of mine, looking for something to shake me up looking for some heavy shit. You know, he told me you could help. Georgie trails off, without a name, without even knowing what the number can offer him. He doesn't have a clue, can you he concludes lamely. Thank thank you. An hour later, Georgie gets a text message with an address, a date, and a time. Georgie's shiny black limo winds its way through tall, needle trees. Up, up they climb until the trees dwindle into small, snarled grey things, and rocks begin to jut up from luck and earth. The road grows increasingly more narrow, the cement finally dissolving into a single lane gravel road. The road rises high above the rocky ground, then meets the towering metal doorway of a thick stone wall. Ben gets out and presses the buzzer beside the doorway, then gets back in the limousine and drives it backwards about ten feet. The metal doorway slowly opens outward, revealing a circular plot of land surrounded by the stone wall. Ben creeps forward, following the narrowed earth road that hugs the interior of the wall. In the center of the circle sits a sizable stone cottage. Ben completes the circle while Georgie stares out the driver's side window, studying the cottage from every angle. Soon, Ben has the limo turned around and is facing the road once more, ready to drift back down the mountain. He opens the door for Georgie, who crawls out slowly, unsteadily. Georgie strolls to the front door of the cottage. It is made of thick, dark wood and has a heavy, round, brass knocker in the center. Georgie stares at the knocker for a moment, then lifts it. With a blink, he drops the knocker. It thuds hollowly when it strikes. Georgie waits, shivering a little at the cold breath of the rock walls. It is not long before the door creaks open, revealing a haggard and huddling woman in her late fifties. She is bent at her waist in an effort to open the door. Georgie is amazed that she is capable of pushing the huge thing open at all. I'm G. Georgie. 
Georgie Gust, he says, I'm here to, ah, uh, I know what you're here for, the woman says with a toothless grin, come in, it will only be a minute, she gestures to a sagging chair in the corner and scuttles off into the back, Georgie seats himself in the chair with a loud thump, a cloud of dust rises from it and he chokes, the particles clog his lungs, when the dust settles, Georgie looks around in alarm, the walls are dirty, covered in dust and grime, bits of paper and forest debris are scattered across the tabletops and the floor, the basking rug before the fireplace emits a rancid stench, Georgie wonders if it has been properly cleaned, he imagines bits of fat and meat still clinging to the underside of the fur, bile arises in his throat as he thinks of it, his libido also rises, Georgie finds himself strangely turned on by the filth, it is strange and new it is a different kind of pain, the fear of the dirt that now surrounds him, he rejoices in the newness of the feeling, his penis swells, the woman returns, she is naked, but covered in a shining film that might be, Georgie's nose twitches, look, the old hag has drowned herself in shining, slippery lubricant, it glistens from the caverns of the wrinkled skin, let's slip on her sagging breasts, which swing, pendulum-like, Georgie can't help but stare at them, fixated, they hypnotize him, Georgie wonders if their swinging can reverse the naked sleepwalking thing that Claudius trained his subconscious brain to employ, the woman is as filthy as the cabine, if not more so, crime plots her wrinkles, wandering in linty pieces across her vast belly, she is built like a shoe on stilts, her forward jutting chest tapering to a sagging, concave curving backside, her flesh seems to drip from her bones like wet seaweed, as she reaches for Georgie, the dirt beneath her fingernails hums, Georgie stands staring, transfixed, he can't look away, the heck voraciously tears the clothes from his body, ripping the buttons off his shirt and breaking an ale on his belt buckle, whoops a daisy, she cackles, then she whips the belt off him like she is ripping a band-aid, Georgie is a statue, frozen, his erect cock twangs in the cold mountain air, he has prepared himself for anything to happen in this place, and the fact that this old woman presents herself as lustworthy doesn't faze him, nothing can, after, she used to be trouble, this one, she was a pair of doubledies who could get anything she wanted with a wink and a giggle, but time and gravity have betrayed her, have dragged her sideways and down, until she looks more animal than human, now, no man will have her, anymore, so she will have them, Georgie is locked in her gaze, snake-like, she slithers before him, her arms wrap around and around him, pulling him tight to her, choking off his air, he is drawn into her flesh the lubricated rolls and wrinkles form a mold around him, he can't breathe, he doesn't need to, she will breathe for both of them, with nothing but a smile she heaves him to the rug, and then swallows him whole, nothing but a brilliant, bright prick of light the rancid scent of an unwashed creature brings Georgie to his senses, he is nose deep in the basking rug, groaning, he pushes himself to his knees, he is naked, covered in lube and lint, stray air fur and dust, he vomits into the bare fur, realizes what the smell truly is, and vomits again, the woman lies before him on the rug, illuminated by the rays of morning sunshine that dance mockingly through the grimy window, she quivers a moment, mumbles incoherently, her hand twitches, her fingers crawl across the rug to find him, slowly she reaches for the pile of vomit that Georgie's left, his is not the first one, of course, that is what the smell is, with a stifled yelp, Georgie leaps to his feet and runs to the front door, the woman's hand finds the pile of vomit, fair chrysics, she moans, what the fuck is that Georgie presses frantically at the door handle, shoving into the heavy wooden door with his shoulder, hey, you're not leaving so soon, Ayah she looks up and grins, her gaping mouth is a yawning black hole, she will swallow him again, with a cry and renew the gap, Georgie shoves at the door, she is standing up now, she is coming after him, for an eternal moment, Georgie wishes that he lifted weights, that he had the almighty strength to burst open this door with a single stroke of his arm, the hag is almost upon him, her fingers, still vomit covered, reach for him, Georgie screams like a trapped animal, his bare feet scuff the floor, he presses himself into the door with a spurt of terror, the door opens, the light slashes through and the woman cries out, she raises a hand to her eyes as Georgie races to his limo, and safety, Ben looks up hazily as Georgie slams his palm against the door, Ben tries to hide a superior sort of amusement as he unlocks the back door, the hag appears in the doorway to the cottage, and Ben
Ben raises an eyebrow at her naked decrepitude. Ben's attitude is wasted on Georgie. We yanks the door open and collapses inside the limo with a gasp and a long, whimpering sigh. G get the H hell out of here, he commands. When Ben locks the doors and begins to roll out of the driveway, Georgie sinks into the seats. His arms and legs are buzzing, weak from exertion. He slips into blackness, into nothingness, eternity when Georgie comes to. Ben is pulling up to his old-style country home in the all-encompassing glare of noon. With a groan, Georgie pulls himself out of the car. Ben helps him walk inside. Claudia is not there. Georgie feels somewhat relieved at this, but sad as well. Considering what he has been through, a little reassurance would do him some good. But Claudia is not there, and neither is Margaret. The only reassurance Georgie has is himself, and that is no consolation at all. Georgie crawls into his broad white bed and falls asleep. Ben pauses for a moment in the doorway. Poor son of a bitch, he mutters. The corner of his lip twitches. When Georgie wakes again, it is afternoon. The light gleams orange through his blinds. He rolls over, trying to convince himself that it was not real, that the whole thing was just a dream. But when he looks down at himself, at his still slick skin, and smells the stench of bare fur and vomit, he knows that it was true. This makes him want to break down and sob his poor heart out, and he does, for a while. Eventually he gets out of bed and staggers into the bathroom, he turns the water on hot. He sits on the toilet and waits for the shower to steam, then climbs in. Claudia is still not home. Georgie putters around his house, stacking up his physics notes into neat and cluttered piles, putting Claudia borrowed books back in their rightful places on the bookshelves. He considers going back to bed. He even stands in the bedroom door, staring at the rumpled mess of his blankets. But the stench of himself, of the woman, is in the sheets or so it seems to him and so he tears the sheets off the bed and puts them in the hamper. The stink of the old woman's cottage seems to follow him. Georgie grabs the sheets off the bed once more, turning his nose away from the smell, although the Egyptian cotton presses against his face. Claudia is still not home. The smell seems to follow him wherever he goes. Georgie tosses the sheets into an old metal barrel he keeps stored in his shed. He dumps a canister of lighter fluid on the sheets. Then Georgie stands and lights a cigarette. The smoke fills his lungs and his soul. Georgie begins to calm. The shaking in his fingers cease. Halfway through the cigarette, Georgie grins sadly and tosses the burning butt into the barrel. He skips backwards. The pile of sheets explodes in a burning ball of flame. It's like a huge candle. Georgie thinks to himself, hypnotized by the flame. The biggest candle this backyard has ever seen. Georgie lights a second cigarette and sits on his back step to watch the fire die. Claudia comes home during Georgie's second shower. He hears the front door open and close. Please, God, he pleads. Just let her go easy on me today. He can hear as Claudia hollers his name. I'll do anything, if you just make her give me a break. I'll go to church, anything. The sound of her clamping footsteps on the stairs makes his heart skip. I'll even pray. Come on, we got a deal? There is no answer. But Georgie, Claudia says softly, her voice is like an angel's. Georgie peeks through the glass shower door. Through the hazy shower steam, Claudia's face glows. Her eyes are wide and luminous. A child's eyes. Georgie, I know you're in there. She teases. Can I come in? To up? Sure. He croaks. He cracks the door open an inch. Georgie, I missed you. Claudia purrs as she steps inside. She is still fully clothed. Her outfit gets drenched with the hot water. The joy Georgie's voice sounds strange even to his own ears. Where were you are? Now, that's a secret. Claudia says putting a finger to his lips. Slowly, she pulls her soaking wet sweater over her head. Her breasts glisten in the water. Her nipples stab through her white cotton bra. Pencil erasers, Georgie thinks. After all, it's not like you're going to tell me where you have been. Claudia continues. Georgie stares at her a minute. She gives him a secret little smile. She already knows. Maybe Ben told her. Georgie sighs. No, he says. Well, what makes you think that where I've been has been anything better? Claudia whispers. Maybe I really missed you. You know, maybe I'm tired of all this. Maybe I'm just looking for a break, for a bit of relief. It's tiring keeping you happy all the time, Mr. Georgie. She laughs harshly, but he can hardly blame her. I'm a little tired, myself, Georgie admits. He sets his hands on her waist. With a groan, he buries his head in her breasts, fumbling with the clasps at the back of her bra. She replaces his hands with her own nimble fingers. He sinks to his knees, clutching at her, resting his head against her soft belly. Claudia, he mutters softly. Suddenly she has come out of her jeans how he doesn't know. She lifts him up with her gentle hands. He finds himself hardening under her fingertips. 
How about some good old-fashioned love-making? Claudia whispers, nibbling at his ear. I think that's just the ticket. Georgie groans and nods. He presses against her. The condoms, he mutters. He reaches for the door. Not so fast. Georgie Porgy Claudia insists. She holds the door handle firmly in place. She is much stronger than him, somehow. We're doing this the good old-fashioned way. She takes his penis in her hand and pulls it to her. He is powerless, he is drawn inside her, ocean in an underwater cave, it is good, he thinks, good clean fun, in a moment he bursts and is done, shuddering, he withdraws, Claudia pouts, and then proceeds to feel herself up, finished herself off under the blast of the shower, she shivers, moaning, and then gasps, her back flattens against the wall, her knees buckle, Georgie watches as his semen rips slowly from the tangled red orgy of her pubic hair, too slowly, no condom his mind screams at him, finally come awake, you crazy fuck, what if she gets pregnant, at the thought of bringing a child into this sicker world, Georgie collapses in a dead faint, striking his head hard against the walls of the porcelain bathtub, poor, poor Georgie, so much wealth and so little else, Georgie wakes up again, for the fourth time that day, at least, he thinks it is still the same day, he's in his bed, in clean fresh sheets, Claudia is stretched out beside him, for a moment, Georgie imagines that they are the happy dream couple, living the American dream, Claudia rolls over and grins at him, compared to the hag, don't think about the hag, her face is smooth and beautiful, her body is near flawless, Georgie loves her, her whole self, even the part that hurts him, especially the part that hurts him, her eyes glow as he looks into them, into her inner life, I love you, Georgie says, he says it out loud, he feels the words transform his soul, everything is different now everything can be better, now, I know, Claudia whispers, she smiles at him, she shines with the dying sun, which sits behind her, do you think we made a baby she whispers, Georgie feels the weakness overcome him again, his limbs go limp, but it is not so bad, this time, he can take the thought, this time, he can live with it, he turns his head at her snicker, Claudia lifts his limp hand high in the air, she drops it onto the bed, it strikes the mattress with a hollow, woody sound, Claudia rolls swiftly to her side and reaches over the side of the bed, when she comes up, she is holding a thick piece of rope in her hand, stay still, she hisses, she ties his hands together, and then his feet, Georgie would fight, if he could, but no, he would not, his arms and legs are weak bags of flesh, his mind, his heart, his soul, his son belong to Claudia now, he could not form the will to fight her any more than he could form the strength in his limbs, his will is hers, now, she hefts him onto a flat, wooden dolly that lies beside the bed, there is a jump rope tied around it, to Georgie, she looks like an adorable little girl, tugging a little red wagon around the yard, she is probably just playing a game, she hauls Georgie down the hallway, and then shoves the dolly down the stairs, it bounces and bangs against the hard steps, Georgie's body is jostled and tossed, he slams hard into the banister it breaks his nose, he cries out, feeling the blood spurting from his face, he wants to touch his face, to protect himself, but he is still flopping uselessly down the stairs, he wants to stop, to cover his head, but his hands are tied behind his back, as he strikes the downstairs landing, his shoulder takes the full force of his fall, with a snap he feels it dislocate, he screams like an animal, all before him is the exploding light of pain, Georgie screams again as Claudia comes up to him, rolls him back onto the cart, that wasn't so bad, was it she says lightly, then she drags him into the backyard, Georgie wakes up, for the fifth time that day, if it is still the same day, to the heavy thud, the pitter pattering of something heavy striking wood, just above his head, he's in a dark place a pitched black place, his breath shudders raggedly in and out, Georgie rolls over, and rolls into something hard that will not budge, he tries to sit up but knocks his head on the same hard substance, he falls back, groaning, panting, another thudding, pattering noise echoes overhead, Georgie screams, the bitch is burying him alive, when Georgie wakes up, for the sixth time that day, if it is still the same day, he is covered in pain, his body is bruised and battered, his hands and fingernails screech and throb at him, he is panting frantically, Georgie remembers that he is in a coffin, he doesn't remember where the pain came from, for a moment, he recalls a wild thrashing, or a panicked horror, don't think about that, okay, 
The thudding of dirt atop his coffin continues relentlessly, but no longer is the insistent noise he remembers, rather, it is a vibration that he can feel quivering in the earth around his coffin, reverberating in the wood walls. Georgie inhales deeply, there is not enough air, he thinks desperately, he begins to pant again, I'm going to die down here, he thinks. Fear and peace rush over him in successive waves. Maybe death will be better than this, he thinks. Georgie relaxes into the dizziness that begins to overcome him. He rides the spins like a pro, daring nausea to join him. It doesn't. Georgie circles the borders of a vast, dark whirlpool. The force of it lashes his mind with a cool terror. In the center is a splash of light, a tiny, brilliant little speck. Hell might be better than this, Georgie thinks. He sighs softly, a whisper. Georgie spins down and down towards the beautiful speck. It beckons at him. He hears a slight giggle. He can't see himself, but he is smiling. When he reaches the light, it winks over him. It swallows him whole, and he is nothing. Damned if you do Georgie gasps on his own and air floods his lungs. It stings and burns. The life of it rushes and tingles through his skin. Georgie moans, and then coughs. He is overcome with another mighty gasp. Oh god, oh shit Claudia weeps. She huddles over him, cradling his head in her lap. She wipes her mouth with the back of her hand. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, Georgie she clasps him tightly to her. I'm so glad you came back, she whispers. Ah what Georgie chokes out. Then he remembers. Look at you, Claudia sobs. She caresses his elbows and wrists, gently running her fingers over the bruises and open sores. I really hurt you, you almost died you were dead, she explains. For a minute, her eyes are wet with tears. I have to give you CPR, Georgie places a hand on his head and sits up. He has a headache, she grabs him in an embrace that he is too weak to shake off. Christ, what a day, I'll never do it again, Claudia sobs. I promise, I'll never hurt you again, I love you, Georgie, I'm sorry I didn't say it before, I love you, she bursts into fresh sobs. Georgie looks away from her distastefully, what a spectacle this woman is, how dramatic she is, he holds his head with both hands, it's fine, he groans, in the hopes that she will be quiet, she throws her arms around him once more, it's not fine, she gasps, but I'll show you I'll prove to you that you can trust me, I'll never hurt you again she begins to kiss his neck, his door, running her tongue along his earlobe, Georgie's penis rises weakly to the challenge, it is tired, sure, but just maybe, Georgie grabs at Claudia's chest, oh Georgie she cries, giving herself up to him, let's make love let's make real love, the way that normal people do, I'm tired of hurting you, she gasps as Georgie's penis pokes hard against her, in a moment, she rips off her pants and straddles him on the lawn, Georgie wonders what the neighbors will think, then remembers that Claudia's one of his neighbors, he tries to hide his smile, please, let's just be like a normal couple, Claudia begs, moaning as she rides up and down his shaft, you would it have to pay me or anything, Georgie flips her over and mounts her from above, he pumps away inside her, willing her to shut up, oh Georgie, oh Georgie, Claudia cries, she is nearing orgasm, and so is he, at the crucial moment, Georgie pulls out of her, Claudia gasps and moans plaintively, reaching for him, he dances out of reach, then releases, his white nut splashes over her toes, mmmmm, Georgie hums as he finishes off the final spurt, Georgie, Claudia whines, he chuckles, how about, no he suggests, then he turns and leaves her, naked and yearning, on the lawn, a few days later, Georgie and Claudia have nurtured their bruised egos and are back to business as usual, Claudia is giving Georgie small cuts on his arm with a chef's knife as she prepares dinner, there is a knock on the door, Georgie rolls down his sleeves and answers it, Georgie Margaret screeches, I'm so glad that you're feeling better, Georgie looks boggled, he wonders if Margaret knows about the old lady in the stone cottage, and about his being buried alive, Margaret sees his confusion with a smirk of satisfaction, is Claudia here, she says in a low voice, Georgie nods and opens the door wider, Margaret peeks in and sees Claudia, who waves a knife cheerfully from the kitchen, oh, I've interrupted you at dinner, Margaret says, her voice reflecting disappointment, perhaps I should come back at a better time, Georgie hems and horse for a moment, of course not, Claudia finally yells from the kitchen, why don't you stay for dinner, sure, Margaret stutters, just let me make a phone call, only a short time later, Claudia, 
Georgie, and Margaret all sit down before a modest, yet nutritious meal. So Margaret, what have you been up to lately? Claudia says. Margaret proceeds to tell Claudia about her book deal and the progress she has made. Claudia nods and asks insightful questions, charming as can be. Meanwhile, she slips her foot under the table and applies strong pressure to Georgie's testicles. Ow, oh, Georgie stifles a moan as the pain washes over him. Um, are you okay? Margaret looks at him. Fine, Georgie squeaks. How do you like the fruit salad? Oh, it's great. Claudia, you are such a good cook, Margaret says. She smiles at them both. You know, I have a great idea, she continues after an awkward minute. I was planning to go to a play with a friend of mine tonight, my girlfriend, actually. Would you guys like to come as well? It should be a really good show. Um, Georgie looks at Claudia, wondering if going to a play would interfere with whatever nastiness she has planned for him tonight. She nods imperceptibly. Public humiliation it is, Georgie thinks. I think that would be great, Georgie says. We don't get out much these days, and I can't believe I still haven't met your girlfriend yet. The four of them Georgie, Margaret, Claudia, and Mandy pull up outside the auditorium just before the play is about to begin. They take their seats just as the lights dim, jostling a few people in the process. The complaints silence as the stage lights up. A man walks onto the stage in shabby clothing, closely followed by a cringing, frightened-looking woman. The man stands in the center of the stage the spotlight centers on him. I thought I'd never be free of her the man announces to the audience, looking back sneeringly at the woman behind him. Every moment of every day I would turn around, and there she'd be. He pauses, that's what they call love he announces, and then spits on the floor near the woman's feet. The audience rustles uneasily, and then, and then when she told me that she'd gotten pregnant, the woman rubs her belly, looking tenderly at her stomach. Well, I knew it had to end right then. I mean me, a father, I can't even take care of myself. The woman looks up at him, pleading, shaking her head, but how to do it a man continues, ignoring her. I tried before and yet she always found me again, always wormed her way back into my life. The man's face transforms into a hideous mask, a snarl that appears to hate the world. There is only one way, he concludes. Death, the woman wails. The stage lights drop and, when they light up again, the scene is of an exotic, Middle Eastern marketplace, filled with bright splashes of red fabric and chains of gold. The man strides onto the stage, accompanied by a different woman. Behind them follows the cringing, terrified woman child of before. The man and his new woman peruse the marketplace. With a grand gesture, he buys her a beautiful necklace. She protests for a moment, then accepts it with glee. As she wraps it around her neck, the man steps forward. Even before we'd met, she was with me, following me around, he accuses, pointing a finger at the cringing woman, who tries to hide herself behind a rack of shawls. In the next scene, the man is wandering through his neighborhood in a bathrobe, seeking the woman he bought the necklace for. The woman is nowhere to be seen. The cringing woman appears. The man is surprised, but not unpleased. Hey, why not he figures, it really couldn't hurt to give her a try, the man and the woman make love in the bathroom they eat at a fancy restaurant they dance on the beach together, they fall in love, as people do with pleasant dates and just enough similarities to get along, just enough differences to keep things interesting, as the play goes on, the man and the cringing woman grow close they begin to depend on one another, they love each other, in the way, but the man is always pushing her away, and she is always clinging too tight, she wants to move in, but he needs his space, she wants to cuddle, but he has an early meeting, he doesn't have an early meeting, he actually likes to cuddle, but the thought of actually giving in, of giving her what she wants, that turns something over that is black inside of him, and he must refuse. Soon, they are both entwined in a relationship that makes them miserable, which transforms them into creatures they no longer recognize, they no longer love, but without which neither can live. I love her and hate her, the man says, I know there's someone better for me, but I'm trapped. The woman he bought the necklace for appears from time to time. The man yearns for her, he can't get enough of her. He practically begs her to stay with him, to supplant his cringing, loving girlfriend. He buys her extravagant gifts, always greets her with a pleasant smile, a smile his girlfriend never sees, but in the end, his dream woman always escapes. Maybe she sees beyond all his crap, or maybe she's just too much willow the wisp to stay in one place too long, that is what makes it the perfect dream woman her perfect distance. 
the promise that her perfection will never be marred by the machinations of the man's filthy soul. She knows that's what makes her perfect, she loves that she can ensure his yearning by constantly avoiding him. In this way, she feels all the satisfaction of being loved without any of the responsibility. Georgie, Claudia, and Margaret watch this play in horrible discomfort, each afraid to be the person they think they are, each not confessing to themselves they can relate. I'm not really like that, they think, all at one time or another, I'm not. One night, the man on stage meets his dream woman at a bar, they are both there by accident, and alone, and she has already had a drink, or five, she is alone in a bar, as she is heartbroken after yet another failed relationship with another failed man, the perfect woman lets down her guard, she lets the man buy her a drink, it's been too damn long, she mutters into her tequila, she looks at the man accusingly, you ever go three months without a lay she demands, he grins, shakes his head, lays his hand on the small of her back, a gorgeous woman like you he says softly, I hardly believe it, she scoffs, you must be punishing yourself, he whispers, you don't need to punish yourself, her hungry lips reach up to touch his, they meet, tequila churning like fire in their bellies, in moments, they are tearing each other's clothes off in her apartment, they can't even wait to move to the bedroom he pushes her against a wall and shoves into her, hard, she loves it, the perfect woman likes it rough. The next morning, racked with guilt, the dream woman confesses to the cringing girlfriend, who is five months pregnant with the man's child, I didn't mean to sheep eggs, I was drunk, and he was, I never thought we would, her voice drops to a whisper, her face ashamed, please forgive me, forgive you the girlfriend sobs. what's to forgive, it's him that bastard, you were single, after all it was his choice to break my trust together they wail their heartbreak, I've tried to leave him, so many times, the girlfriend shudders, but he always draws me back in, you know the dream woman stares at her with wide eyes, I know exactly what you mean, in the final moment, they bond have Shared grief gives way in a fit of madness and jealousy. The cringing woman knocks the dream woman down and beats her over the head with a thick paperweight. He loves me she screams, all the while. He does, he will always love me. Coming upon the gory scene, the man strangles his cringing girlfriend. You killed her my dreams and hope he screeches. When she is limp in his arms he tosses her corpse to the floor. Then a hideous look floods his face. My son he gasps. You killed him, too. He whispers, sinking to his knees. He weeps, and when he is done with weeping, the man slowly climbs onto a chair. He hangs himself with a piece of wire, laughing and sobbing all at once. Well it was a trip. Mandy gushes as they exit the theater. Can you believe that? Where do they come up with this stuff? Georgie becomes intensely interested in a poster on the wall, while Margaret and Claudia exchange a desperate glance and then look away, embarrassed. Claudia wonders if Margaret ever would sleep with Georgie. Margaret is wondering the same thing. She hopes that Claudia doesn't believe it of her. She wonders whether Claudia would kill her, if she had reason to. I think the ending was a little unrealistic, Margaret says, with hollow laughter. She gives a quick glance over at Claudia to see if she agrees. Claudia stares blankly ahead, not listening. She is thinking of the cringing woman how much she hates her. I'm not that woman, she decides. I'm in control of this situation. I am the tormentor. Georgie is the one. He's the one who can't live without me. He wants me. He loves me. He told me so. Claudia briefly considers getting a new job. For some reason, she cannot hold the idea in her head for more than a second. Well Mandy says, she looks up at both Claudia and Margaret, and searches around for Georgie. What is wrong with you guys she mumbles. Claudia scrutinizes Georgie as he scans the poster on the wall. She wonders how the play has affected him how worried he is. She begins to consider ways to drive the knife in deeper, hunting they will go weeks pass. Claudia watches Georgie as he mopes around, wondering when a time will be right. She takes a break from the torture, giving him time to heal up to become complacent. Well, she still burns him from time to time, brings out the whip and the chains, just to keep him on his toes. But that's just kid stuff. Mostly, Claudia is pensive. She weighs her jealousy against her job, and the satisfaction of destroying Georgie against her own possible pain. They hear nothing from Margaret. Claudia hopes that the play scared Margaret enough to keep her away from Georgie. Maybe forever. When the time seems right, when she has finally processed her thoughts about the play, when she has become just crazy enough to go through with it, Claudia speaks. Georgie, Claudia says softly. Georgie looks up at her tone. Her eyes are wide and glimmering like a deer's. I was talking to Margaret earlier, she begins. This is a lie, but she says it anyway. We were thinking it would be fun to take a trip with the four of us with us and her and Mandy. Georgie thinks about this. It doesn't sound like a horrible idea. After all, things with Claudia have been pretty nice.
nice lately, except, where he asks, well, uh, you know that cabin of your parents? Up on the lake Georgie wonders if he has ever told Margaret about the cabin. The trip is probably all Claudia's idea. We were thinking that it would be a good opportunity to get away, to try something new. You know, Georgie, you and I have not spent a night away from this house not together, at least, since I moved and Georgie can see from her expression that no will be an unacceptable answer. How bad could it be? Georgie thinks to himself. He tries to ignore the strong possibility that it could be very bad. Very, very bad. Yeah, sure, sounds like fun, he mutters. Claudia squeals. Oh, Georgie, thank you she gives him a hug, bouncing around like a young girl. Oh, it's going to be so much fun, you are not going to regret it. From the tone of her voice and the glint of her smile, Georgie realizes that he is going to regret it. He sighs and rolls his eyes, probably. She will skin him alive and hang him upside down from a tree, whatever. At this point, Georgie could hardly care. It feels like after everything he has been through, Claudia couldn't hurt him any more than he's already been hurt. They decide to leave the weekend after next, although Margaret's girlfriend Mandy is unable to come. Instead, Margaret invites her friend Carl, a man who, like Georgie, wants desperately to fuck Margaret and who, also like Georgie, most likely never will. On the day of their departure, Carl and Georgie face off at the limo, pushing for position to see who gets to hold Margaret's door open. While they are still huffing and puffing and kicking up dirt, Margaret goes to the other side, where Ben is holding the door open for whoever. Claudia sniffs and crawls in after. Men, she says, rolling her eyes. Oh, I know, Margaret giggles, she lowers her voice, that's why I prefer women, you know, she winks, Georgie and Carl finally get their door open and settle themselves in with grunts and snorts and throat clearing, then Ben puts his foot to the gas pedal, and they are all on their way, Ben doesn't stay in the cabin with them, when he drops them off at the lakeside log home, he reverses the limo and backs down the road in near silence, Georgie is not sure where Ben stays, he doesn't care, either, the log cabin is less of a cabin and more like a mansion, rising three stories among the trees, rows and rows of peeped windows greet the travelers, glinting softly with mid-morning light, the front entrance is surrounded by a massive deck, whose entrance is adorned with the thick trunks of two enormous spruce trees that form giant columns casting shadows on the door. Breathmint Claudia offers as they walk together towards the front entry. Georgie shrugs and takes it. He doesn't notice that she doesn't have one herself. He knows enough by now that when someone offers you a breathmint, you should take it. He wonders if he is getting the breathmint because they will be fucking soon. This cheers him up significantly. Sex with Claudia has not been half bad. Lately, he pops the white strip into his mouth and it quickly dissolves. For the next half hour or so, Georgie shows everyone around the cabin, introducing them to their rooms and showing the few walking paths around the lake. He shows Carl how to start the generator. The two flop down onto a soft and well-used sofa as Claudia and Margaret unpack coolers of food into the refrigerator. Georgie and Carl stare at each other with rapid hostility for about 15 minutes. Then Georgie becomes extremely distracted by a fly buzzing against the window. Georgie Margaret's voice seems to fill the room around him. Georgie, are you okay? Georgie looks at her. Her cheeks swell slightly. I'm fine. He answers. His voice seems to come from somewhere very far away. Cool, 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 cool. Georgie thinks. His tongue thumps against the roof of his mouth. He looks over at Claudia. She looks evil, as always. Georgie decides not to look at her anymore. Instead, he looks down at his plate. He wonders when he moved over to the dining room, and when it became dinner time, and why his spaghetti noodles are swirling like a vortex. Georgie laughs. There's a black hole in my spaghetti. He snickers. What Carl demands peevishly. He snaps a quick glare to Claudia, who shrugs. Georgie snorts. You don't see it. You're missing out. Margaret stands and walks over to Georgie. She places a hand on his forehead. Are you sure you're okay? She murmurs. Weird. A little weird. Georgie admits. He looks up at her with hope, love shining bright in his eyes. He pushes the love out of his eyes and into her eyes. If he does it just right, she will love him back. A loud noise distracts him. The spaghetti trembles. In fear. An earthquake? 
Claudia's fist is on the table. Georgie, orgy, 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 she says. Behave yourself for once, you're not my mum, he says. He sticks his tongue out at her. Is Claudia his mum? What if Claudia is his mum? If Claudia is his mum, then he is Claudia's son. His mum is just a stupid fat lady with bad English, and a drinking problem. No wait, that's his mum, not Claudia. If Claudia is like his mum, then any minute now she will leave, or come to him crying in her nightgown, with her breasts falling out. Don't think about that, Georgie, okay? Margaret says words. Words that means she loves Georgie. Claudia says words too. She loves Georgie, too. But she is a bad, bad person. She hurts him. Her face is covered in dark spots. They swirl around each other, like flies. Choking, they will choke her. Number, Claudia, Georgie says. He laughs helplessly. Claudia, me, in love with Claudia Nesbitt. Me, in love with Claudia. Me, in love. Georgie lies on the couch, sinking back into cushions and cushions and cushions. A blanket is over him. Its fibers scratch against his arm hair. The blanket is made of fibers, and Georgie is too. In his mind, the fibers grow through the edges of the blanket and into his skin. Number, weaving into his arm hair, until Georgie is all blanket and blanket is all Georgie. Georgie looks out through his eyes. He zooms in on the ceiling like a lens. I am a lens, Georgie thinks. I am a curved, glassy universe. The wood grain of the ceiling flows as a river. Wood river. Wum, 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 throbs the grain of the wood river. Georgie realizes that wood doesn't grow it flows like water up and out. Its branches are branches of water, a river. Georgie porgy Georgie porgy Georgie porgy Claudia sings. He thinks of her with pigtails, a little girl. How are you liking your little nappy poo? Georgie baby Claudia whispers. Wum, wum, wum. Margaret's face appears over the couch. She shines with light, like an angel. Claudia is just shadows. Is he any better not yet? Bet, bet, yeti. Should we call a doctor he'll be fine. Claudia's hand touches Margaret's arm. It's just an episode. Claudia, that bitch, whore, that woman I love and hate. She created a paradise and set it aflame. She is my world and its end. My kinky sex goddess. My creepy peepee -pee nemesis. She never stood a chance. I never stood a chance. We love and hate no matter whose face she's wearing, whose heart she's tearing. I want to see her in those sling backs, her pervy, cotton candy blue toes peeking out to play. A popping noise reminds Georgie to look sideways. There is a glow, a fire. There is a fire, and there are three people sitting around it. Georgie wants to roll over, but that would be too hard. The people pass around a glass thing. The glass thing is filled with clear sloshiness. They bring it to their lips. He knows what it is. Georgie's tongue is a piece of felt in his mouth. He wants to move it, but can't. Clear sloshy would be a bad idea, anyway. Georgie is in a good place. Two of the people are girls and one is a boy. The girls are laughing together. One has bright fire hair. One puts her hand on the other one's leg. Georgie is angry. He remembers that both of the girls are those that he wants for himself, and that both of the girls are those he can't have. He's angry they can have each other. He watches them kiss. The bright fire hair blows into the fire. The fire wraps around them both. They are surrounded by walls of gorgeous flame. Georgie wants to burn with them. The boy reaches out and touches them both. Georgie wants to be the boy. They all collapse together in front of the fire, and Georgie, watching, is with them too. When Georgie walks through the doorway, the hall is dark. Stop right there a voice commands him. Georgie stops. Be careful, the voice continues slitheringly. Or else, well, you don't want it to get you. Georgie hears the heavy panting of some enormous creature. He freezes, terrified. Hi, princess. Claudia's voice whispers close to his ear. Come in. Georgie creeps sideways, avoiding the hole he knows is in the floor beside him. The monster he knows is just salivating to get him. He creeps into the living room, where he finds Claudia kissing another woman. It is that Sarah chick. Claudia and Sarah stand topless in the center of the room. Claudia is all decked out in her latex gear. There is a small audience besides Georgie watching. Greg is 55 with long, white hair. He has a puff belly, a fuzzy navel. Georgie ticks. Claudia sees his neck jerk and his eyes roll. She waves him to come closer. Just don't come too close. The creature in the dark hall breathes heavily, drooling just behind Georgie waiting to devour him. The breathing revs up to a scream, or a pulsing wail. Don't leave Claudia shouts. Fuck you. I fucking love you Georgie yells at her. You're fucking with my mind again I'm not. I am not Claudia insists. 
damn it, Georgie, I told you I wouldn't do that, the screaming is louder it is a screeching, a mechanical marvel, Georgie clamps his hands over his ears, I'm just a habit, Georgie, an addiction, Claudia soothes him, she tapes his mouth shut and cuffs his wrists to his ankles, he's done for a captive, Georgie struggles and strains against his bonds, his shirt rides up, exposing his puffy red belly, the veins on his neck do not stand out, they are nowhere near the surface, Claudia laughs, her hair glows with fire, her face overshadowed by the flames, it is dark, Georgie can't see, he can't see anything, you disgust me, Claudia whispers, she nibbles at his ear, you're pathetic, Georgie screams and yells at her, but his mouth is still taped shut, oh, what's that, Princess Claudia simpers, are you trying to speak, like a real person, let me help you with that, Georgie watches Sarah caress Claudia's breasts, rolling the latex suit down and down, exposing her fiery bush, Georgie brings her shiny red sandals to his nose, he inhales deeply, then freezes, that noise, the screeching, don't go Claudia commands him, his mother leers over him, her face lit by flickering light, a carving knife and fork clenched tightly in her fists, flames lick at the base of his chair where Georgie struggles, pulls against the rope, he pleads with Claudia through the tape on his mouth, but she can't give a fuck, can't, that is not what he is paying her for, not paying for love, paying for hate, for pain, to be ground in nothingness and waste and vast dark emptiness, Claudia pulls a condom from Georgie's wallet, she sticks her tongue out at him, she unbuttons his pants, coughing from the smoke in the air, her hair is on fire, too, but it hardly seems to bother her, her hair, that's the source of all her power, Georgie realizes, Claudia brings her face close to his crotch and sniffs, her face is mug-like, an animal face, she is a fox, crafty, clever Claudia, the monster screams and screeches alarm, the smoke rises around them, she unsheathes herself from her latex, stands naked before him, she tears open the condom and bites a hole in it, laughing, she tosses it at his feet, you can't be safe, she snarls, what's the point of trying, when it always comes back to this Georgie strains and screams through the tape, he tries to hide, but his penis unfurls, pulsing with fire, with heat, he hates her, he wants her, what's that, princess Claudia rips the tape off his mouth, fucking whore bitch cunt Georgie screams, Claudia laughs, good, she purrs, Claudia and Sarah are sucking on each other, in the good old 69, they each moan and resume, Georgie wonders how to get between them, the creature screams and puffs its breath at his neck, no, no, no Georgie screams, he's just a little boy, just a kid really, he is not strong enough to fight back he is only just strong enough to know what is going on, to be terrified by it, just leave me alone something small and terrified cries, he can't do anything to stop her, Claudia's on top of him, riding his erect sex pole, loving it, get me pregnant, Georgie she demands, give me my fucking love child, so I can raise it with my girlfriend, she spits in his face, Georgie shakes his head no, no, number, come in me, Georgie, you fucking cunt she screams, her voice rises into the screaming alarm, the evil creature, they blend, their fibers intertwine, son of a crack whore, bitch cunt Georgie roars, something lets go in him and he shoots his wad in her, again and again, an eternity he orgasms all life suspended in his stupid cum, his rapidly shrinking cock, I don't love you, Claudia whispers, shuddering, I want to abuse you, just like you wanted, I love it, the alarm rises over them, smoke choking their lungs, her hair a vibrating nest of flame, the pounding on the door, someone save them poor, poor Georgie, Claudia's face before him is peaceful, blue, her lips open and close slightly, her eyelids are slip shut, calm and dreaming, her hair splashes purple around her head, it twitches slightly, it swims into itself, Georgie wobbles unsteadily, he almost trips on her, her hair, he thinks, slowly he unclenches his fingers, feeling the blade slide apart, Schwip. He cuts and cuts, sliding the blades through every wormy serpent inch of her hair, dousing their purple flame. No, 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 until he snips her ear, and her eyes fly wide open, and she screams. The blood worms out, puddles a little puddle on the dark, wood, moonbeam splashed floor. Georgie is screaming too, although he can't hear a sound, and then there is nothing. A nothing so deep there is no room even for bliss. Wake up and smell the dopamine Georgie, a soft voice calls. His eyes flutter open, the angel stands over him, she breathes gently in his face. She is white, all brilliant white. 
it. She overcomes him. I'm dead. Georgie realizes. I'm dead and this is heaven. Why did you do it? Georgie the angel asks softly. I didn't mean to. Georgie replies groggily. You meant to. You know you did. But I didn't know. How could it have turned out any other way? I thought I wanted it. But I was wrong. Can't I be wrong? Claudia gasps. The angel soothes his forehead. I don't think it's a good idea to see her. Now, Margaret says. What Margaret shakes her head. Don't you remember? Georgie Georgie remembers the fire. They're loving Orgy. The fire. You cut off Claudia's hair. Margaret whispers. She's furious. Georgie laughs. Is that all he says? Margaret looks at him sternly. A woman's hair is nothing to trifle with, she says. And what did Claudia do to you? Anyway a realization comes over Margaret, and she bites her lips slightly. Georgie laughs again. You have no idea, he says. His voice is empty terrifying. I don't even know the worst of it. Not yet. Anyway, Georgie, Claudia, Margaret, and Carl slowly climb into the limousine later that day. They had planned to stay through the following day. But Georgie has a massive hangover from the drugs Claudia slipped him. Claudia, Margaret, and Carl have slight hangovers from their own night of revelry. Also, Claudia just has to see a hairstylist to do something about the dreck Georgie created. Claudia is not speaking to Georgie either, which makes things awkward for everyone. The only time he manages to get her alone, she just hisses at him and slaps his face. This is not what we agreed on she snarls, her face creasing in two lines of hatred. Ben hides a smile as the crowd unfolds silently in his limo. You could say he's not exactly surprised by how things turned out. You could say that. Georgie and Claudia drift into their separate worlds in the next few weeks. Georgie returns to his old fetish haunts, his sicko twisto paid for fantasy world. Claudia returns to Greg and Sarah. Now that she has a new job, it doesn't matter if she fucks her old boss and his wife. Actually, if she stops fucking her new boss, she might lose her job or get double pay. It is a toss-up, that one. Georgie returns to the stone cottage up on the mountaintop. But there is no one there. He lies on the basking rug, his dick a limp biscuit, breathing in the smell and waiting for the disgust to come. He is empty, there is nothing in him anymore, no cords to strike, no emotions to feed on. His life is just as boring, boring, boring as he always feared, knew it would be. When Georgie returns from the cottage, he wanders through the grocery store, a ghost, weighing for something, anything. Nothing could be worse than this. He looks around at the sterile shelves crowded with food and packages, at mouth breathers who stalk prey in the form of packaged cookies and who graze on fried potato chips. The basket shudders uneasy in his hand. It is empty. Hey, Georgie, Margaret says quietly from behind him. She must have snuck up on him or something. Margaret relief quiets his poor, angry, tormented brain for a sweet second. She looks down at the floor for a moment, fingering a package of a bargain bulk cereal near her knee. She is thinking of the cabin. Georgie knows. She is thinking of how she saw him, an utter idiot. She is wondering what he saw everything I know that you didn't find your nanny. She says finally. She looks up at him, eyes glistening. I know that you didn't because you're not better. If anything, you're much worse. Georgie nods. There's no use disagreeing with her. So, I did some research. Margaret goes on. I found her for you. She drops her head and rummages through her purse, eventually drawing out a scrap piece of paper. Georgie thinks about her skin as she presses the paper into his hand. Margaret steps closer to him. She is in the small cloud of heat his body emits. Her hair smells like flowers. Margaret looks up into his face. Go see her, Georgie. She pleads softly, please, if not for me, then for yourself. He rubs the bit of paper between two fingers, looking doubtful. You have to see her, Margaret says. It's the only way, only way what Georgie says. Margaret looks at him reluctantly. The only way for you to get better. Georgie looks down at the paper. If he rubs the ink away, it will be impossible for him to find her. It will be like she never existed, like before. He squints at Margaret, accusing her. Why do you care, whether I'm better or not? She shrugs. I'm your friend, Georgie. He snorts at her. You and your one-hit wonders, he glows, face distorted. You think a trip to the Dalai Lama, a visit to my old nanny, and a self-help book are gonna make all my problems disappear. Georgie hurls the note up in front of her wide eyes. What's next, huh? A magician? More doctors he grips the paper in both hands, threatening to tear it. Ever think that maybe I don't want to get better? Don't want to have to believe all that bullshit people starve themselves with to say that they are happy? Is that it, Ben? Is it that you don't even want to heal? Is that what you call it? Healing? Hell? Doc? 
I don't know, because if you don't, if you really don't want to get better, then why do you keep coming to see me, Ben? I don't know, Dr. C, you're the doctor, why don't you tell me, I, Georgie, Margaret's eyes are full of tears, I care about you, she whispers, Georgie looks at the slip of paper in his hands, more bullshit, he mutters, love, healing, he mutters, what does all that have to do with me, he stuffs the note in his pocket, see you are, he says, go see her, Georgie Margaret reiterates at his retreating back, I just know it will help, I just know it then, unto them, Claudia putters around Georgie's old style country home, a mug of warm water and lemon in her hands, she sips at it slowly, squeezing her eyes shut, she tries to pretend that it is coffee, it is not, it never was, it never could be, why doesn't she just make some coffee, Sh doc, give the girl a minute, would you, with Georgie gone, Claudia stands in front of each window and stares out at the view, after a while, she moves on to the next, there are at least 24 windows in Georgie's home, and each is a different view, when she has gone from the attic to the basement, Claudia starts all over again from the beginning, she has given up on food, for today, what is the point, after all, Claudia thinks and thinks how and why, she doesn't worry about Georgie as much as you might expect, she cradles her stomach carefully, trying to hug herself in, like something is trying to get out, wait, is she, with a jump, she brings her hand to her lips, her eyes bulge out, oh number she thinks as she runs to the bathroom, not again, Claudia collapses over the toilet, retching again and again, there is nothing left in her but lemon water, and, but she brings it all up anyway, and then some, to the inexperienced observer, it looks like air nothing but air, but for those in the know, Claudia is still bringing up chunks, every bad thing she has ever done to Georgie, every mean word, every time she has gotten off to the thought of plucking out his eyebrows, or twisting Greg's knuckles till they broke, all of that is coming up now, in chunks and chunks, splashing into the toilet, spilling over the edges, the blood and the horror and all the bullshit rises out of her and around her, dripping onto her toes, lapping at her foot soles, Claudia sobs into cuffs, she belches and vomits again, you all knew it would come back to haunt her, didn't you, yet it was only a matter of time, when Georgie comes home she is standing there waiting for him, her face is vomit smeared, her eyes haunted and terribly tired, she looks like some ghoulish version of her older self, Georgie she gasps, she hiccups and then vomits on his shoes, it smells like lemon, Georgie, I'm pregnant, she sobs, she falls at his feet, her wild, tangling curls land in puke, Claudia shakes, crying, but there is no sound, years from now, Georgie will wonder if he did the wrong thing, if there was anything he could have done to make it right, oh, wait number, he will not, Jesus, Claudia he says, staring down at his shoes, at her head on the floor, get up, she huddles at his feet still, worthless, Georgie looks at his shoes, wondering how to take them off without touching the vomit, huh, he thinks, maybe he is stuck in these shoes forever, Claudia stares, looks up at him with pleading eyes, is it mine he asks, Claudia hangs her head, I don't know, she whispers, Georgie closes his eyes tight, then he remembers the hose in the front yard, he leaves, Georgie stands like a flamingo in the front yard, washing the vomit from his shoes, clean, 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 is his mantra, he watches every last speck slide off into the grass, then he washes the grass, too, pushes the chunks back and back to his neighbor's yard Claudia's lot, with her sad, burned down house pieces glaring at him, Georgie trains the hose on the charred house remains, washing the ash, it washes back to more and more ash, the cold gleams at him, he thinks about the hose, wonders if it will clean the whole floor, and Claudia's hair, maybe he will just wash Claudia down with the hose, hose off all those freckles, hose down all those curls, the spray would be so fast it would knock her senseless, push her back against the wall, her pieces would all fly apart, clean, so clean, one arm in the kitchen, the other draped over the lamp in the living room, her leg in the hall, her foot on the porch, her head in the attic, that is where heads belong, no, no that is not how it works. She would stay all in one piece, and the water would dig and dig into her, cutting a hole in her belly until he could see right through her, until she was translucent, a holy creature. He snickers. Claudia, holy. Claudia, clean. The water in the hose drains to a finish, with one last spurt it retreats into its dark home. Georgie turns around. Claudia is waiting for him, her hand on the spigot, while she demands. He walks close to her. Her eyes are still haunted, stained with tears. Her face is old and sagging. Her hair 
eyes flecks off vomit still, who could love this woman, what are we going to do she begs him finally, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I do, do whatever you want to do, he spits out finally, I don't care, she looks at him, slowly, oh slowly, her eyes begin to narrow, like mountains forming, her face becomes an angry, bitter mask, fuck you, Georgie Gust, she hisses at him, her eyes glow red, how does she make them do that, fuck yourself, she says haughtily, raising her chin, I don't need this shit, Claudia moves out Georgie slumps through the halls of his old style country home, hating every world of it, each beam reminds him of Claudia, here she strung him up, there she burned him with sick butts, over in the chair she cut him, in the bathroom she drowned him, on the porch, she humiliated him, time and again, numb now, Georgie wonders how he ever thought he was bored with Claudia, with her, life was a tortuous show, a jagged toothed adventure, without her, he is back to making thermoses of 10 shot espresso, it hardly even jumps him anymore, it's a load of shit, is what it is, nothing jumps him anymore, he wants his Claudia back, Georgie roams the aisles of the grocery store, searching and searching for Margaret and the perfect snack food and a sale on cigarettes, cigarettes are never on sale, but maybe tomorrow, he could stalk through the aisles all night and they would never know, maybe there will be a sale tomorrow, a sale tomorrow, and Margaret, too, eventually they do start to notice him wandering around, it has been 7 as by now shifts over, about time to go home, don't you think, and follow him, eyeing him suspiciously, Maybe I should have changed, Georgie thinks, maybe wearing my robe to the store wasn't such a great idea, because, of course, it makes him noticeable, can I help you one of the grocery staff asks him for the twelfth time in the last hour, are you looking for something in particular the short little bitch grins, knowing that he is not, or knowing that he is not so much looking, but waiting, the girl has the tiniest freckles Georgie has ever seen, they remind him of Claudia somehow, don't think about that, twenty minutes later, Georgie lets the grocery store checkers usher him out the door, it slides shut behind him with a groan, clipping the tail end of his robe, fuck you, he thinks groggily, and then, more espresso, when Georgie gets home, his message light is blinking, he presses the play message button, hey Georgie, Claudia purrs, I was just thinking of you, I was downstairs at one of the lectures, it's so boring I wish I was with you, instead, Georgie blinks, for just a moment, he wonders if all the torture was in his mind, if really Claudia is his, all his, and she has not moved out and they did not break up, she is just at a conference for work, and everything is as it was, should be, should have been, maybe, 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 baby, but no, Georgie is quickly proved wrong as the real message begins to play, he realizes that other one was just an old message, from way back when, the real message goes on, hi Georgie it is Claudia again, just wanted to check in with you to see how you've been and what's going on, what you're going to do for the holidays and all that, I just wanted to keep in touch, I know I've amputated myself from your life, yet again, it's just, it's just been really, I needed to put 100% into my family, and I'm glad I'm the type of person who can do that with her family, Georgie reels, who is this Claudia, this self-assured family woman with such quiet grace, what is this family, then Georgie remembers that Claudia took the baby she took the baby and raised it with her lesbian lover, that bitch, his baby, his sperm child, but then the real message plays, and Georgie realizes that, don't think about that, that must have been a different Georgie, a different Claudia, as far as Georgie is concerned, that never happened, the real message is from Margaret, hey Georgie it's me, she says quietly, a little scared, I just wanted to check in with you, see if you got in touch of your nanny yet, I think it's really important, I care about you a lot, you know, I, well, anyway, just go see her, I'm thinking about you, I want you to feel better, a pause for a moment just dead silence, then die, and a click, Georgie has not heard at all from Claudia, only Margaret, Margaret, who says she cares for him, Margaret, who wants him to get better, Claudia never wanted him to get better, Claudia just wanted to hurt him, make him worse, she was happy to take his money and use his healthy mind, and then warp it into sick pulp, Georgie forgets that he asked her to, that he used to want to be sick, that healthy was just too damn dull, he forgets all that, he just thinks, with relief, of the possibility of that happy dream couple he could be, if he only applied himself, Georgie digs frantically through his closet until he finds the jeans with the slip of paper in them, he unfolds it, looks at the address in amazement, the house is close, it is in his neighborhood, 
Practically, what kind of sick fuck moves into the same neighborhood where his old nanny used to torture him? Then again, his parents bought in the house. Georgie looks at the front lawn for a long moment. Then he is out the door, jogging sluggishly across the grass. Claudia drags herself out of her old, beat-down station wagon and leans back against it, staring at the dull, gray building before her. The parking lot seems to stretch in front of her like the fields of some twisted eternity. Her tender nipples talk to her through her shirt. She bends carefully down to pick up her purse from the passenger's seat and is overcome with another bout of nausea. She retches silently, wretchedly, on the floor, but nothing comes out. Whatever is inside her must be pure evil. It is eating her alive. This is what Claudia tells herself as she staggers slowly toward the clinic. Georgie rises up out of his black limo, then slams the door behind him as he takes his first steps. The house is old, and rotten 80 years old, at least, it is grey-wooded, and sorely needs paint. The small lawn in front is a jungle, a forest of weeds, and landscaping runs amok. Tall grasses and shrubs tower over Georgie's head. Dead vines crawl over the porch railing, winding honeysuckle drip over the gutter. All around him is the sound of bees and leaves decomposing as he walks the overgrown path to the front porch. In a rocking chair out front she sits, glaring at him with a self-satisfied smirk. So you found me, finally she asks, leering at him. The wisps of her white nest of hair blow forward over her face. Ah what Georgie stammers, wondering how she knew. Through all that mess in my front yard, she stretches out a skinny arm, cackling. Her sagging skin quivers. Georgie realizes that her leer is a smile, her cackle a laugh. He shudders. Do you remember me he says finally. He peers at her through the dark shadows of honeysuckle trees and dead vines. How could his nanny, the woman who had such power over him as a child, had made him tremble with terror, had pinched him, tormented him, swung him from his dick? How could she have become this scrawny, pathetic old woman? Was it the ultimate justice, that she who had once towered over him, almighty, now struggled to stand from her old, creaking chair, or just a cruel twist of fate? Georgie briefly wonders what fate is in store for him, after all that he has done, remember you the woman cackles again, harsh, dry heaves of ancient pear escape from her lungs, who in good god would bother to remember a pudgy little vermin like you Georgie gapes at her, his foot pauses in midair on the first step, or, course I remember you, Georgie gust, the woman cackles again, I never forget her pretty face, Georgie shudders again, he tries to remember what he is doing here, is he supposed to confront this old woman, beat her, torment her, now that she is the weak one, or beg her, for what, forgiveness, he looks at her again, pure evil in a rocking chair, maybe she is not so weak, after all, age is not everything, yeah, well, I was a, uh, Georgie clears his throat, I just wanted to see how you've been oh just fine, you can see, she gestures at the deconstruction that surrounds her, living the dream, Georgie comes and sits down uneasily on an empty rock next to her, she grins at him a gap-toothed smile, yeah Georgie says, falling easily into the casual drawl of her speech, just thinking about the old days, you know, used to have a lot of fun here, his throat threatens to constrict and choke him on the word fun, but he gets it out anyway, she smiles at him, a slight question in her eyes, yeah, you used to spend hours and hours here, she says finally, sometimes it was hard to get you to go home, yeah Georgie feels something twist in the pit of his stomach, like he is going to blow chunks, yeah he says again, she nods sagely, and stares at him from the corner of one eye as she jumps slowly on her gums, that's not what I remember, he spits out finally, a weary coyote look begins to glow in her eyes, Georgie goes on, what I remember is that you used to torture me, she shakes her head, but he knows that she's lying, what I remember is hating every minute here, I was miserable because of you he screams, the coyote woman is still shaking her head no, no, number, Georgie goes on, you ruined everything for me he screeches, of everything, every relationship I've ever had is ruined because of the WAU, and Georgie does something he really does, something he has not done since boarding school, he bursts into tears, in that vast nothing, that horrible numbness inside me, there is boiling and gushing, it tears out my innards, makes fries off my bones, my gentle ribcage, everything shatters and falls apart, everything gurgles up and flows out of me, everything then, is that you, and then silence, when Georgie grows quiet, he feels a hard, bony hand resting on his knee, he remembers that hand, how it pinched and twisted at his balls, performed unspeakable acts on him, the woman speaks her voice seems young, now almost human, I am sorry, she says, Georgie hiccups, it was horrible, she says, Georgie nods, unspeakable, she whispers, but there are things that must be spoken, isn't that right, Ben, Ben, but it wasn't all like that, you know, the woman says, 
Her eyes plead with him, like Claudia's. What about your friend Marie? You two, you were like boyfriend and girlfriend when you were kids, so sweet to each other. The woman's face breaks into a smile. Georgie can see that she's remembering better days, sunny afternoons, two kids in crisp, clean clothing running circles on the lawn, chasing after one another. Georgie shakes his head. I don't remember that, he whispers. Until last year, I didn't even remember you. She grins again her gap-toothed smile. Well it's a blessing, isn't it? Georgie steps inside her rickety front door, feeling immediately ill at ease. The door frame is crooked from years of warping and the tainted foundation. The floor rolls away beneath his feet, slightly downhill. It is dark and cool inside. Georgie waits a moment for his eyes to adjust. You see and the nanny's voice calls from the front porch. They are right in there on the wall. Georgie blinks and swivels around. An old sofa and sagging armchair rise out of the darkness, draped with gravity-warped Afghan blankets and oilies, whose hurls stretch like grinning mouths, their bottom lips drawn ever closer to the floor. Then he sees them, the pictures. They lie in the world beside the front door black and white, sepia-toned. They are Georgie, mostly Georgie, so many of them that it goes beyond nostalgic and slightly creepy to nearly unbelievable. Is it real, Ben? Ben? It is like Georgie is the only kid she ever bothered to babysit for, or that he was the only one worth remembering. And then there is the girl Maria. The world is filled with pictures of her and Georgie posing in the bright sunlight, playing childish games. In one, he is lacing up her shoelaces in another, she is riding him like a pony. The pictures flash in front of him, alternating between photo and memory. He remembers her the first Claudia. She stood before him in kids and fluffy pink dresses, stamping imperiously and ordering him about. Her moods were like storms of the ocean quickly flashing in moments of terrifying manipulation, subsiding quickly once her wishes had been appeased. He had been her slave the first Georgie, Georgie Porgy, she had called him, before her, his name had been don't think about that, Georgie, okay, looking at the pictures, Georgie realizes that this girl, this demanding, tiny, terrible woman, had taught him everything he knew, she was his first girlfriend, his model woman, she taught him how to love the ups and downs of it, the grim, terrified clutching in the panicked, unreasonable, pushing him away, she had taught him that love was pain and suffering, that it was better to hate the one you love, to better blame them for all the wretchedness they caused in you, I can do better than that, Georgie realizes suddenly, the the torture, they do not have to happen, they don't have to be a part of me, Georgie races from the house, his mind filled with the image of a happy, American dream lover he can be, he and Claudia and, my son, in his sunny and charming old style country home, playing happy, number, being happy, where you going so fast, but in pie the old woman drawls at his retreating back, home Georgie calls mutteringly over his shoulder, the woman cackles again, her mouth stretching into that impossible jack-o'-lantern grin, wouldn't be in such a hurry if I was you, she mutters, her cackle follows Georgie all the way to the shining black limousine, he climbs into the waiting limo and tells Ben, home, please, Georgie is filled with an impossible delirium, just short of insanity, Georgie knows he can be happy and perfect, if he just tries hard enough, I can make my own destiny his mind rejoices, I can remake my own damn self, just like those new age books claim, a Georgie boy, a, Ben pulls up in front of Georgie's old style country home, tires screeching, Georgie leaps from the back seat without waiting for the door to open, he has no way of knowing, no reason to hope, but he knows that all his happiness is waiting for him inside his happy dream future is only just steps away, when Georgie flings open the door to his American, dream style, country home, he runs headlong into a noose, the room is pitch black, thick smoke fills his nostrils, Georgie, says her voice softly out of the darkness, it is Claudia, his dream lover, his perfect woman, she will be nice to him if he tells her to be she said she was tired of torturing him, she said so, he will pay her to be nice, if he has to, Georgie thinks extremely of his future life as the noose tightens, Claudia he says, can't she see in his face that he doesn't want to play this game anymore, the rope begins to draw him into the air, choking off his air supply, Georgie kicks and claws at his neck with his hands, he gurgles, trying to open his larynx to the air, he draws in a hissing stream of oxygen, not enough, then Georgie's mind overcomes his body's panic, she is not really killing him, after all it is just one of those games that they are playing, she doesn't yet know that he is done with the torture game and wants to move on to something more blissful, ah, uh, what the hell, Georgie thinks, one more time wouldn't hurt, for old times sake, 
His gasping, bulbous, red-turned face makes a grimace that resembles a smile. What do you have to smile about? Claudia hisses from the darkness. There is some movement on the rope as she ties it off. Then she steps into the small pool of light before him. What the fuck have you ever had to smile about? You free Georgie finds his good humor starting to fade. His face begins to shade towards purple. Do you see this? She gestures to herself, her tired, purple eye circles, her pale, orangey freckles. You did this to me. I did it used to be this way. Georgie gives off a sick, rattling moan. Spots begin to dance before his eyes. He has heard this all before. When is she going to untie the rope? Is she going to bury him again? Afterward, she stares at him in silence. For a moment, Georgie feels a stab of real fear run through him. Her eyes are haunted. Hollow, he can't see anything of Claudia and them. Slowly, she smiles. Her curving lips fill all his vision. I killed your son, Claudia whispers. The words echo in Georgie's ears as if coming from a great distance. You didn't want him, you didn't care about him, or about me, so I killed him. She walks slowly to Georgie. He pulls desperately at the thick rope that rings his neck. He can't see past the fireworks exploding at the backs of his eyeballs, but he can feel her. She touches his leg with her hand. I killed both of us, she whispers. She tugs down, cutting the rope deeper into his neck. She laughs. And now I'm killing you, she yanks at him with all her strength. Georgie's world goes black. He can't hear her breathing. He can't feel her arms wrapped around him, or the rope around his neck. He is nothing. Finally, nothing. Waking up with Mr. Clean he wakes up in a world of white, soft white glow. He tries to roll over, but can't move his arms. For a moment he panics, yanking at his arms. He can't breathe. A small cry escapes him. Then he understands the white room, and the thing binding him. It is a cell. It is a straight jacket. A man about Georgie's age taps on the small window in the door. Georgie looks up. The man smiles and opens the door. I see that you're up. The man says. He lifts a clipboard and props it on his forearm. How are you doing today wh what Georgie says. The man squints at him. Do you know where you are he asks. Georgie shakes his head. The man inhales deeply. This is still Mercyhurst Hospital, he says. The mental ward. Oh, Georgie tries to shake the cobwebs from his head. So she didn't. I'm not dead the doctor looks at him with a slight smile. Alive as ever, he says. Georgie detects the slightly ironic tone, but doesn't understand it. He decides that it's nothing. Where's Claudia? Georgie demands. Who Claudia? My girlfriend. The man frowns slightly. He notes something on his iPad. There is no Claudia, he says. Georgie stares at the man. Georgie's arms go limp and then a smile spreads over his features. He feels relieved, suddenly, to find that Claudia never existed, that he never hurt her and she never hurt him, that he is still alive, and yet, it feels like someone has just punched him in the gut. The pain of Claudia's non-existence is almost stronger than sitting on a hot frying pan, almost. Georgie wonders how much of his life has been real and how much has been a hallucination. He wonders if Claudia does exist, somewhere, maybe they were even neighbors, somewhere, and then a truly horrible thought occurs to him. How long have I been in here? Georgie asks, whispering. The doctor leans forward to hear. He looks at the chart, although he probably doesn't need to, his face is blank. Georgie assumes it is an attempt at sympathy, your whole life, nearly, the doctor says, since you were five, Georgie reels back from the man, struggling to free his arms, an entire lifetime in the madhouse, an entire lifetime imagined, he stumbles and loses his balance falls to his knees, Claudia, Margaret, a dream, a dream, a dream, something wets his cheeks, rolling to his chin, tears, Georgie is crying, he sobs, feeling the loss and the terror of it rise up in him, then it subsides, leaving him, empty, clean, some time passes as Georgie tries desperately to comprehend a situation that seems impossible, the doctor watches him, absentmindedly dancing his fingers on the autolocked iPad and nodding slightly, then he turns and leaves, number, number, no, Georgie gasps out loud, staring around at the blank padded walls of his personal hell, this can't be happening, this isn't me, it's not real, it comes to him, then, this is not the reality, it is just a dream, I beg, I demand that all my angels, spirit guides, self-help books all of you who only want what's in my best interests, Claudia, touch my head if you're here so that I know, wake me up from this nightmare, he breaks into sobs once more, and then he feels the hand on his head, he looks up from where he kneels, the hand is real, it is Ben's, you Georgie gasps, just you Ben nods slowly, I can see you, Georgie says wonderingly, yes, says the voice in Georgie's head, the voice that has always been in Georgie's head, ever since, don't think about that, 
Okay, you're not too bad looking, Georgie decides. He looks closely at Ben's face, taking in his eyes, a true mirror of his own soul, and his whole self. Your face is the face I should have hit, Georgie says. It's impossible to say. Neither of us turned out quite the way we thought we would. Why can I see you now? Why couldn't you see me before? I don't know. You don't have to talk. You know, you can just think. You're always listening, and you, yup. Georgie rests for a while. He stares at the white, white walls, thinking nothing. Ben disappears, but that does not matter. Georgie knows that Ben is still there, even though he can't see him. Ben has always been there. Ben will always be there. Are we dead? Georgie asks. Finally, Ben gives a mental shrug. How should I know you're not good for much? Are you? Fuck you. Georgie longs to pick at his fingernails, but his arms are still trapped in the straight jacket. He can't even scratch himself, except with his teeth, and there are certain places where even teeth will not reach. Who are you? Georgie thinks. The million dollar question, I am you. You are me. Georgie thinks about jumping up, about slamming himself into the wall. He has the sense that he has already done this many, many times, that it is a useless pursuit that should not be tried anymore. Why is my driver named Ben? He asks as the thought occurs to him. Why does everyone want to know that? Ben is a common enough name. Maybe it is just a coincidence. Nothing is a coincidence with us. Ben seems to be laughing but as he says it's because I'm driving you around I am the vehicle and you're the passenger. Or some bullshit. What vehicle? Nonsense. Isn't it? I mean, obviously that's not the case. Things have turned around. Georgie stops, rubbing his eyebrow against his shoulder for a moment. Had or not my alter ego any longer? Obviously, I'm your alter ego. Georgie's mind whirs and pops. He begins to stand, but stumbles instead. What? But that means you're not real. You've never been real, obviously. Georgie breathes with relief. Everything is so simple. Why didn't he figure it out sooner? All that love crap, that pain and torture, that topsy-turvy drama you've been making in your mind, all that shit gets in the way. Georgie nods his agreement. It's no wonder I was distracted, he decides. So, if I'm not real, he ponders slowly, thinking it through, and I'm your alter ego, so I'm not real either. Which means, holy shit, neither of us is real. The clock on the wall melts away. So does everything else. Well then, let's go bum a smoke. I don't want to do anything, hum, I want to do nothing, you want to do nothing because there is nothing, I don't want to love anybody either, hum, I am nobody, I'm in nobody then along with the doing nothing, love nobody, be a lover in the nobody makes sense hum oh, nothing, porcelain utopia part I, Dr. C, meet Benjamin J. Screeber in finished in Joba Fed off a thought Ben, what are your goals in therapy Dr. C asks, I should have known she would ask me that, I should have guessed, it's always the first question, it's the first session, but I really can't answer her yet, why not, she would probably ask the next thing, and I would have to say, because, because, because I've got a big fat gut for love hatred yeah, I know, I know, and all those new age self-help audiobooks I've downloaded to help me cope, really aren't doing shit, I guess I thought, or Dr. C thought, maybe, somebody thought, I might be able to grab onto one of those brand new, self-help ideas and believe that we are all secretly psychically interconnected, we have an innate power of intention that creates our reality, or some such shit, and that just thinking those noble bullshit new age thoughts would help me, heal me, make me a better, or at least give me a decent reality to start with, better than this whole sick psych ward bullshit I'm stuck with, this whole schizoaffective, neurotic, borderline psychotic whatever, you call it reality, but the more I complain, I'm a hypocrite, I know I hate complainers, and the more I bitch and moan, the more the divine field, or whatever it's called, just bounces that sick shit right back at me, besides that, it adds anxiety, fear, and cramps, every symptom in the book, as if I didn't have enough shit to deal with, already, but why me, Dr. C, that's what I want to know, sling backs out of my deepest tough pockets the first time I met Dr. C, I just knew I was going to like her, she was wearing a pair of sling back, open toed, fuck me sandals, even though she knew, she had to have known, she just had to, that I'm a foot fetishist, big secret number one, so what else is news, plus, she had on a clingy, low cut shirt that showed off the top of her breasts, and she kept leaning forward provocatively as she told me she was going to help me learn to love myself, yeah, love myself, that's what she said, she was going to make me love myself, 
So, I said I didn't think it was possible to love myself, you going love me, too, Dr. C, that's what I want to know, but I said if she wanted me to, what the hell, I'd give it a try, so she said yeah, she wanted, wanted what, do you think I believed her, what else could she say, that she didn't even want me to try, no psychiatrist is ever going say that, and believe me, I know those psychos, psychiatrists, I mean, I've been seeing them, off and on, okay, mostly on, ever since I was 12 years old, that was the year my mother decided I had ADD, the number one psychiatric disorder of choice for that fucking year, and she marched me off to see Dr. Nora Epstein, she promptly told mother that ADD was just a fantasy disorder, and nobody really had it, not even me, as it turned out, what I really had, so they say, was Tourette's, big secret number two, which was a real thrill for mother, I was the one and only kid in the county, or maybe just in the town of wherever, or at least in my middle school, anyway, to have actually been diagnosed with Tourette's, right up front, and so mother paraded me in front of her friends, and my friends, too, like some big freak show, show them, Benji, baby, show them how you twitch, she would say, yeah, that's my mother, you've got to love her, don't you, because she's your mother, so, Dr. C said she would help me love myself, and I told her I would try, to love myself, I mean, the emphasis here is on the word try, because there are at least two real problems with Dr. C teaching me to love myself, the first problem is, I can't remember ever even liking myself, even before the Tourette's, and second, I think Dr. C really doesn't like me, no matter what she says, she secretly fears and dislikes me, so what else is new, I can tell, say, from the curl of her lip when I walk into her office, I might be crazy, like they say, but still, I've got an IQ over 140, and I know delusion when I see it, and I'll tell you, Dr. C was just deluding herself thinking she'd ever be able to help me love, or even like, myself, still, I'm likable enough, really, I'm a really nice guy, so I don't confront her, I just say, sure, Dr. C, why not and then I walk out, I go back downstairs to my limo and driver, and tell him I want to go home right away, then, I sit there in front of the computer, iTunes playing Chubrock and Coldplay on a continuous loop, I try to write, but what, not surprisingly, I can't, I can't write, retirement, I guess his writer's block is the worst place for a writer to be, ever, for most writers, most other writers anyway, I don't know for sure, I don't know any other writers, and I don't read them and I don't read about them, I don't need to read to be a writer, that's just the way I am, I'm a rebellious, outlaw writer, fuck the norm, I say, but I've got writer's block, I've had it really bad for the last year and a half, in fact, I haven't written a damn thing in that whole time yet, that's writer's block, sometimes, though, when I'm in love, I'll stop writing, I know it won't last forever, and I might as well love it while it lasts, but that's not writer's block, it's lover's lock, so am I in love, am I, you know what I say, yeah, right, I'm in love, I say, with myself, maybe, and I scoff, me, in love, yeah, baby, I think of writer's block as a pleasant break from my whole bullshit psycho routine, only this time it's almost a full on retirement, or something, so anyway, I'm lying there, spread out lazily on my lopsided bed, and Heidi, big secret number three, Heidi whispers that it's just my discontent, my malaise, my perplexity, and I listen even if I can't quite make out what she's saying, so I know Heidi's there, and I know Georgie is out there, somewhere, too, where the hell is he, though, where's Georgie, baby, I glance down at my believer loaning nightlight, it's turned on, my koopy little nightlight, and it flickers when my eyes meet the little plug-in plastic lamp, like it knows something I don't, I've saved that little kiddie nightlight all these years, I don't know why, maybe because I don't like total darkness, and I don't like white light, either, I mean, I like colors blue, red, pink, I think, but I can't think straight if the light is too bright, the see-through shades in my room are drawn, the small wooden door won't stop creaking, and Georgie, what about Georgie, where's Georgie, Georgie, Georgie Gust, my alter ego, where are you, Georgie boy, the great perfectionist meets the great imperfection, Mr. Casanova and Mr. Me, I'm calling you, Georgie boy, I need you, Georgie, Georgie Gust, come to me, baby, Georgie writes back God, I think, I've been sending out my work for so damn long, I just can't stand it anymore, and what do I get, rejection, rejection, and nothing but, and I can't take rejection, either, still, I'm okay with that, I don't even know what I'm doing here, anyway, but maybe Georgie knows, Georgie tells me to just hang in there, 
just go to sleep. Now, Ben, Georgie says soothingly. In the long run, Ben, he says, you'll be fine. That's easy for him to say. He's just a figment of my imagination, a literary device, or a delusion. Who knows? I know I don't. Dr. C won't even tell me who Georgie really is. And so I'm stuck here with this in-between shit. In-between diseases, in-between personalities, on the scary borders of some multiple personality disorder. Or who knows, but whatever it is, I know, I got it. Dr. C meets Ben. A written account from Dr. C. I've got to say, I've never had a client like Ben Screeber, or should I say Benjamin J. Screeber, as he prefers to be called. He's still just Ben to me. The first time I met him, he was late, dressed in Armani jeans, a USC sweatshirt, Hugo Boss loafers, no socks, and an oversized blue stove by Pat with an orange bonbon on top. What a cookie get up. I can't help it. That's what I thought. What would you think if it were you? Okay, okay. So I reacted negatively. I admit it. Clients who show up late for their first appointment give me a bad first impression, and first impressions count. So I prepare myself for the worst. I figure they won't be cooperative in treatment, they won't take their meds, and they won't discuss their issues. They just won't. And besides all that, I like punctuality. Rich clients who show up late, who have limo drivers and trust funds, and see me only because they have fathers who pay to keep them out of jail, those creeps set my teeth on itch. I admit it, I'm honest, like it or not. First impressions matter, even in therapy, especially in therapy, and when Ben did it even shoot for a favorable first impression, well, he just set me up to not like him of course, a psychiatrist doesn't necessarily need to like her clients but it doesn't hurt, it might just even help, you know, just maybe, first impressions count, and Ben made a bad impression, being late was bad enough. But the way he entered hopping into my office on one foot and then the other, like she was some kind of overgrown, gooky child without a care in the world, drove me crazy. I admit it, it's not often that a client drives his psychiatrist crazy, but Ben did that first day. Later, after I'd read his file, I felt ashamed, and maybe a little bit negligent, because Ben has Tourette's, you know, the hopping is involuntary, like the sniffing and brow raising, and all the other twitches and ticks, and dances, and I'm also ashamed to admit that I didn't pick up on the symptoms. Ben was referred to me by the police department, and the police department hadn't sent over all the paperwork. So that's my excuse, but still, I should be able to make an unbiased diagnosis without papers or, at the least, I should have refused to see him until the papers came through. Seeing the files might have made a difference. It still might not have been love at first sight, but at least I might have liked him better. So I confess, I admit, I let my bias against the rich and privileged get the better of me, and it showed. And I guess Ben picked it up, too. Yes, of course he did, I know he did. So Ben just sat on the couch with his legs crossed, the stove by Pat in his lap, and smiled. He told me about how he tried to hold up the Pasadena City Bank with a cell phone, which is why he's in therapy. This time, anyway, it was either therapy or prison, and then he stopped. He uncrossed his legs and then leaned forward, putting his elbows on his knees, and stared right into my face. He seemed earnest and engaged, maybe even slightly shy, and then he said, You don't like me much, do you? My first instinct was to lie, to say something like, Of course I like you. Ben, instead, I tried to respond professionally. I smiled and said, It's not my job either to like or dislike you. Ben, my job is to help you, and he nodded like he understood, although I couldn't tell, really, what was going on in his mind. It would probably be easier, he said, if you liked me, don't you think I blushed, revealing my embarrassment. It was like Ben could read my thoughts, and I can't say that I liked it, being read like a book by some kook. It's okay if you don't, like me, I mean, if I were you, I wouldn't like me. Hell, sometimes I don't even like me, by then, I had managed to get my distance and my professionalism back. I leaned forward and smiled, reassuringly, I think, and I said, that's exactly what I am going to do, Ben, I'm going to help you love yourself, and he smiled a sad, slow smile. Finally he looped his hands behind his neck and said, Loving myself isn't something I know how to do, but if you want, I'll try. So, of course, I said I wanted. He said okay. Then he walked out, quitting class at our second session. Dr. C asks me to tell her what I remember about my old, school days. What's she really after? Whatever it is, I don't want to tell her. I got this creepy feeling that Dr. C's really after me. Instead, I tell her about Georgie. Georgie will tell her about me. I cut through all the crap that's happened between now and then, and I go back to my past, in search of my past where I find Georgie hiding out. My dreams take me back to Georgie's past, 
2. They take me back to school. I'm like Georgie. I went to public school. Even though I'm rich, Georgie went to private school. Georgie made some incredible friends there. One of them died. And who's that? Now? Huh? Don't you remember? Benji? Don't you want to remember? One of them is dead. Unlike me. Who's that? Ben.C wants to know. Who's dead? Who died? She waits. The pregnant pause. Was it someone special? Someone very important to you? I ignore her. Like I ignore all her bullshit questions. I just lie there on the couch. Thinking about Georgie. Pritting. Preening. And free associating about Georgie. And about her. Georgie's girl. Claudia. Where is it? Where am I? Who am I now? Sheltered in the quad ivy and brick walls is a small fish pond. Its surface reflects the moonshine like clear glass, dispersing its light through the whole white light spectrum. Georgie just sits on his favorite wooden bench. He's still in boarding school, posh and preppy. I'll always remember him that way. He sits there with his back straight, with good, erect posture, so he can digest everything he takes in. But I'm more of a sloucher type, the slacker type, an idler. I'm rich and spoiled, and I'm lazy. Perplexity is my perpetually confused condition, my perpetually entangled situation. This is the kid I remember, the Georgie who's 18 and introverted, nervous, his intense slouch, his high IQ. No one can see him, but I know he's got a black eye and he's been in a couple of fights, fighting for me, fighting for my protection. I really don't deserve him, he's a luxury item. Georgie wears large round horn-rimmed glasses, when they are not broken, and a designer tie, lavender or yellow, or maybe orange and raspberry blue, loosely fitting around his neck, like a noose, we're nonchalant, casually indifferent. Georgie and me, we are of little importance to anyone but ourselves, to anybody but me, and maybe Dr. C we make no effort, we take no turns, it's just Georgie and me, there's nothing we really have to do, anyway, we make excuses, we're taking excuses apart and digesting them in parts, we're fragmenting reality. Flashing forward to yesterday where am I? Who am I now? My reflection in the bathroom mirror wears some awfully feminine blouse with a black bow tie and ruffled white sleeves. This is Georgie. This is me this time he's in the mirror, malfunctioning. The two of us picked up an amazingly useful skill, a talent. Since we are both in our heads, in our fucked up, full-time fantasy life, we've tried doing some fun stuff. Cool stuff with our heads, with our minds. For example, levitation, but we failed, we couldn't do it. Time travel, yes, but just putting our thoughts there, in any time we wanted. We couldn't master remote viewing, necessarily, but we were able to resonate morphologically. Ourselves this means that Georgie and I have been able to put ourselves in another place, because all of this life shit isn't real anyway. You know, the whole notion that none of us are born, none of us ever die. Everything's infinite and eternal and circular, or maybe evolutionary, probably all of the above. So instead of only being able to see, or view some other place, Georgie, without a second thought is able to place himself anywhere. The Seraphim Angels alter everything else so that our presence, wherever we might be, seems natural and logical to the rest of the world, sort of like a parallel universe. This is how we escape. But Georgie will only put himself in one of two places, Long Beach, California. After all that's where Claudia is, she's still alive and well as far as Georgie's concerned. Then there's New Mexico, the vast plateau of serenity, sometimes, where he and I can get away from the rest of the uppity fake tits, fake ass, fake-minded people in Los Angeles County. I just follow Georgie there, wherever he goes. Only time he'll follow me is when I go back to school. We use our immaculate imaginations to get us there, this blast to the past. Of course, this and a need to go back has a lot to do with my incomplete childhood. When I go back, 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 I will sometimes make up with the bullies who used to taunt me, beat me, mom and pops style, way back when, oh, Long Beach, overpopulated with those goddamn fart fetish types, we just have to laugh at that kind of pornography, doc, they do that shit out in the valley, they film that shit there, usually $1,000 a shoot, I mean the pay to the porn stars, rather, porn actors and actresses, to hell if there are any stars in porn, everybody knows there aren't, Georgie and I, we pull that kind of shit right at home, a fart in the face followed by a giggle and a waving of the hand, in order to disperse the putrid smell, and responding to such a poo toot, verbally perhaps, quietly uttering to the farter, that was a quiet one, the receiver is taking it in as he longs for that particular hard and agitating feeling of shame, the kind of which only a good stinky fart in the face is the means, the fart, and the shame, fills an important space, a space within us where it really hurt, we can find a sense of relief on both ends, 
from this kind of behavior, you might say, a relief from the physical pain as it is replaced with olfactory sabotage and humiliation. So, yes, Georgie and I are basically be bisexual, that is, still, I often think of my mother, my father and my poor little inner child who seems to have lost his childhood because of them. Mommy, stop tickling me, I mean it I'd yell, she wouldn't stop. My father and his emotional abuse, not to mention the sexual and financial abuse of which, these days, I don't hide the fact that I want pity, long live the living colorful rich, the self-made millionaires, billionaires, fucking trillionaires, then, they say, you're the wealthiest 30 year old in all of New Mexico, buy yourself a nice little jet plane, why don't you, you have the money, you know, why don't you live a little, boy until the time, when I actually ask for it he, being the strict rusty of my beautiful inheritance close to 100 million dollars, replies, oh, Benji, we need to talk about this, you know, the next week I receive a shit, little, put it together yourself, model airplane, I find it crushed inside a little compact PO box, see why I can get so angry, they'd call it a lie, those rich parents of mine, when I confront them about this stuff, they, like all other abused and abusive parents they threaten abandonment, and I just love it, so, in place of my own internal parent who might otherwise take care of that inner child, now that I am 30, so that he may be able to grow up again, Georgia becomes that parent, a single father, fuck the mother, with Thurfica, New Mexico is flat and hot and dry symbolically cold, it's the perfect place to just chill and smoke the peace pipe. The pagans and nudist communities do their thing, we do ours, I just follow him there, I just follow Georgie, his sense of direction is better than mine, we're staying at the seaport hotel in Long Beach, California, and Georgie's current situation, as petty as it may be, has me captivated, we're in the most pressing circumstances, something here deeply concerns me, I don't know what, so we check out, again and again, from this cheap seaside hotel, and we walk back, again and again, to our place just down the shore a ways, maybe there's no more sex with that woman, Georgie thinks to himself, have I just come to that realization, then Georgie scoffs, he's always scoffing, Georgie and I wander home, and we watch a Jerry Springer marathon until Bobby Banks calls, Georgie forgets he has any friends, but they call him anyway, and, for sure, Bobby wouldn't be calling me in the first place, unless, we're on non-com, you know having a communication breakdown, it's a falling out, as if we didn't already have enough static already to break up the friendship, Bobby took advantage of me, fucking con artist, Georgie picks up the lion and gives Bobby the typical American greeting, hello, how are you etc, I can hear Bobby's boisterous blabber even when I'm not on the phone myself, it's that loud, hey, you still fucking around with that chick next door, the Long Beach diva, that chick, Claudia, right Bobby finally asks, Georgie hasn't seen his best friend Bobby since he was in boarding school, coming up 20 years ago, what a shit 20 years in between, might I say and say again, Bobby came out to visit him there, and they've kept in touch ever since, Georgie seems to think he cares, I seem to think he wants something, the only thing I want is Georgie's girl, though, the only thing I want is Claudia, through the night, Claudia sleeps patiently, soundly, under her teal colored dream catcher, sprawled across the bed, her slim white arms and pale legs sprawl seductively as she makes a crooked cross, her chin presses to her chest, she's resting peacefully, but she's no more peaceful than a dead white dove, she's the amateur sex diva, her big soft breasts at rest, her breasts are heavy, like the morning dew falling on the green grass lawn outside, the same lullabies she remembers as a little girl hum from the same clock radio she keeps on her antique night table, a hypnotizing Annie Lennox ballad wafts through the stifling bedroom air and almost gets caught on the slightly drawn, white, silk veil over her California king, who am I now, am I dreaming, am I, somehow, in Claudia's dream, I like to think that she's gotten fat, like Georgie, like me, maybe her breasts have gotten heavier, and heavier, and heavier, and now they sag, the poor things, Georgie used to be skinny, but that was before I started to binge on the new meds, I'm looking to understand myself, through Georgie, you see, Dr. C, I see, Ben, please go on, so, how did he get there, I meditate, not medicate, on his sordid past, I think back to when he was posh and preppy, 
Acto in his past might have meant something more, really, I think, it doesn't, it most definitely does not, it never has meant anything, I can see him with his parents, my parents, and I feel empathy for him, how could I have wronged this poor little guy, he's my own soul, so to speak, my soul within a soul, it's been a long, long road, there was less traffic in the beginning, but the traffic became heavier, the road became crowded, crooked and narrow, somehow, we got lost along the way, Georgie and me, Long Beach, the hub of the warp at our third session, what's happening now, I wonder, Dr. C's picking my brain, she's trying to get inside me, once to know more about Georgie and me, or maybe, maybe she wants to know more about Georgie's girl and me, Georgie's girl, what's her name, Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, even the name makes me shiver, sometimes, and other times I get hot, just thinking about her, thinking about me and Georgie and Georgie's girl, Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, Dr. C asks me what I remember about Georgie's girl, what the name Claudia Nesbitt means to me, I'm not following her, this is between Georgie and me, it's none of the business, where am I now, when I wake up, it's Wakefield again isn't it, but who, what, when am I, all I know is that time flies and the years go warping by while Georgie sleeps, he is wrapped in time's embrace, when Georgie's asleep, all he can think of is sex and satin, but he dreams about escaping, like a wild animal in some crazy human zoo, but when all the cages break open the screaming, hungry beasts stampede him like vicious predators, kicking up dirt with their hooves and claws, he's splayed out underneath the sky, while a thousand deckers and swords fly overhead, in this hellish wonderland of waking dreams, nightmares, the circus angels sing of dirty money, poverty, court hearings, testifying monks, never-ending canals of blood, excrement, delusion, and terror fill up my nightmare dreamscape, and I lay there with Georgie, with me, living out my fears, my mistrust, my fucking brain tumors and who knows what else, housekeepers are a blessing even the pack of people unloading a room from an SUV just outside his window fails to startle Georgie awake, his alarm has been snoozed, again, Georgie's half awake, half asleep, drifting somewhere between dreams and nightmares, he tries to rise, falls back, falls asleep again and dreams, he finally wakes with white hot sunlight in his face, he's sweating hard, he grabs his heart on, but no, he couldn't come, or maybe he could, he could, he really could, he just knows he can do it, maybe if he wasn't such a goddamn nice guy, it's his perennial problem, it's his peculiar condition, his pet pathology, he's too goddamn nice for his own good, people take advantage of him, who takes advantage of you, Ben Dr. C wants to know, she doesn't know, she doesn't know me, it's Georgie, Georgie's girl, she's Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, Claudia, who told him she loved him and then started fucking Sarah and Sarah's husband, Greg, sometimes at the same time, I'd call Georgie afterward, or during the fucking, and tell him it was his cock she was riding, his dick filling her pussy, and she was sorry, but she just couldn't be with him, like that, ever again, not anymore, not like that, not when his peculiar conditions, his pet pathologies, were so much worse than her own, like he was fucking contagious or something, maybe Claudia's right, his own brand of craziness, his own peculiarities, or a better word than pathology, which reminds him of a forensic pathologist, televised, maybe really are worse than anybody else's, everybody else's, he doesn't feel crazy, but then, maybe nobody crazy ever does, who knows, you would have to be crazy to know, now, wouldn't you, but if you were crazy, you wouldn't know, especially if you didn't know who you were, where you were, who's who, who's he, anyway, I'm me, I'm him, I'm Georgie, finally, Georgie swings his legs out of bed and pulls on his boxers, it's his first big day on Wakefield campus, and he really must get up and get cracking, now, mustn't he, why does he keep having these creepy little sex fantasies, half awake wet dreams, why does he keep thinking about Claudia Nesbitt, it seems like she was, and is, a real person, a real human being, like Miss Heidi Birello, but only Georgie can see how easily Claudia bruises, can see the little black and blue marks on her arms and ankles that confirm her reality, Georgie collects those details, he keeps her real in his mind, he remembers the scar on her ankle bone, the left one, and he remembers what she told him, in bed, sitting up, her legs spread wide, letting him see all the way up her pussy, Georgie remembers, doesn't he, I know I do, Georgie remembers how impossible, fucking impossible, it was to take his eyes off her pussy, her clip pubic hair, the folds, the recesses, the smell, he loved that smell, loved burying his nose in her pussy, breathing her smell, no douche, no spray, pure Claudia, or maybe not so pure, 
Georgie doesn't remember Claudia pure, or clean, he remembers the smell of her, how horny, how wet she'd get before her period, how milky, how sticky she'd be, how always her pubes would tangle, clump together, before her period, and she'd always want him to go down on her, clean me off, she'd say, and Georgie would, only before her period, never after, never during, just before, she drove him crazy, didn't see, or did she really, Dr. C, is Georgie crazy, or is it really just me, Georgie, Claudia, me, Claudia always sat with her legs spread, letting Georgie look, knew he was looking, while she told him stories, stories about her scars, about her life, about her ankle, Claudia lifted her leg high above her head, showing Georgie her pussy, her asshole, and then she told him about her father how abusive he was, what a drunk he was, how he threw his buck knife at her, because my father is a hunter, she said, and needs a buck knife to skin rabbits, she said if Georgie ever wanted to buy a knife, ever needed a knife, she'd go with him, because she knew all about knives, on the count of my father, she said, she said, Georgie wishes that Claudia said because of my father, he doesn't like the sloppiness of, on account of she said, he said, but he was in love with her then, and so, of course, he didn't correct her, besides, he remembers, she remembers, the story of the knife her father threw, and how she needed 13 stitches to close the wound, can you believe it? 13 stitches on that little tiny bone she said, and, no, Georgie didn't believe it, still doesn't believe it, but Georgie was in love, and maybe still is, and it seems rude to say he thinks she's lying, to say, 13 stitches are what you get for big cuts, Claudia, not for little bitty nicks on the ankle, so he just kept his big mouth shut and let her lie, let her lie, and who's lying now, Ben.C wants to know, he ignores that, too, Georgie does, he's just thinking about Claudia again, and how much he wants her, how much he loves her, wants to fuck her, yet, he wants to love her, and now he hates her, he fucking hates her, he remembers his scar, her legs, and her taste, in love with Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, he hates her, hates her, hopes she dies, hopes he can stop being such a nice guy, a good guy, he hopes he gets the balls to kill her, drown her, electrocute her, and cut her, something, anything, to make her die, for himself, who hates her, who wants it after Sierra asks, and who died, try to remember, is it you, are you awake in there now, Ben, Ben, do you hear me, Ben a knock on the door, it's a student from the next room over, checking on him, making sure he's okay, has he been talking to himself, maybe, probably, his Tourette's, his bipolar, his schizoaffective disorder make it normal for him to, Georgie collects symptoms and diagnoses the way some people collect stamps, or coins, or butterflies, he has books explaining every condition he's ever had, he understands his conditions better than he does himself, or is there any difference now he worries that he's talking to himself again, really, Georgie doesn't wonder if he's going crazy, he wonders just how crazy he has become, how crazy is crazy, anyway, how do you know, can you tell me, Dr. C, just how crazy is crazy, anyway, that's what I want to know, restaurant love, where am I, who am I now, I sleep, still, snoring and gasping in turns, holding my breath choking in my fucking sleep, Ben's choking, coughing up little pieces of food, the smell of wine wafts throughout his dream sensations expensive wine, on the house, he's sleeping, my dream takes place in the past, that was past, what past why don't you tell me, Dr. C, Claudia stands outside and watches a well-dressed, elderly couple enter the fusion restaurant, violin music wafts into the night air as the outside door opens, then fades, as the couple disappears inside and the door swings shut, Claudia pauses at the threshold, she enters, in step to the music, she's shown to a seat at a table in the main dining area, she has a good view of the string quartet but she's disappointed, as she waits for the waiter, the string quartet packs up their sheet music and instruments ready to head home, maybe she ought to leave, too, no, she thinks apathetically, I need to eat something, a few minutes pass, finally her waiter arrives with a bottle of the house wine, he bows slightly and offers her a glass, she accepts the wine bottle, it sure is dead in here, isn't it she says, expressionless, the waiter acknowledges her comment with a nod, it might pick up later, but I doubt it, as he finishes pouring the glass, he looks straight into Claudia's eyes and gives her a weird, college guy smirk, a grin that smacks of awkward, frustrated desire, she pretends not to see, 
he's dissatisfied, of course, but he shows no sign, I'll be back for your food order, in a minute, he says, I return to her, as her waiter, I come back to her in this fantasy, and him and he's me, do I know you from somewhere, she asks me, quizzically smiling, we must have met some other time, sometime when I was Georgie, Claudia is moved by Georgie's quick, subtle charm, she can enjoy him, but she can't fall in love as fast as he does, Claudia acts less impulsively toward Georgie than he'd like, she already has her sexual needs taken care of, Georgie doesn't, and neither do I, for that matter, Georgie will do anything for me as long as I'm a good citizen, free and clear of drugs and booze, so long as I don't give in to temptations of substance, as long as I act like Pops wants his only son to act, so I stick to the sugar stuff and the occasional whipped cream whippet, I'm keeping myself perfect, pure and clean, for him, for Georgie, Georgie obsesses on people, mostly, he loses himself in a fantasy world for as long as he's obsessed with them, however long that is and however interesting they are to him, Georgie thinks about things a little too much, but still, it's a beautiful process, isn't it, what's Georgie really like, he makes careful decisions, he's only horny when he's tired, he sweats like a pig, he works hard at sects, hold me, he says, just hold me, why Claudia wants to know, it's their first official date, they're in bed together, because, I've never been held before, Georgie answers, not like that, but what does she think, what's Claudia feel, Claudia feels sorry for Georgie, she thinks he's an unloved hermit, so pitifully deserving, she helps him realize he can relate with others, even if they are still in high school, in special ed, Claudia calls herself Snickerdoodle, she dubs Georgie with the out of place nickname princess, or else calls him corners, referring to the dimpled corners of his mouth, or generically, beautiful, she's just naming herself with all these nicknames, I think. Probably she hands out titles to everyone she dates, they are replacement placer holders, throwaways, like the men she gets involved with, the men she uses, like me, or maybe she just gives them to the people she really loves, she doesn't consider herself to be Georgie's, or my own, so be, subject of bewilderment, that is obsession, delusion, star model of lust and passion, bad habit, Georgie loves her little antics and imperfections, she never says or thinks anything bad, and she doesn't seem to mind her own flaws, life is so easy and so casual for her, she does, however, have a knack for fucking with people without them knowing anything about what she's doing doesn't she I don't know, Ben, you tell me, don't fuck with me, Dr. C, who's fucking with you, Ben, is it me, Georgie, is it Claudia, or is it really just you, Ben okay, okay, I'll make a coerced confession, I'm going mad, I think, I don't know how to say what I want to say, the main point is that I love somebody in some strange way, or I think I do, call it love, call it hatred, obsession, or madness, but I love someone, that's how I feel, as fucked up as I am, I love someone who can't love me, who can't love you, Ben, is it me, or is it, me, and I have no greater need in the world, nothing, just a certain requirement to remember all I am, I'm trapped within some eerie, itchy bitchy spell, cast by somebody who can't really love me back, that somebody is me, is that what you're looking for, Dr. C, let's go and watch the sunset, Claudia, yeah, sure, she says, leading in, leaning in, I'm hoping for a kiss, and when we get home, I smell my fingers, nervously, but I don't smell Claudia, I look in the mirror and whisper a soft hello to whom, to whom, I wonder, the church bells outside chime with Georgie's own song, a song he plays in his head, his psychosis starts to overcome him, the same way as last time, but different, different, but the same, this time, okay, okay, I have a coughing tick, a coughing tick and a big tick, big like a pickle, the coughing tick tickles and I like pickles, Georgie likes pickles, Claudia likes pickles, I wake up with the image of Georgie in my head, he's checking his mail, I've given Georgie his own P.O. box so he can get mail without me reading it first, sometimes I'll send him gifts and keep them for myself, sometimes I pretend that we're the same person, Georgie starts the morning with Claudia, but I stay in bed a while longer, sleeping and snoring, and thinking of her of Claudia, we're pretty sick and tired, Georgie and I, have the same pathetic routine of morning, so Georgie decides not to shave or clip his nails, it will all be okay, someday, sometime, I wake up to check back on what's happened already, I'm in the kitchen making breakfast, I dump a cup of unfiltered water into a bowl of oatmeal and heat it up, I'm a microwave professional, the washer and dryer are in the garage, Georgie finds a clean shirt in the dryer, he steps outside to put it on, he prefers dressing in public, Georgie does, he does, he climbs into his white, b-neck t-shirt, 
presenting himself beautifully, showing off his outstanding talents. The smooth, silky cotton polishes his waxy, college boy skin and vintage nipples, puffy nipples, his hurly-burly boy cups, miniature UFOs, rug bites, bee stings. This peculiar collection of moments is crucial to Georgie's everyday, he hates to hang his clothes, so the dryer is constantly running, lint piles up and the fabric softness smells like allergy. Georgie's allergic, he sniffs and remembers the smell of Claudia, I cough, we tick, we twitch, we do circus ticks, we're circus freaky, we're just a big circus freak show, and we, Georgie and me, the grey skies dull away and yesterday's rain has stopped. The dew rubs coldly against Georgie's bare feet, grounding him. He's burning a fire in his mind. Everybody's watching, and we, he's alone and invisible. He doesn't feel, he doesn't exist, he's not needed. He breathes, he thinks, but he's not. Georgie wants to say he doesn't care about this, but he does. He wishes he could record all his thoughts and hallucinations. He wants to matter, more and more, but he's distant, far off, aiming a spotlight down at the stage. The play goes on down there and Georgie watches unseen. He's always the last one picked, the charity case, and the delinquent. He's just a rich kid with a big heart, and a heaping side of rage and anger, too. He's often depressed and his moods swing in kaleidoscopic circles. The fibers in his mind vibrate and images are formed. What images form today? The perfect, beautiful, and pure woman? Or some sinister, creepy, alter ego, Georgie Gust? From Wakefield to Reup Doctor C made me do it name calling, Georgie Porgy, Mr. Twitchy, Georgie, Benji, Georgie and me, Threats, Borderline Personality Disorder, Schizoaffective, Neurotic, Psychotic, Blah, Blah, Blah. Speaking of which, I've had two cups of coffee this morning and nothing to eat. Routine, routine, routine. Now I've got an appointment with Dr. C. I ramble way off the subject. What is the subject? Georgie, Claudia, and me. Dr. C. just listens as I run on and on and on. I've got another doctor's appointment today, another second opinion, or a third opinion. Fourth, how many opinions do I need to know I'm fucked up? I know yeah, and some of these shrinks are fucked up. Two, I swear, one doctor says I've got Tourette's, another says schizophrenia, another says blah, blah, and more blah. Am I in between these diseases? I can live with that. It's cute to be an in-betweener, but who can I trust? The one on the right or the one on the left? Which am I more like? They are all puppets, muppets, gonzo, sexo, I'm going crazy, going, going, gone. Two cups of coffee, and I'm all over the place. A couple of years back, I would have reacted differently, but I've changed. I skimmed through my junkie memoirs. I was such a good little kid. How did I get so fucked up? I want to swear, but I know better words. I'm choosing not to use them. I don't want to end up in hell, do I, doc? I don't know, do you, Ben? In the end, I wonder and wonder, what really happened Dr. C seems to think that dredging up the past will somehow fix my present, but are we going forward or backward? That's what I want to know, I'm not in therapy because Dr. C wants to teach me how to like myself, correction, love myself, right, Dr. C, I'm in therapy because I robbed the Pasadena City Bank, well no, I did it really rob it? More like, I pretended to rob it, it was kind of a joke, really, at least I thought it was a joke, I was high on crack at the time, on Chivas Regal, marijuana, and clonopin, and I thought the whole goddamn thing was a fucking riot, bankers really don't have a sense of humor, neither do cops, at least, not the cops in Pasadena, I'd just met with my business manager about trust fund stuff, cops were still dishing out a little cash at a time, a little scratch, here and there, I'd just learned, that day, that he'd made a $1.20 million profit on a huge position, I couldn't tell you which one, but the dividends they paid me were being kept, without any hold, I was told, in the Pasadena City Bank in the San Gabriel Valley, I knew then, after the meeting was over, when Ron, my manager, pulled out a few joints, I knew I needed to get that million too in cash, run off to Vegas with a couple of mafiosi, professional bagger up players, investment managers, gaming, they are called, and win win win, then die of crack smoke in my hotel room, this was one of the highest manias I'd ever gone through, all that's gone through you, Ben what do you mean, gone through me, you tell me, now, Ben, anyway. 
high on crack, I raced down the I-34 in my BMW, doing about 120, and then tried to take a tight turn without slowing down, the car didn't like it, and it showed, it refused to make the turn and instead went airborne, flying over the divider to the other side, landing right side up, leaving neither of us seriously hurt, it was a miracle, and I was reborn for half a minute or so, then I slid into a blind white fury, jetted up on speed, PCP, and angel dust, I took out some extra clonopin 4S from my medicine collection, my drive through pharmacy in a glove box, to soothe me down, I pulled up to the mini mall and parked, inside, there was this young woman, a teller, I pulled out my cell phone, leaned across the marble counter, and said in my very best gangster voice, my ego huge from the drugs, listen, I don't want any problem here, I have 1.2 million bucks at this bank, and I'm a VIP customer, want to see my driver's license I pulled out my billfold, check out the zip code, 91101, I said, got it, 91101 I insisted, and if I press the pound key on this, then, I waved the cell phone in her face, okay, okay, hold on a minute, she said, I'll get you your money, you better be quick about it, then, babe, I told her, I'm going outside for a smoke, I'll wait, you have the cash waiting when I get back, but she didn't get my money, this happened to be a non-cash bank, what the hell's a non-cash bank, what she did instead was call the bank's CEO, who told her to call the police, outside, I began to see not cop cars but little pins, needle points that surrounded the two-story mini mall, sometime later, I found out that there had been three entire city blocks of police and sniper squads, before I knew it, there were guns and news cameras pointing at me, all intent on capturing America's most stupid, Benjamin J. Screeber, that's me, or was it Georgie, Ben fuck you, Dr. C please, Ben, get the fuck down I heard somebody shout, I could feel my death right then and there, it started at my feet and crept up my shins, to my knees, and then my thighs, later I'd learn the feeling was a reaction to the PCP, but at the time, I was sure I'd been shot, sure I was on my way home to Jesus, my grandmother's Jesus, that is, I've never really been much of a believer, myself, a believer in what, Ben in anything, Dr. C least of all, in me, down, face down, now the dots yelled, I hit the deck, hard, I stretched out on the pavement somewhat gingerly, since I was wearing Armani, Jesus Christ, what did they expect, was I going to take on the Pasadena city police with a fucking cell phone, a cop trotted over, pointed a gun at my head, and kicked my legs together, ankles crossed, hands spread, now he screamed, now, 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 can't we discuss this a little later, does it have to be now, they were all in such a fucking hurry, I just couldn't stand it, chill, dude, I'm not going anywhere, I told the air, or the cop, whichever, someone I never saw cuffed my ankles together, and then the cop, the one who ordered my hands to spread, Sergeant Howard sir, his real name, I swear to god, you swear to who, Ben, yanked me to my feet, do you know how hard it is to stand up straight when your ankles are crossed and cuffed, I toppled into the sergeant and my head banged hard against his, it hurt like a son of a bitch, I think I yelped, actually, I know I did, the sergeant, not unkindly, pulled me upright, son, he said, you need help, I'm pretty sure I mumbled that people had been telling me that my entire life, so this is not the first time, then just listen, huh, maybe it's time you took their advice, sergeant, howitzer said, then he told me that he wasn't arresting me, just detaining me, which made about as much sense as a non-cash bank, but what the hell, why not, the only problem, and it was a big problem, was that detaining me included calling my pops, who was neither amused nor unamused, dear old pops was simply neutral, like always, and how long have you had these feelings about your father, Ben shit, like I always say, always, I talked to him at the police station, he was my one telephone call, Ben his voice boomed, how the hell are you well, actually, I said, then I let it drop, I wasn't really sure how I was, and I wasn't all that convinced he really wanted to know, yeah, 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 he said, heard all about it, listen, son, I told Sergeant Howitzer to get you into rehab, rehab, call me once you get settled, Pop said, then he hung up, Sergeant Howitzer let me out of the station and into his car HV Malibu, one by BMW I burst out, I'll give it to you for $5,000, a real steal, a street steal, I snorted hysterically, no, thank you, he told me politely I already have a car, a piece of shit Chevy Malibu, I told him, funny thing, people some people, even poorer middle class people get attached to their piece of shit cars, their piece of shit lives, Sergeant Howitzer cleared his throat once, twice, three times, I buy American, son, 
He snapped, always have, always will, suit yourself. I told him, I wondered if my uncle was paying him to drag me around Pasadena, from facility to facility, looking for a place that would take me. Every facility was full. After five consecutive rejections, you kind of lose your belief that anyone really gives one good goddamn about helping you get better, and I said so at the time. Look, son, Sergeant Howitzer told me, don't go getting all paranoid on me. Sometimes a pickle is just a pickle, and sometimes a full-up facility is just a full-up facility. Okay, I said, and you believed him, Ben like I believe you, Dr. C. To pass the time, I rolled my eyes back up into my head and passed out. When I came to, we were in the parking lot of Valley View Hospital in Silmar. How many places did a Sarge have to try before he found one that would take me, out in fucking Silmar? I could tell you, if you're curious, Ben, just save it, Doc. Tell me later, but hey, rehab is rehab, and I am nothing if not adaptable when it comes to getting clean. Besides, my nurse Cindy was hot, she had this super straight, ash blonde, haircut straight to her chin. She looked like the fucking Dutch boy, except with major tits and a curvaceous ass. Mental ward snuff who do you think I see when I walk into your rehab? It's the bureaucrat. She's your typical lunch lady an obese white woman, weighed down by these heavy dressed rolls whole rolls of breast fat down her side and front. Her name tag says Betty, so what happened to Cindy just back off, Dr. C? Okay. Betty shoves me into a chair next to Howitzer and checks me out. I'm grossed out. Now, I've got to admit that I'm no fucking Dutch boy, either. But Betty obviously. Howitzer can smell her belly button gunk, too. We both sneak glances at her dirty clothes. The deluxe, mail order, scrubs at package, buy one get one free. She frowns at me and adjusts her smock. She's got these little happy smurfs dancing across her butte fat. You can smell her mold lubricated tit sweat. Since she doesn't wash her clothes too often, once a week seems like once a day. In her book, she readjusts her collar and sticks a cinnamon altoid in her mouth. The bureaucrat lets out an occasional silent pubic that she passes off as a sigh caused by the late hour. She's trimmed her mustache and plucked the hairs on her chin. She looks better than she did, she thinks, when she was young and stupid and sick herself, drinking at the community college. She'd tell all her college friends she wanted to help people, and all her friends would admire her for it. Now nobody likes her not the administration, and not her co-workers. How do you know all this, Ben? Were you checking her out? Just trust me, Dr. C. I know psychos. And Betty, she is, like me, Ben you said it, Doc, not me. Betty's like least by the poor sickers she takes into the ward, like you, Ben come off it, Doc. Her sternness is all mixed up with derogatory wisecracks about psychotics, and she's about as knowledgeable as the psych. Ward textbooks say she should be, I imagine she's real happy in her personal life, but I can't say for sure. She's celibate, I'll say that. At least, that's how she's coming across to me. She's not sex deprived, she's just fucking sexless. She could even be a hermaphrodite, you know, or intersex, like they prefer to be called now. She reminds me of my mother, she's a pig in scrubs, she's America's finest. She rushes me through the paperwork, not even guessing that I'll read over all the papers in my bedroom, and then I'm in the psycho ward, this identity forsaken heaven, and I'm in here to stay, until I get better, they say, someday, when I'm better, they say, I'll get out, I'll get back to the outside world, where I can be who I am, without straight jackets and restraints, if I ever get out, if I don't lose control, where I am now, I'm still here, inside, you could say I'm in communist America, I'm still here, I'm lying in a cold sweat, wearing all my dirty clothes, my old, damn, Partly soiled underwear with piss drip and loomis, the cheese it is charged from the vine underneath my holy scrotum everything's sweaty, packed, shriveled within my oversized blue corduroys, my black leather belt has been confiscated by the psych ward horse to prevent suicide, as if I'd kill myself for Betty, would you, Ben, would you kill yourself for me give me a break would you Dr. C, after check in, they stick me in this shitty triple room with a metal bunk bed and a toilet, I'm crammed in with two other psychos like me, wearing a sweaty, yellow stained white t-shirt beneath my favorite white cotton dress shirt, the damp shirt is cold on my skin, and I'm wrapped up in it, it's buttons are loose, a couple of them broken, my one sheet like hospital blanket is so thin it barely covers me, and when I finally drift off, I'm barely asleep, 
I keep double checking to make sure I really know where I am, but whenever I check, I'm still here, wherever that is, the paper flat, single pillow sure isn't what you would call fluffy or shapely it's too flimsy to fit inside its pillowcase, but I've rolled it up, packed it with my sweatshirt, some socks, a washcloth, anything for some decent support, are you looking for support, Ben, what kind of support any visible means, doc, now lay off, whatever, it's not like I'm going to get any other kind of real support in here, where I'm stuck, lock stock and blocked up, for real, in the psych ward, suddenly, the dismal fluorescent lights of the room flicker on, and my two roommates start coughing up their heavy snores, I'm aggravated, sure, but I remember not to flip my lid, lose my cool, or to show any anger, frustration, or assertion at all, any normal reactions, I know, to the torture, neglect, and ill care here, any drama, any drama at all, will cause the hospital techs to gather around me and lock me up in a straight jacket and restraints, like they did last night when I first arrived, to one of the anorexic girls, because they caught her trying to cut herself with a plastic spoon, she had sharpened it slightly, but smartly, with the sizzling heat of the external hot water pipes in her bathroom, still, they watch her anytime she has to pee, or puke or whatever, like they watch me, it's 5 in the morning when the lights flicker on, and I'm in a living hell, not prison, just a slightly safer version of hell, I really hate to even write about it, or talk about it, then even worse, dog to see, even worse, it's a loving, beautiful, colorless hell, there are childlike crayon paintings on the walls in the activities room, and the vampire nurses take my blood every morning at 5 o'clock, wax melts, where are we now, what is happening this time, don't write about it, Ben, talk, just talk, it's noon, another special day, just after I met Heidi the woman from the gift shop parking lot, you know, my Heidi, not Georgie's Heidi, I'm stuck obsessing about her, while Georgie goes on with this happy, homely life, with Claudia, I can only imagine what they are up to, I'm all alone in the supermarket parking lot, having a daydream about the mysterious Claudia, Claudia haunts me, too, but how can I find one like her in my shit life, Georgie, I'm crawling out of my fucking skin, as I enter the market, I notice a cute cottage coat bagging groceries, she measures me with her eye, looking like she's up to no good, she's up to something, anyway, I pass her off as someone I might hit on, some other day, some other life, but, of course, I'm really not interested in any chick I might hit on, let alone, actually hook up with, so, okay, okay, she's cute, I must admit, and her name tag reads Ashley, looking at Ashley, I start to daydream about Claudia again so where are we now, Ben just shut up and listen, okay, the huge front doors of the vintage luncheonette swing open, within, some disheveled old man makes his rounds from table to table, asking the patrons to help him out, some patrons flip him some small change, thank you, god bless you, he says, Georgie sits alone in the corner, furtively watching the door, he watches as Claudia walks in and sits down alone a couple tables away, Georgie sees her bruised shoulder under her brass strap, and watches as the waitress brings her a cup of coffee, then he moves over to another table to be closer to her, he wants to existentialize her, to make her exist, he wants Claudia to be real, she doesn't seem to mind such a forward pass attempt from a complete stranger, you look familiar, Georgie says, you say that every time you see me, she says, her says Georgie, hello, hello, anybody there she taunts him, Georgie, it's me Claudia folds her legs, it's Claudia, she says, it's me, what's wrong with you, Georgie Georgie's nervous, I don't know, he says, he sits down across from her, his existence dulls a bit, Claudia is stealing it from him, okay, you got me, he says, she leans closer, I had this guy once, I was sitting on a bench in a wax museum, waiting for my friend to catch up, and this guy this, like, total stranger starts touching me, fondling me, you know fondling, Georgie says, wistfully, so I said, what do you think you're doing Georgie starts tapping his feet on the tile, I must have really scared him, I thought you weren't real, he says Georgie, laughs, I tell him, no, they're real all right, we ended up dating for five years lucky him, Georgie says, Claudia glances over casually and notices the small stiff lump in Georgie's pants, do you want to sleep with me she asks, yes, Georgie says, you like foreplay Claudia watches Georgie smile shyly, come on let's get out of here, she says, Georgie nods and follows her, a few minutes later, he is strolling through the canned food I love a supermarket down the street, Claudia scans the shelves at eye level, do you like pickles she asks, what wake up, Georgie, Claudia snaps, pickles, 
Do you like them? Yeah, I like the ones you can get at street fairs, Claudia says, the full, sour dill pickles, I can eat them by the jar, me, too, says Georgie, so, where you from Claudia asks, how Georgie thinks, it's complicated, he says, well, what brought you here? Georgie, you are the lamb wanted by the cops, there's a long pause, then Claudia smiles, don't tell me, see if I care, another moment passes, seriously, why are you here, I had a termite problem at home, had to get out, Claudia snorts, yeah, me, too, later in the day, Georgie and Claudia undress in the Twin Lakes Motel, Georgie accidentally bumps Claudia with an elbow in his rush, sorry, he says, don't be, I'm just glad we met, Claudia smiles, I wonder when our first argument will be, she looks wistful, I wonder what it will be about, says Claudia, I wonder if we'll have a falling out, probably, Georgie decides, I hope not, Claudia says, she picks out a pickle from the fresh jar of half sour, store brand, dill pickle slices, yeah, she says musing, do you want to practice our breakup now, you want to tell each other what we really think, right this minute at Claudia's prompting, Georgie starts, when we break up, I just want you to know that I'll be dreaming about you, fantasizing, even when I'm married, married, you Claudia scoffs, and I'll despise you, I'll be the guy you hate that gets off to you, lightly, Claudia says, you're fucking twisted, and you're fucking filthy, Claudia, you're a whore, you're a bitch, an easy lay, ooh, you're talking dirty, Georgie, come on, now, spank me, she croons, Georgie looks at Claudia triumphantly, not if you want me to, he says, moments later, they are under the covers, making love, what do you want, Georgie, huh, little boys, little girls, the priest himself she pants, grinding herself against him, come on, baby, tell me, what turns you on, what turns you on, I'm stalking you in public, teasing you with thrilling possibilities, then I make you rape me, she purrs, why because we're both wasted, drunk and high, that's why, that's sick, what do you tell yourself about yourself, more fantasies, Claudia admits, pausing for a moment, you that I'm no good, afterwards, Claudia relieves herself, I'm sick, and is it, Georgie laughs, Georgie, I didn't get a word you were saying, she calls from the bathroom as she washes her hands, you were talking shit curses, swear words, all that gibberish, you didn't make any sense, I can get like that, sorry, Claudia looks at him so sad and alone, oh, Georgie remembers, by the way, you're free, he pulls a wad of bills from his wallet, which sits on the nightstand, for dollars and 25 cents, right, you're from La, Long Beach, wherever the home of cheap sex and cheaper thrills, yeah, your 10 minute hour is up, next time pay me before you fuck me, Claudia demands, do you want me to leave, she smiles, smirks, and sneers, Georgie rolls over, why don't I just become your little boy toy, you need one you already are, Claudia winks, I've got you hooked you're already in love with me, she looks him in the eye, and yes, I'll marry you, she flips her hair, the chances of you and I working out, Georgie says, are as good as they'd be with anyone else, you have secrets, I've got secrets, well, so, no wedding ring, then, says Georgie, no, that's silly, Claudia scoffs, I wish you were real I come out of my fantasy and fill the shopping cart with canned tuna, it's funny how fantasy and reality unreal separately and together, isn't that funny? Here's to my incredibly lonely existence, getting clean with Dr. C pregnant with the idea of Georgie just who is Georgie Dr. C asks, if not you, Ben, then who I am glad you asked that question, I answer, but I don't answer, but then, I don't question the answers, either, you see, Dr. C, it's like this, I ask myself the same question, I ask myself again and again, when was Georgie just first planted in my womb, was it when I gave up my virginity, when I was fucking Kathy Friedlander in our little childhood treehouse, was he a seed of sacrifice, was I really impregnated with Georgie, or was he born with me, actually, I'd say, he was born years later, but was I ever Georgie's father in the first place, or his mother, was he ever, I began to imagine Georgie her love a lot more vividly once I began writing about him that I know, and once I started to write, Georgie became everything I didn't like about myself, so maybe Georgie is what you might call a subconscious projection, I guess, or maybe, a psychological double, but what does that mean, and there are other questions I can't answer, like, 
when I'm in love, I ask you, Dr. C, should I start or stop writing? Is writing my therapy? Is writing the cure all, the end all of my mental maladies? Or is writing really the disease, the malaise itself, the source, the cause, the root of my perplexity? And what about Georgie? What do I do about him? Is he supposed to die, in order to cure me? And what about Georgie's girl, Claudia? Why does she have to die, too? But, like me, Dr. C doesn't answer. I always imagined Georgie shooting through his mother's birth canal like a bullet. So Georgie's birth, of course, had nothing to do with me. This is probably why he's such a mystery to me, almost as much as I am to myself. I mean I can't even hold my thoughts together. I'm terrible at transitions. Just start writing, Ben, and see what comes out. Okay then, Dr. C, to begin with, Georgie's parents were set up for a motel cocaine bust. Their cheap room is filled with smoke, the shrill fire alarm blares. Their lovemaking is hysterically passionate, and the telephone rings off the hook. Finally, Georgie's young mother-to-be snaps into a sexual frenzy, threatening Georgie's father-to-be, get me pregnant she commands, just do it and she slides the limp rubber from his dick, Georgie's papa's socks are still on, the man wears a thick 70s moustache, true poor no style, right out of Briggy Nights, the paid for couple is on fire, heated in ecstasy, fucked up on a drug induced high, suddenly, Pops makes that ever so agonizing announcement, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come then he spits it out, I'm coming just as he spurts half of Georgie through the pearly gates and into his mother's safe haven, a half dozen cops and the bee kick down the motel room door, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, talk about being scarred for life, and Georgie isn't even an embryo, yet, the invisible audience demands, we want details, details, details of the constricted, stressed, muscle spermy Georgie, the newborn child shows early warning signs of extreme fear and emotional trauma or maybe post-traumatic stress, he begins acting out nervous habits before he's two years old, as a youngster, he's withdrawn, he's considered an outcast, he doesn't have much self-esteem, the scared little kid is often sad and alone, still, he's caring and thoughtful of others, before he's out of high school, Georgie's diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome with concomitant paranoid features, bipolar depression, schizoaffective disorder, and other bullshit psychiatric disorders. He obsesses over his bullshit afflictions, uses them as excuses for his strange, offbeat behavior when he gets high. As a result, he turns heavily to drugs. His teenage life often seems hopeless and burdensome. He sometimes dreams of suicide. He goes to Wakefield boarding school by choice. By his early twenties, he picks up a slightly offbeat sense of humor. It helps him cope with all those bullshit psychiatric disorders. Then one day, this kid experiences something besides irritation, anger, or depression. He has a spiritual experience, a mystical experience. He's possessed by some ineffable sense of supernatural beauty, and so Georgie just enters a whole new stage in his troubled life. But this mystical experience only comes to him in short, wonderful spurts. In a year, however, this whole new growth spurt takes him over completely. That ecstatic teenage kid is still alive today, somewhere, inside Georgie, inside of me. But what about that wounded inner child, Ben? Is he still alive? To come on, Doc, lay off me, just let me talk about Georgie, okay? Right, Ben, flash forward to the big one, Georgie sits there crying, crying his heart out. There's nothing babyish about it, in fact, it's a breakthrough to some whole new maturity. His sacred heart's bleeding, his purple pens ink spurts and paints the page with his profound spiritual transformation. After all his struggle and suffering, Georgie finally releases his frustration, anger, and depression. His heart and soul bleed all over the paper, for an eternity, he lives a secret metamorphosis. His ugly old life blends into something beautiful and extraordinary, he can't put words to anything he's transfixed by something supernatural, mystical, but also somehow sexual, physical, visceral, like an orgasm. His legs and hands tremble, everything old and ugly has changed into a positive memory. The past recreates itself while the present still exists inside him. Something remarkable and intangible has taken over all of his senses. This inexpressible experience, which lasts only a moment, lasts his whole life. His whole life, 
That is, up until now, everything pours out at once. It isn't an epiphany, nobody dies, nobody's reborn. This isn't some big tall tale, or some little fairy tale. It's real, it's genuine, it's incredible, it's beyond what language it could convey. It can only be expressed by his delirious outpouring of tears or maybe, an outpouring of sperm some climactic, ecstatic outburst. This man, who sobs with such intensity and purpose, isn't really a hero. He's just somebody I happen to know pretty well, better than myself, maybe. This man was once a stupid little kid, stuck in the principal's office. He's still silent and lost during the Pledge of Allegiance. He's still punished, humiliated, for not joining in with the class, the crowd. This stupid little kid is still the same rotten, out of shape, wannabe writer. But now he's finally completed something, does that sound familiar? I don't know, Ben, should it? Is that stupid little kid Georgie, or you, Ben listen, Dr. C, I'm talking about Georgie. Just let me talk, okay? And, you, ladies and gentlemen of the invisible audience, assume a position, that's Georgie. Separate from me, that's who Georgie really is. I'm not sure if Georgie's the result of me sobering up, or simply a figment of the world inside my head. After I'm clean for a while, the confusion swarming my head is exacerbated. My delirium and perplexity is more extreme. To this day, I don't know why. And then the thunderstorm came. Why are thunderstorms always female? Do thunderstorms have sex? Or what? The thunderstorm, anyway, would last more than a night or a day. She's known to Georgie and I. Yours truly, Benjamin J. Screeber, as our private perplexity. Claudia, that is, Claudia Nesbitt. Claudia Nesbitt appears as she is now ghostly and pale. She's like a pale horse. She's my favorite nightmare. Was it love at first sight? Sure as shit. Every day, every fucking day, every fucking night, too. My spine still shudders when I think of her. Her frizzy red hair, her pale skin, her sex and her sensuality. Knowing we could have had a perfect relationship, simply because we didn't have a relationship at all, just makes me sick. It makes time stop. I remember Georgie just like I remember the shadow people, flitting before my eyes when I was getting high. Georgie makes me see someone others can't see. Someone I know very well. Someone more real than me. His life is more interesting than mine. But, at the same time, I am this person, Georgie Gust. Georgie just is the feeling I get when I think of his name. The drama and chaos I find inside myself, I find in him. Georgie just is the clarity he shows outside of me, yet he's also a part of me. He is me. We are the same, different, but the same. It's a really fucked up phenomenon. Does that explain me? Dr. C? I'm merely a spy, an observer, in the world of my hallucinations. But Georgie's hallucination, Claudia Nesbitt, is the woman I desire more than anything else in the world. She's the only thing left in the world I want. But who am I? What do I really know about myself? What am I, apart from Claudia or Georgie? When you're ready to answer those questions, then, you just tell me, I'm working on it. Dr. C, you see, I'm still stuck, still thinking about the past, Georgie's past, and thinking of myself like Georgie is me. So, I think again about why I want I want, I want, I want. She, Georgie's girl, Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, God, she's really so flat, but Claudia, she's just my stereotype sex fantasy, my misogynistic wet dream. So why should I want her? Because I think she's changeable. After all, I can think what I want about her, and do what I want with her, too in my mind I, so the way I figure it, maybe if I change Claudia Nesbitt, her alterations will reflect in Heidi Birillo, and in you, Ben and in me, Dr. C, she's fucked up and I love her, I think, but my very own Georgie just is the key to create my ultimate perplexity through the creation of his ultimate perplexity, does that make sense? Wait, what am I talking about? She's really just a stereotype character in my distorted mind, but I'm drawn to her complexity, through my loneliness, I mix and match the traits in her I want for myself, or is it the other way around, I build her up like a CSI composite sketch and then get off to the final portrait, you might as well hate me now, you see, Dr. C, if you don't already, I don't hate you, Ben, I'm only trying to help me, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before, Doc, from those other psychos, but I'm really only trying to figure everything out, including myself, my feelings, beliefs, and opinions are not solid matter, they keep changing, this must be the stuff of life, the stuff of perplexity, do what you want with me, Dr. C everybody, make me smile and decapitate me, play soccer with my bloody thoughts, 
Tell me I'm creatively horrifying, but leave me my Georgie, leave me my Claudia. Voices of Coprolalia set off repeated heart attacks in me. Love me, hate me, fuck me, kill me. It's only a matter of time before you do. Anyway, give me a paper cut, right on my eyelid, and the corner of my mouth. I'm so lonely up here. I'm ready to die now, ready to swim into the realm of my whooping mind. And now it's starting to pour outside. I feel Claudia. She watches in wonder. She looks at me the way she used to look at Georgie with empathy, and with passion, emotion, and lust, and with love. Then you tell me, Dr. C, you tell me, what got me here? I'm in the psych ward again. I've lost myself. Or they've lost me. Either way, I'm lost. I'm like the other people in the healthcare system. But I'm not in any system. I can't concentrate on anything anymore. I can't communicate. I can't see reality. And I don't want this self anymore. I didn't sign up for this shit. I did a task to be born. I don't want challenges. I don't want to feel bad just so I can know what feeling good feels like. Sometimes. That's bullshit. It's just, like, a false dichotomy, or something. We've got two eyes so we can see this depth perception, in two dimensions, but why doesn't one eye do the trick? There's two of everything, there's two of me, or maybe even three, or an inflation of karmic baggage, with full-blown echoes, anger and compassion, and a piece of that chaotic plane which, I say in monotone, I fucking hate, there's really no me here, no self, and that's why I'm so mad. Thank you, Dr. C and the psych ward staff, for showing me my no self, my non-me, there's no me, here or there, there's only this jerk of, half acid, half shit particle of triple weenie, double dick shit, all the dicks exist for somebody to suck on, maybe for me, and a doubting, worried, scared, sacred something, a spirit, me, I hate me, I'm jealous of everybody else, because they are not me, and I'm stuck with me, and the nothingness they ask me to meditate on, but I don't want that nothingness, I want to be me, see, I keep on failing at whatever I do, at what they want me to do, but I don't want any more learning experiences, I'm just solid matter, flesh and bone and nurse, but I'm numb, here, I'm trapped, stuck, does anybody know what to do with me, is there a doctor in the house? Take me away, Dr. C taking it to the cleaners so, yeah, the cleaning crew finally arrived at our house, Georgie's and mine, I mean, note to self, is Dr. C right, after only a couple of sessions, is Georgie really nothing but my alter ego, not a legitimate literary character, or a legitimate device, and when he dies, when I kill him off, because, after all, all literary characters must die eventually, what happens to me, do I get bumped off, too, do I cease to exist, and do I even care, after all, life in my humble opinion is vastly overrated, and much too long, but as I was saying, or was it Georgie saying, the cleaning crew finally arrived, daydreams are hitting home runs in my head, maybe Georgie's about to get evicted from my headspace, and if Georgie goes, if Georgie gets kicked out, what about Georgie's girl, what about Claudia, Claudia isn't paying rent, and she's taking up all the space, Claudia's most likely hungover, or something, next door, somewhere, she's just a drag, she's just a parasite, she's just freeloading from Georgie and me, so maybe it's time Claudia got kicked out, to maybe it's time Claudia got the boot, time for Claudia to check out of the private bedroom in my head, and time for me to stop wasting time, wasting my life, and fantasizing about her, it is officially afternoon, time to wake up, Georgie awakes entangled in a web of slack, I wake up right beside him, Claudia starts her day with cranberry juice and a muffin, eating in front of the TV, I can just see her, and Heidi, how does Heidi start her day, cranberry juice, tomato, we can only assume, her blinds are still closed, breakfast in bed has been cancelled, as far as Georgie's concerned, and he's getting angry just thinking about whatever the hell Claudia's doing, and Heidi, Heidi's probably busy with something, with someone, too, with Claudia's Greg or Sarah, maybe both, maybe all three, and maybe I'm just a little paranoid, I pray to know my place in this world, I pray for relief, I pray to understand, to be a better man, I think about that kind of stuff all the time, and I'm sure my creator hears my pleas and is probably tired of all my confessions, by now, I'm still in the bedroom, where Georgie gets down on his knees for a minute, who's he praying to, he gives an hour to his shrink, every day, every day, it's the same thing, he's barely awake, he's praying, so where was Claudia last night, Claudia was somewhere else last night, she thought about Georgie often, but she was with some lady friend, that's what I think, what I think, hell, I'm a fucking author that's a matter of fact, what I think, 
Claudia thought about Georgie all night long, too, that's what I say, that's a fact, and Claudia, she's a fact, too, Georgie rises from his knees, he sees there's a message waiting for him on the answering machine, similar messages will follow through the whole next year, Tuesday the 21st of June 9.30am, hi, Mr. Gust, it's Ms. Nesbitt, hi, I've been hibernating, I did slip out and go dancing one night, but it was only for a few hours, anyway, I'm just working from the house for a few hours, then I've got six clients, anyway, I just want to say hi and thank you very much for giving me some space and some time, um, I wish you were here today, alright, I'll catch up with you soon, bye, Georgie saves the message, he saves everything of Claudius, and crawls into the kitchen, barely awake, he opens the fridge and grabs a piece of cold, leftover pizza, there's a calendar on the freezer door, shit, it's already November, he's been playing the same goddamn message from Claudia for 7 months, that's sick, that's what that is, sick, and more than a little sad, why in the hell can't he get over the bitch? Back on his feet, Georgie's full of rage now that the sun shines through the window, breathing existence, and life, and light into the cold dark house, what a little addict he is, getting agitated because of all the clutter around the house, his rage for order returns to him, Claudia had mild OCD, but she could do the dishes and laundry just fine, she was a great little homemaker, but she was rarely there, still, it was nice to have Claudia around the house, Georgie usually has someone else clean up for him, fucking housekeepers good ones, honest ones, a whole family of them. Housekeepers are a blessing to anyone who can afford them. Here we are, Georgie and me. Our morning routine has always been sloppy. I look over at Georgie. He starts cursing and bitching, just like any other day, before the coffee pot even starts to brew. Georgie's been desperate these recent months for his morning routine to bring him something new, like a run-in with his true destiny, or a random messenger of good news, something like that. Something new, something good. We look each other in the eyes, Georgie and I. It only lasts a second. Packing to leave the house is a pathetic collection of moments. It drives Georgie fucking nuts. It drives me over the edge. We go through the whole pocket thing, the wallet, the keys, office, home, car keys separately, pack of smokes, lighter, loose change, gum, memo pad and pen, business card holder, boogerack, and dip. Everything's always getting misplaced. Georgie stuffs his pockets and car cup holders with whatever is handy, in a reckless hurry. He sorts them out later. All the house drawers are cluttered with petty necessities. Still, they keep getting lost, like everything else. And where is that Claudia? When you really need her, Georgie always overpacks, too. He tries not to have to leave the house too often, though, he hates to pack, and he's sick of forgetting things. He feels guilty about that. It's another problem that somebody's got to be blamed for, like every other problem. Got a problem? Sure thing. Blame it on Georgie, or blame it on Georgie's girl, Claudia. He used to blame his parents, I used to blame mine, now everything is our own fault, we don't have parents to blame, anymore, it's all our fault, George isn't mine, Georgie was born a reason and the solution for the problem, he's the one to blame, I was born neither for no reason, it's not my fault, it's taken us years to realize this, especially Georgie, things would be a whole lot simpler for me if he just realized that, what a great day Georgie declares aloud, a fucking fantastic day he stretches his arms out, he has a big smile for the moment, he has a positive outlook, but his runaway thoughts are always running, running, even if they hide out, for a second or two, no, not two, that's it, just a second, his runaway mind premeditates homicide, then takes over, Georgie's wish list, number one, I emotionally break down and cry whenever I'm getting head, it's pathetic, but it feels surreal, number two, I'm myself, who else, but I still don't know myself, I'm a little confused about this, number three, at first, my bitching neighbor gave me the attention I crave, she saw our little affair as just perfect, later, she failed to come through for me, I miss her, but I shouldn't, she's not worth it, sometimes I hate her, but I'm obsessed, I can't even think my way out of her spell, is she thinking of him, who's him now but even with these racing thoughts, George's head is messed up this particular morning, anyway, all on its own, panic and anxiety have him by the ass, he doesn't know how he might have otherwise created the rest of his day, he just dreads all the upcoming chaos and the usual necessary trivial personal exchanges with others, finally, number 4 rolls on through, number 4, I almost forgot, I still want to see my neighbor again, I think she's absolutely incredible, Georgie still thinks he's justified, thinking thoughts like that, he's just horny, but he's healthy, isn't he, still, he has these thoughts thoughts of her, 
thoughts of Claudia. Loving your neighbor like yourself is fucking impossible. The eye gets in the way. It's a self-conscious thing. Georgie's personality is a perpetual contradiction. What was this thing with Claudia? Maybe it was love. Maybe it was lust. Who knows? He told her he loved her, didn't he? Did Georgie really mean it? At the time, did he really love her when she was out dancing with other people? Was it just infatuation? Aversion? Sex addiction? Addiction to chaos? Addiction to self? All of the above? Who knows? Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Georgie's ragging on himself. You sound like your fucking aunt B. But Georgie still has a lot of questions. That's okay, princess, he hears Claudia say. Georgie's spinal fluid still rushes up his neck whenever he says Claudia's full name, out loud or to himself. Her big hands become something for his third eye to see, then her toes. That Claudia, she's like some 1950s glamour goddess. She dyed her frizzy, dark brown hair that pretty, peculiar shade of red. Thanksgiving orange, outrageous red. But no matter what day Georgie wakes up, the sheer dread of putting on his prescription goggles and animating his bell world always frightens him. Reality hits hard, causing discomfort and disease. A terrible misery is born. Then he looks at the blurry alarm clock. It's the same one he beat down the day before. The same fist he now stuffs, snugly, in his briefs, cupping his balls for a warmer night. He stays in bed for the whole beef oven concerto. A chance encounter. Reality? Ben's the last in line at the convenience store across the street. He appears to be conversing with someone, but no one is speaking to him. These people find better deals here, across the way from that one, two, three, four, five-star hotel. Better deals on both coffee and cigarettes, Georgie announces. S-H-H-H. Shut up, Georgie. Get out of my head. Hotel gift shops are for those in a hurry and for those who don't care much for variety or value. I never shop there. Guests shouldn't either. Ben gets a medium coffee and a pack of smokes, along with his change, from the clock. He tears open the fresh pack of smokes, juggling a medium coffee in his other hand. He steps out the door, glancing at the profile of a woman sitting on the bench outside. She is heartbreakingly beautiful. Suddenly, Ben fumbles. He drops two quarters on the pavement. What are the chances of that she chuckles? You're almost completely blind and deaf. Almost completely. Georgie points out. I know. Why because, Ben? Because, we're in the presence of a naturally beautiful older woman. It's destiny. Fate. She's the one. This always happens to me, especially if she's wearing open-toed shoes. Excuse me the lady murmurs. As she is, I'd lose my senses completely. As you have. As you do. As I am. Oh god. I hope she hasn't got the slightest imperfection of either character or what's the word physique. She is just gorgeous. Ben, isn't she? Shoot. Here she is coming round the mountain. Here she comes. The lady stands, approaching cautiously. Are you okay? She asks. Listen, Ben, can you hear her? She's got the plain Jane style, that quietly rapturous voice you crave. Ben suddenly finds himself thrown backwards. I wake up early for once. By 8.30am I've already walked the ocean shoreline and am on my way to the convenience store to buy a cup of coffee and a pack of smokes. It is windy. I'm almost blown away. I hold onto my bright blue lampshade hat with my left hand for about a block, until I step behind the local hotel and it screams the big ocean breeze. The seaport hotel is right on the water. Some hotel guests are in line before me at the convenience store across the street. They would find better deals there on both coffee and cigarettes. Hotel gift shops are for those in a hurry and for those who don't care much for variety or value. I never shop there. Guests shouldn't either. I get my change and tear open the fresh pack of smokes with a medium coffee in my other hand. Then I fumble the smokes, the coffee, and the change. I drop 50 cents on the pavement. What are the chances of that I hear? I become almost completely blind and deaf. I know I'm in the presence of a naturally beautiful older woman. This whole blackout flashback kick as usual, especially if the beautiful older woman is wearing open-toed shoes. I'd lose my senses altogether if she had the slightest imperfection of either character or physique. What are the chances of what I answer? My own voice echoes strangely in the darkness of my mind. You were just singing Hotel California, she says. I heard you, it must have been playing on the radio while I showered this morning. She was humming the melody, too. I shut up. I look down. She scrapes something off her heel against the steps. Or, I stepped in somebody's gum, she moans. I pull out a fresh smoke. I think it's a lifesaver, I tell her. She discovers that I am right, that you were singing the same song as me, won't you she persists. I don't know, I explain, 
I don't remember, and here she is. She's brought such a perplexity into my world. My senses collect every drop of her data, right and the bright lights of her jewelry flashes bury themselves in the nostalgic depths of my imagination and memory. Well, don't be embarrassed, she suggests. That's amazing yeah, I say. A vintage black Ferrari pulls out of the lot with its top down. Heidi gives it no attention. The male driver, in his fifties, probably suffers from the same premature ejaculation that the car is backfiring. I grunt at the thought. Hey, you live down the corner of the next block. You're always smoking cigarettes out front, she says. I confess. Yeah, probably, maybe. I waved you the other day, she recoils, and you just turned away. She must have recognized the big blue hat. I'm really groggy in the mornings, I admit. She smiles. You're really antisocial? I correct her. Not antisocial. Non-social, maybe. Her face lights up. She starts playing with her hair. I was just on my way to get my nails done. I've been over at the seaport for the past week. God, it's this convention for work. It's so boring. What's your name I ask? Heidi Birillo. Heidi has a name tag on. She must have forgotten. What's yours she asks. Then Scriba, I say, pointing to her name tag. I was just checking to see if you were a liar. I stick my hand out. You've got a firm grip, Mr. Scriba, she says. She laughs. Later that afternoon, we are hitting it off like we've known each other for years. I can't believe you've never given a girl a pedicure, she scoffs. Really I reply. I do like feet. I want to tell her that I'm a virgin at making love to feet and toes. Hers are perfect. Heidi's hotel room is strewn with papers and folders, and felt tip pens. After she lights a joint, she gets a little feisty. Her hair is frizzy and red, and she is wild like my imagination. Like I imagine her imagination. I puff away on my cigarette. I try to read what she is thinking through her huge brown eyes, which I cries for good things, which one doesn't. I am simply in the moment. I become an observer of myself, observing myself. I'm not my mind. My mind just works for me, not the other way around. I'm enlightened. For once, normal thoughts slip in, one after another. It becomes easier to focus. I'm not busy judging, analyzing, and making decisions. I am completely focused on Heidi. I think, who's her dealer? Where's this woman from? What does she tell herself about herself? I get the impression from Heidi's eyes that she is experiencing something profoundly empty. Somehow, she is dramatically unfulfilled. She is left with voided hope, perhaps a little like me. She looks me right in the eyes. We have a perfect moment, a true connection. Unfortunately, it ends abruptly. I try not to pry into her life, but I'm curious to know more about her. I know I'm not always the best at personal interaction. I'm not sure what is appropriate, sometimes. She asks a lot about me, but I don't say much back. Heidi asks me about all my confusion, about what I want out of my time here on Earth. Big philosophical stuff. I tell her all of my needs are already met. I tell her I've already lived my life. I've had enough experiences with myself. All that crap. And I tell her about my bops, who always worked hard and always provided my family with wealth. I tell her about my bops, who meant the world to me. She calls my, I've lived my life already bit, bullshit and takes a drag off my cigarette. Are you happy she finally asks. I'm not sure if happiness is what I'm really after, I say. I tell her I am trying to actualize myself as a writer, a concept that is still completely muddy to me. I have idealized this image of myself in my mind, over the past 10 years, but the image keeps changing. In reality, I am writing mostly in my head, right at that moment. My friends and family want me to put something on paper, to complete something, to achieve something. I don't think it matters anymore. Why not asks Heidi? It's like I'm too far away, in time, from when I was actively participating in things and enjoying them while they were happening. How old are you? Ben 30. Heidi is under the veil of drugs, but she's not paranoid or dripped out or anything. Inside Heidi, there is somebody genuine, and I can see inside her, just barely make her out. There is somebody real in there. Funny, that's always good to know. The alarm clock radio is tuned to Billy Joel's An Innocent Man. Heidi says she has only recently figured out her life, at age 40. I don't believe her, and I tell her so. I don't believe you, I say. She says she takes things very seriously. She says that every encounter happens for a reason, every situation, every consequence, everything. She adds, I wonder what my role in her life really is. Somehow this woman, whom I've just met, knows me so well already. I've really missed that. 
People usually take very little interest in other people, but with Heidi, I feel handawed and appreciated. Still, I feel like I don't really deserve the luxury. Heidi finishes her joint and pockets the roach. She slips off her open-toed leather shoes and stretches her toes. Her light blue polish has peeled off of her nails, like an adolescent girl's. I need a pedicure, Heidi says, smiling playfully. Now Toto's Africa airs next on the bedside radio. Frightened of this thing that I've become, somebody sings. I paint her toes with new blue toenail polish and she falls asleep. I write a note, thank you, Ben. I watch her sleep for half an hour. Then I write my home phone number below the note in my usual kitty print handwriting and walk out, not really knowing what else to do. Heidi has a lecture to attend later on. Later I sit in my bedroom, still listening to the radio. Hurry, boy, she's waiting there for you. The phone rings, the machine picks up. Click, hey, Ben, I was just thinking of you. It's all about me now, isn't it? I can't help it. I take a carefree stroll on the beach, remembering the best parts of growing up. They flood my mind with nostalgia. I try to remain in the present, but I am stuck in the past. The moonshine lights up the sand, and the white caps, the break 20 feet out. The tide is low, the rolling is a little choppy, but the wave sounds are soothing. I remember how rich and full my life was before, before, before what? I wonder what went wrong. I walk along the water's edge to find some inner peace. I have always enjoyed wandering around, not doing much. I'm comfortable in my imagination, or I'm comfortable nowhere. I think has love ever made one whole year of your life miserable? I wonder if my year of misery is approaching. It is night time. I start to dream. Heidi and I are lost in our thoughts. We take in all that surrounds us. We are walking the neighborhood sidewalks, holding hands, until we come to the beach where the white caps crash right at our feet. Huge seagulls with wide open wingspans swoop in for their final feast of the day. The next morning, the beach is empty, the sky is gray, flat and still, surreal. The gulls fly low in flocks as the long Pacific rollers wash in and out. We revisit the past. But who's past? Oh my god, the living colorful beauty is so intense. I just can't stand it. I speak on the phone with Heidi. I was downstairs at one of the lectures. It was so boring. Heidi says, boring. How about I got several compliments on my new pedicure? She teases. Thank god, I say, letting out a sigh of relief. I stand in the empty hotel room that weekend, bewildered. It had been quickly vacated I could tell. In the bathroom, there is a wet towel lying on the floor, crumpled up from wet feet with a woman's footprints embedded. Empty single serving soap bottles make a mess on the corner shelf. A Mexican housekeeper readies the room for its next guests. Back at my place, I play the message player back again, so I thought you might like to know what a great job you did, and on such short notice, too, you were just in time for the only panel discussion I really came here for in the first place, her telephone had sat on the unmade bed with a box of tissues beside it, across the street from me is a fishing pier, a middle-aged couple walks hand in hand to the end of the pier, they stare out at the freight barges sailing into port, there is a snack and bait stand nearby, but it isn't opened yet, at the base of the pier, a payphone dangles off its hook, there is some litter rolling around the streets, not much, though, I'm meeting some cool people here, but a lot of them are really boring. This whole convention thing is really dull. The night before, Heidi and I shared a cherry slush puppy on the pier. She popped a few Tylenols because, she said, her head was still throbbing slightly from all the boredom and ennui lingering over her past week at the site conference. I declined the Tylenol. I was still awestruck by the whirling seagulls and the shooting stars. Only a few fishermen are out with their gear. It's still pretty early. An Asian man pulls up a small fish. The thing must be contaminated. The seawater down below is brown and slimy but his boy grabs the bucket anyway. That small radioactive fish is a keeper. So some of my friends and I wanted to hang out by the bar and talk medicine, but I was hoping we could finish our conversation from last night. I really enjoyed walking the town with you. After the slushy, we stopped by my place and shared a Winston. I invited her in, but she declined. We took a drive down the coast under the moon instead. My house is empty. Nobody is up yet. The whole neighborhood is still asleep. A white van drives by. A newspaper is tossed on the manicured lawn out front. At least before I leave tomorrow, she said. Oh, and the weather is so much nicer out here. Sunlight bleeds horizontally through the closed blinds in my bedroom. Pretty soon I am sound asleep. I was thinking about how brilliant you are. Heidi told me on the answering machine, and, 
Geez, you have so much talent. People look at you and they see big things, expect big things. That's what she meant. Big things, little things, it doesn't matter. It's a stress I can't handle. People expecting things, anything. Not from me, I live in my head, alone. I buy poor no, coffee, and smokes from the snack and bait shop next door, and come home, jerk off, alone. I'm okay with that. The clock on Georgie's nightstand reads 10.30 a.m. I wake up and glance at Georgie. I don't wake him. I crawl out of bed. The sky is cleared up a bit over the beach, and the beach is packed with kite flyers. A dozen kites glide over the blue fogged coast, bright with color and wonder. The hotel room next door is clean by now, ready for new guests. Downstairs, a conference is just letting out. The checkout line is already out the door. Most of the guests wear name tags on their blazers. The bellboys are busier than hell. There are dozens of fishermen on the pier, more men than fish. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Heidi had asked. I love that question. I walk the beach, having no clue how to answer. Most of the neighborhood seems to be outdoors. Most people wear light jackets or hooded sweatshirts. They walk their dogs, they walk their children. Alley cats run loose on the sidewalks and slide underneath the cars parked on one way streets. A few cars pass by slowly, going maybe 10 miles an hour. Pest control trucks park outside at least one house per block. It seems like there is hardly any crime, violence, or vandalism in this part of the city. Maybe some drugs, some domestics, you know, whatever goes down inside people's private residences, the stuff we never know about. Grab hold of just one project and get in there with your teeth and see what happens, she had said. Why not? If somebody wants a story about you and you're the only one who knows it well enough, then go for it. You would do the world a favor. Hell, do it for me. I'd love to hear about all that crap, as you call it. A small gate leads to my front door. It is a charming little pad, perfect for a loner like me. So what if your dad is some big, well-to-do asshole? This is your chance to shine, she coaxed. Just go for it. It was really nice to have some woman cheering me on. It was the closest thing I'd ever known to true love. Heidi mentioned that she'd found the perfect little gift in the hotel gift shop. She wanted me to call her later. The orange sunset flashes between two buildings downtown. I sprawl out on the beach. The sun is setting earlier than usual, I think. Why did I just leave like that? What about going back? Somehow, I just couldn't change my mind about Heidi. Reality hit me really hard, and I was scared to go after her, like a real man. Time stops for just a few exquisite seconds, maybe five or six, until I can't take it much longer. I am self-aware in my newly discovered growth spurt. I am happy, I guess. I'm so happy, I start to cry just because I am feeling good. Just because I can. Just until I need to stop. I start to really appreciate having met Heidi. Maybe I'm still working through the obsession with Claudia. From the beach, I head back home. I'm already starting to have conversations with Heidi in my head without her being there or being able to answer me. How lucky she is. Is this love? Beep. Hey, Ben. I was just thinking of you. I was downstairs at one of the lectures. Beep. Hey, Ben. Ugh. I'm just calling. I'm sorry. It's the stupid conference. I'm not going to go to this class I have in 10 minutes. I'm getting so sick of the same thing over and over again. I'm just in my room taking a bath. Anyway, I'm sorry to bother you. Thanks for letting me vent. Were we just two shattered souls who ended up trying to save each other in some doomed fashion? The door swings shut from inside the house. I never get calls. And when I do, I always miss them. Hello I answer. Ben you must look so beautiful in that bathtub. I say. That's one of the nicest things a guy has ever said to me. Back at her place, her lovely feet await my attention. She doesn't refuse when I administer an oral foot massage while she is still in the bath. Right on the arches, Ben, she cries. I love every minute of it. Her feet quiver with delight. Her toes stretch awkwardly. I'm sick. I'm dizzy. She moans. And you're incredible. Oh, the gibberish we speak in ecstasy. Moaning meaningless words. Sick dizzy. She giggles intensely. She giggles her orgasm. Gibbers and moans her pleasure. I understand her in some fucked up way. Afterwards, Heidi lays quietly asleep. On top of the white bed covers. She is wearing men's pajamas. I head back home. We hadn't made love. She must think of me as the friendly type. Like most other women do. But that is fine. I'm used to that. Heidi is a little nutty. But I like that. 2. 
She is a mess. She is so innocently a disaster. She is the little perplexity in my head. I get home at 3am I've always loved the night, when everyone else is asleep and the world is all mine. It's quiet and dark the perfect time for creativity. All of a sudden inspiration comes, things are clearer, my ideas make more sense. I can finally start to type out, with a little passion, some interesting letters on the screen. I'll have to begin the story from here, with me, as ridiculous as that sounds. It's been forever since I actually sat down to write again. Does this mean my writer's block is broken, or am I just fooling myself again? I never meant to be such a narcissist, I cry, I just can't get away from from myself. I've always wanted somebody like Heidi to love, but I still don't know what I need. Maybe I just need one tiny success, one simple thing. Maybe I just need something in this life that will work out in the long run. Maybe I just need to complete something, to get over some things. Maybe I just need something good to last. God probably took delight in orchestrating me. The day, I'll call it a day of personal growth. I never hear from Heidi or see her again, and now my mind runs wild with quiet confusion. The little affair we had felt so soothing to the senses. I'll wake up tomorrow, thinking about today. The next day I'll wake up thinking about tomorrow. Am I really just a perverted sex addict, like maybe I think I am? Or is this really some kind of love? You tell me, Dr. C please, the Emperor Concerto. Second movement he slaps the snooze button. Half hit, half miss. It's all gross, he's sweaty and ashamed. He can't even get up. Another fucking horrible day in the life of me, Georgie Gust. And then laziness creeps in. Georgie starts hating himself. He starts to laugh. Snooze, damn it he tells the alarm clock. He always thought a snooze was a good 9, 10 minutes. Georgie actually timed the Metherfica several times. This piece of crap mostly gives him 9 or 10 minutes of extra sleep time. This day, that day, though, the thing can't even give him to. Cheap, damn thing. It's 1.30pm even at this hour, so far into the day, he hesitates to open the shades. He hopes it is not all dismal and gloomy outside. He's trying to picture himself somewhere out there, in the world, but he just can't picture it. Maybe if he just stays in bed someone else will open the shades, and save Georgie the trouble of discovering the day. He closes his eyes, falling half asleep. He finds himself in a non-smoking room at the local three-star hotel. He's hotel hopping. He needs to get away again. We always need to get away, Georgie and me, even if it's only in our head. Geographical change is the easiest fix. Georgie opens his eyes. He can't figure out where that three-star hotel has gone. He's already forgotten he's still at home. The next day, our place now clean, Georgie still can't get out of his head. He thinks how much he dreads, how much he resents, the effort it takes to take another shower, brush his teeth, and clean himself up again and again. He just did that yesterday he shouldn't have to do it again today. Once should be enough, once and forever. Now Georgie craves something different. He's desperate for something new. He would kill for something new. We both would, but who, this particular morning, the razor burn on Georgie's neck looks like a leper's chafed jockage. He can't wait a couple of days for the skin on his neck to heal, but at least he won't have to spend the time and effort to shave again and that's comforting. After all, the longer he lets his facial hair grow out, the easier it is to shave. After all these years, Georgie still can't find the right shaving method. Currently, he's on a Panasonic electric for the first layer, then a straight edge without lotion for the second part. Back to a smaller electric beard trimmer, level 1, for his goatee shadow. No lotion, no cream, no soap. With so much nausea, angst, worry, anxiety, and despair welling up inside him, Georgie is suffocating in life. His pathetic and abused gut keeps getting filled with an extra load of explosive anxiety. It's worse than tickled torture. He hasn't taken any risks for some time now. The rut where he's been trapped has felt so safe. He's had no view, the walls were high, the rut was deep, all Georgie could see was up and out, up and away, but away from what, away where, more unanswerable questions, huh, most things and events really don't have much meaning for him anymore, Georgie needs meaning more than anything else, but meaning is exactly what Georgie hasn't got, and he probably won't get it, either, Georgie really doesn't know what the day will bring, the only thing he knows is his sloppy routine of rituals, smoking, shitting, showering, shaving, fixing his hair, glossing, brushing his teeth, taking his meds, and organizing, he uses a ton of paper creating lists of things to do, things to accomplish, so he can feel productive, 
His father tells him it's important to be productive, so he tries. He really does. He looks at the bathroom mirror with the sticker in the corner that reads, Just trust me, right? Like George is going to trust any of the shitty asset people he calls friends. Georgie's pathetic reflection looks back at him from the empty mirror. He has this huge ego blowing up his head, like an untied condom, until it screwballs up and away. He guesses he looks alright these days. No, really. He looks good. He just doesn't know what to do about it. He's so glamrock. He's so smart. It's like he has Asperger's, or some kind of artistic autism. But he's not sick. His doctor knows that, doesn't she? Doctor C. He can't deal with a label like depression or stress. He feels much worse than that. He feels like shit. Do you have a Latin name for shit? Doctor C. When he shaves, the razor makes love to Georgie's skin. When he pees, he aims for the silent section on the toilet's water edge. Afterwards, he usually farts, shits, and pees again, while he's sitting a little too long on the toilet. Georgie melts into the quality time he takes, thinking on the porcelain tank. His thoughts are trivial, they seem important, but they are nothing he would ever act on, his own good behavior, it's just a lot of theory. A CD is usually skipping while Georgie's in the shower. In the shower, he strips down to his naked self. He comes into his true element, he can't see a thing without his glasses, and he can't tell you how many Reese watches he's lost because they don't have waterproofing. But that's okay, waterproof watches are never appealing to the eye, there's no washcloth. He washes himself by hand with shampoo not soap. Shampoo works better because Georgie is hairy, like me, but I don't wash with shampoo. I use hand-milled, organic soap from Northern California Sunset Cedar from a shop called Patty's Organics. Georgie smiles in the shower because he was born a man. The shower is the one place where he's rarely sexually charged. He thinks of himself as a connoisseur, a connoisseur of filth, so soap does not appeal. Women's dirty fingernails, their smelly anal fetishes, anything nasty I already smoked cigarettes for the shrine, the smell of gasoline and melted hair follicles, filth. Georgie hates dropping the soap. He hates all the bottles in the shower. They confuse him and make him think these products are really useful when he knows they are not. He hates falling in the shower. God, what else? What else can they do to mess up his day? What else is there to complain about? They should have a soap dispenser that mixes soap with water, like at a car wash. It would be a time-saving convenience. It would save energy. What an idea. He should patent that, and make a million books. Yeah, right. Georgie. Drying off, towels are so coarse and unfitting. Georgie gets water scars in between his toes sometimes. Every day, all this, all that, everything is still the same. Georgie doesn't change, nothing does, neither do I same shit, different day, we say, Georgie and me, his feet are a size 12, he wears shoes all the time because his feet embarrass him, he wears blue shoes, that way, he doesn't have to think of how disgusting his own feet are, his legs are still in shape but he wears long pants, no matter how hot the weather gets, his legs embarrass him, too, otherwise, he is your generic, overweight pumpkin, his plump belly sticks out over his belt, maybe it's cute and huggy bearish to some single sex addicts, but who hell if Georgie thinks so, he weighs in around 268, his driver's license says he's 168. The driver's license picture doesn't even look like him, but the photo came out pretty nice. He used to be in shape. Now he just recites affirmations. Now he just tells himself he loves himself just the way he is. It's all bullshit, but it works for him. His passport picture is pleasing. He enjoys looking at himself. Georgie dresses up and blow dries his hair, and then he primps and curls it. He has these highlights. He has a kind of waspy, honkafro look going on. At least his hair is cool. At least his hair is always having a good day. My hair. Now my hair is dark and thick with a bit of a permanent wave. My mother always said it was my best feature. And here I always thought it was my cuddly personality. Georgie should have picked out his clothes the night before. All his full-size shirts and comfortable pants are at the cleaners. And he doesn't fit into the 32s anymore. He went from a large to an extra large in shirts. Georgie's just started leaving the shirt tails out of his pants. He used to tuck them in, neatly, and wear a belt. But no longer. Still, he'll keep the smaller stuff in the closet the shirts and pants don't fit, but some of the clothes remind him of the past. They have a nostalgic meaning for Georgie, in Georgie's case, too. Clothes make the man, but made him what? I want to know. An hour later, he's finally dressed, now for the breakfast order. Like everything else in Georgie's world, breakfast is a chore. He washes the dishes by hand to get his mind off everything else. He can't help feeling like things are falling apart in slow motion, doing things like that. Little things, trivial things, 
reminds him of being hypnotized, strolling down the supermarket aisles at midnight with the trippy supermarket music and the paradox of choice everywhere around him. In the grocery store, somehow, time feels different. George is out of orange juice, and the milk will give him gas, but milk goes best with microwave pancakes. Georgie likes his food a little cold, and he dislikes cooking. He presses the cancel stop button twice on the microwave when it's down to two seconds. It's not like he's in any rush. He has all day, his keys are in place. He locks the door without really checking. Georgie's sick and tired of always lock checking, lock checking, and then remembering I forget important things after he's already out the door. Georgie, I think, could very well be a loser, but what's that say about me, that I'd be a loser of a literary character? Two, what's wrong with a whiner, a complainer, an agoraphobic with OCD? Is that me? I catch Georgie out of the corner of my eye and wonder what I've done, giving him all of these issues. He swears he's not going to check that lock but he does, anyway, even though he's just going out for coffee and coming right back. It's not like he's going to plan his whole life, sitting at the counter, sipping his cup of joe, it's not like he is some romantic poet at the Café Paris. Finally, Georgie lights his first cigarette of the day a Marlboro light and he worries about cancer, like everything else, and puffs away. After his first cigarette comes another cup of coffee, and then another smoke and a couple of more smokes. After that, he brings along his laptop computer, or a pad and pen, and a couple of self-help books with the covers torn off, just in case, just in case something strikes. He rarely uses any of these things in public, sometimes he drives to the convenience store and sits in the parking lot. He watches people. He likes people watching, but he doesn't like people. Go figure. Georgie rarely looks forward to actually dealing with people, but he'd end up running into somebody every time. People get in his way, and they are unavoidable like signs on the sidewalks, or spills in the elevator, or sometimes Georgie gets caught in some really important check-in with somebody who really shouldn't care what's up with him, and neither should Georgie. All this whining and baby shit gets him nowhere. He knows, but he just keeps bitching. He dreads being in line at the coffee shop again. He gets self-conscious and self-critical around the perfect advertisement model types in line ahead of him. They pretend they are holding their noses and standing clear of the stench coming off of Georgie's stale, smelly sweater. It reeks of the toxic fumes of tobacco pollution, and they are all so nice and friendly, and trivial, and guarded. Now that's a challenge, dealing with these people, I mean, without freaking out or throwing a temper tantrum. Still, he's half asleep. Georgie's always half asleep, no matter what I do, except, of course, when he's thinking of Claudia. She's the only goddamn thing that really makes him feel alive. Georgie is next in line at the coffee shop. Tabitha's working the counter, but Georgie's not paying much attention to her. He's thinking of Claudia. What else? In the parallel midst I observe Georgie's behavior as he is dropped off by a limousine, in a very arresting atmosphere a secret environment. I feel Georgie's anticipation and excitement, but we try to stay calm despite the secrecy and mystery. I finally figure out what's going on, exactly as it occurs. In this cryptic, tangential story, on a desert highway, the midday sun reflects off of the tinted windows of a speeding stretch limousine. The pearl white paint of the limo muddy with the billowing clouds in the bright blue sky. Outside, in the burning desert, it's the hot, dry middle of summer. Inside the limo, it's cool. Up front, a road map is open. From the back seat, through the sleek glass divider, I see Georgie's driver, Frank. He's focused on the long, straight road ahead. He keeps sniffing, I tears a tick, or something. Frank has been Georgie's driver for five years now, after all of that time they've become really friendly like road buddies. Frank's passenger, Georgie Gust, is studying a face full of that new age, self-help literature. Somebody is asking Georgie about his self-help books, who wants to know, is that you, Dr. C, so to satisfy whomever, whatever, Georgie says he's studying them to do the exact opposite of whatever they suggest to do. Georgie says doing everything upside down and backwards keeps things interesting, keeps him from getting bored. A bright shiny pair of trendy new shoes lay on the floor of the stretch limousine. Georgie takes a deep breath, inhaling through his nose. He closes the book he's just finished, 12 Steps for Stupid People, in what looks like the middle of nowhere. The white stretch limo pulls up to the iron gates of an impregnable, palatial mansion, which is surrounded with high security fences and sharp razor wire. A trio of white uniformed security guards and police dogs check Georgie's identification card and open the gates to let the white stretch limo through. Georgie's checked into a private nudist colony. His purpose here, should he choose to accept it, is to find a members-only, 
foot fetish club within this incredibly private resort, passing through elegant ballrooms and elaborate security checks, he finally finds the basement ballroom where the foot fetish club awaits him to ask curious questions, he feels like he's whispering passwords in some secret code, undergoing rituals and signals in some secret initiation, Georgie strips down in a co-addressed room, keeping his eyes to himself, he shuffles along awkwardly with his head down, his hands modestly covering his genitalia, he enters the foot fetish club, some secret admirer makes Georgie feel self-conscious, and embarrassed, but there really isn't anything wrong with Georgie attending orgies, except that it's not the cure for whatever ails him, what Georgie really lacks, those new age self-help books tell him, what Georgie really needs, although, of course, he isn't aware of it, at least not consciously, is his soul's work, or his purposeful vacation in the cosmic scheme, at least, that's what his guardian angel tells him, but then, who is his guardian angel, anyway, is that you again, Dr. C, he doesn't have a project, hobby, job, or relationship that he can pour caring, creative energy into that would result in the respect, appreciation, and connectedness from other loving, caring people that he so truly desires, and that's what he really needs, that's what would make him better isn't it? Georgie and the other foot fetishists, about 50 men and women, are lying on the white marble floor, on their backs, waiting for someone or something, not sure what, to come and begin the session, everyone is perfectly silent, holding their breath, finally a loud, high-pitched siren screams, startling everybody awake, and about a hundred women enter the room, they scatter, performing barefoot massages and shoe smothering exercises for all the club members on the floor, this orgy, club members say, is a completely safe and free arena where the foot fetishists can be completely naked, both outside and inside, exposing themselves to each other, without shame, Georgie inhales the rank aroma of vinegar and smelly, sweaty feet, and the fetid odors seduce Georgie like a drug, he relaxes, the out-of-body experience, the heavenly sensations, the feeling of non-existence, the sheer, ecstatic fulfillment Georgie receives from this hour long foot trampling this orgiastic foot massage among his fellow foot fetishists, it feeds Georgie's best, most natural self, among the other orgy-goers, there are ouches and moans and yelps, but Georgie seems to be at peace, he lies on the white marble floor, completely nude, with no inhibitions, during the coffee hour, the after-party, we find Georgie alternating between daring, sympathetic, or even kind of wacky, as he chit-chats with other orgy participants, Georgie's doing the best he can, working hard to make sense of his confused life, women here seem to admire his risk-taking, his charming comments and postures, his urgent search for something to believe in, he tries to collect as many phone numbers as he can while there, and he's quite successful, we really admire Georgie's daring, passionate intensity, don't we, as he devotes himself to the intensely spiritual search, for the painful sexual high, that comes from fetishism and masochism, some part of Georgie wants to get lost in the orgiastic swirl of fetishists and masochists, to escape into a natural high, Georgie's like a Dushan, experiencing bliss from the mere sight and smell of his guru like a runner in the zone, enjoying the runner's high, but there's also a part of Georgie that's self-conscious, self-aware, through the whole orgy and its aftermath, among the ecstatic orgy-goers, Georgie's mind sees a Rubik's cube of interior connections, disconnections, and second thoughts constantly shifting, constantly changing, as one feeling is ruined or replaced by another, in these perpetual couplings and uncouplings of sweaty hands and smelly feet, Georgie's been getting off, sexually or not, on the human foot ever since childhood, it's always been an easy to satisfy pleasure, in public especially, but having advanced beyond childhood now, and finding out where the real good fetish houses are, Georgie's since been getting tired of his foot fetish, finding little room to expand on his fantasies, he can no longer get off so easily, as we find, even at this huge, ecstatic foot fetishist orgy, he has trouble finishing, he has trouble reaching his climax, he needs something even more impure and unsacred, some more intriguing, elaborate, fantasy material to satisfy him, Georgie's becoming obsessed with achieving constant, never-ending orgasms, it's a relieving distraction from being perpetually unfulfilled, he has such a voracious, addictive, and obsessive appetite, he can't imagine having
seeking anything less than total orgasmic pleasure, Georgie's in the white stretch limo, on his way home from the foot fetish club, he's wearing shorts that reveal a pair of badly bruised knees. What happened to your legs Frank asks Georgie. Georgie answers, oh, that, I crawled on the floor, it was covered with hard salt crystals. Georgie asks Frank if he can sit in the front seat with him, they pull over to have a cigarette and a little heart to heart. Georgie tells Frank that he once had a nanny, when he was a boy, who disciplined him in sick and twisted ways when he didn't do his homework or forgot to flush the toilet. This abusive nanny hated him for his having so many privileges, she liked to see him crawl. The whole thing strikes Frank as crazy that somebody would actually take the time to execute all these fucked up torture methods. He cites how the Iraqis keep prisoners in brightly lit rooms for days, subjecting them to various tortures and abuses, until the victim loses sense of self and time. Somebody actually sits down and thinks up this shit Frank fumes, fucking perverts. Fucking creeps, my old nanny used to get off to the torture stuff, she must have Georgie tells Frank, or else, why would she keep doing it to me Frank agrees, he suggests that Georgie try to make something of his life, living well Frank says, that's the best revenge yet, Georgie scoffs, I'll make a mess of everything, is what I'll do, what do you want, Georgie, for real Frank asks, you already have everything one orgasm, a peak experience that will last my whole lifetime, that's what I'm really searching for, during orgasm, it's like I don't even exist, that's what I really want, wouldn't you Georgie's ravishingly starved for an everlasting orgasm, a wild roller coaster fantasy that will show him what heaven is really like, and since Georgie knows his goal's pretty fucked up, he also keeps a much more noble goal very deeply within him, to get married and have a family, by the way, how old that woman you've got to think for, that Margaret, the helpline operator asks Frank, but Georgie hasn't been in touch with Margaret lately, in fact, they've separated, still friends, for the time being, Georgie tells Frank about his jealousy of Margaret, her abundant life is always busy somehow, filled with work and a sense of achievement, and even love, Georgie's life, by contrast, often feels empty, meaningless, and lonely, when Georgie gets home, Frank drops him off in the white stretch limo, before Frank drives away, he flashes a brief smile, I'll see you later, Frank says, Georgie's home is my home, Georgie's living room is quaint and contemporary, there's an overkill of every fancy modernization, every electronic doodad, and every entertainment gadget that could fit in the room, there are photos and drawings framed across the walls of all his past girlfriends, and on the bookshelves are rewards, trophies, and posters from his travels, there are hardcore intellectual books piles and piles of the most of them in three copies, it's the same with his video and music collection, he has way too many things, some of his sketches and notes, left lying around, are only halfway completed, his drawings and paintings are scattered, unfinished, but still show signs of brilliance, then there are the graph paper drawings intricate designs clearly drawn with some purpose, it's obvious that Georgie has a really strong mind maybe too strong for his own good, and he has way too many projects going on arbitrary projects, redundant and grandiose, his past seems rich and full, but he's lost the ability to find comfort in sleep, he has nothing to look forward to, all his needs are taken care of, the things in his house, although artistic, are placed according to obscure mathematical relationships, everything corresponds to everything else, for example, Ben's quantum physics material is neatly clustered and labeled with the corresponding videos and books, near an MC Eschel print, the stationary bike is surrounded by trophies, workout tapes, sports magazines, and signed baseballs, a metal ceiling fan reflects light while it's spinning, spinning slowly above the wheels of the bike, Georgie passes by the running shower, now steaming, Georgie daydreams in the shower, even when the soap falls, he doesn't wash his hair today, you never look your best when you're about to encounter the one, the one you've been waiting for all your life, you're never fully prepared for that, Georgie resolves never to be fully prepared, no sects, love, Georgie mutters in the shower, she must have thought of me as the friendly type, that's fine, I'm used to it, I enjoyed myself and that's all that matters, God probably took delight in watching his orchestration of me that day, I'll call it personal growth, I'll never see or hear from Claudia ever again, my mind ran wild with quiet confusion, it felt so soothing to the senses, I could wake up tomorrow, thinking about the day, the next day about today, while I'm in love, I stop writing, for the most part, I know it won't last forever, I'm in love, I scoff at the thought, me, in love, in love with Claudia, me, in love with Claudia, radiation babies, one of them is Georgie Gust, Georgie thinks, yet she drags off of my cigarettes so seductively, coming to in my home office, 
at my New Mexico ranch, or is it our home office? Several home video cameras record me in this cramped space, all from different angles. I set the last camera up, and then sit down at my desk. I'm slightly on edge, nervous and scratching myself silly-like. I speak to the cameras, holding a set of remote controls, one for each camera, I often fumble. You can see me close up, I say, real close with the remotes. I zoom a couple of cameras in, I'm here, I say, stuck inside this little home office. I roll one of the cameras around to capture the yard outside the window. Outside, it's scorching hot. I can barely breathe out there. Hell, I can barely breathe in here. Don't be afraid to let them show Georgie takes my shirt off, a black t-shirt that is bitch, written on the front in thick, white letters. It's drenched with sweat. He rings it out, tripping, right on the floor. Georgie rinses his hands and returns. He takes one of the cameras off of its tripod and shoots from his hands, so he can shoot me, but I'm halfway crawling out of my skin only halfway, though, everything is stuck at the surface, where the I in my reality meets the we, God, I say, right, Georgie what he says, fucking yuck, I say, Ben, how are you feeling itchy, I tell him, my whole body itches, he watches me scratch myself, where he asks, where do you itch, Ben I show him where, and more itches surface, light dandruff seems to sprinkle on the floor, not just head dandruff, whole bit of dandruff, ankles, I say, inside my elbows and under my knees, my groin, crotch, more dandruff sprinkles like dust motes in the sunlit air, hey, what is that stuff Georgie says, scurf, scruff, huh, what he zooms in with the camera on the dropping flakes, I'm telling you, okay I say, scabs, flakes, I go on and on about it, you know, the stuff is, like, growing on me, more like you're scratching it off, Georgie says, suddenly, I lighten up, very funny, I say with a slight laugh, you know, I call them creepy crawlies, I pause, after giving it some thought I say, here, man, take a look at this, I expose the gunk underneath my fingernails, scrunch, scrotties, Georgie backs off and blows the camera, no, thanks, he says, I'd rather not, I'm fucking grossed out, I'm just so dirty, you know then take a shower, then Georgie says sardonically, you're being way too hard on yourself, but I'm just so scruffy, I scoff, so yucky, Ben, come on, partner, old buddy, office bathroom I'm still complaining when Georgie led me into the shower, what are these ultraviolet blue boils about to burst on my thighs, I can't even close my legs right in the shower water off might pop the boils, hi yeah, man I exclaim, I turn to Georgie, is it hep I say, excited by the possibility, or what hep Georgie echoes, number, why, do you want it to be I think harder as Georgie helps me take off the rest of my clothes, I can see, and even smell, my skin, it's sporadically yellowed, is it aid I ask just to annoy him, but Georgie isn't annoyed, no, Ben, he tells me, number, really, it's not uncommon for a diabetic, like you, to have these, is, I feel a lecture coming, so I break in, I know, I know, the lesions, you, Ben, you can get these lesions, as you call them in a way, yes, in a way I want AIDS, I want even cancer, that's stupid, why so, I say, so I can go through more illness, so I can overcome anything, maybe everything, I'm sort of rebelling or conforming against something off or something, I don't know, I shrug, pretty hard to do both at once, though, Georgie turns the shower on, I yelp, he flushes the toilet and I yelp louder, later that afternoon, I watch the trees outside losing their leaves, but the wilderness, the trees everything is closing in on me, the tall trees block most of the mountains in the distance, I try to step out of my own little world at home or in my head but I'm all alone, shivering, with only a towel wrapped around me, Georgie shows up again, he steps closer to me, I have some Cindy Lauper song playing in my head, I think it's called True Colors, and it's stuck on repeat, she's singing some crazy lyric about feeling small in this crazy world, I feel like I'm wrapped in a blanket of blood orange, warm orange, actually, pure fucking orange, come on, Ben, Georgie says, no daydreaming, not now, come on back inside, wait, I'm still freezing, I whine, I walk around on the pathway towards the river, I guess I must look agitated, I guess I must look that way because I still am, agitated, that is, I am the agitation, I must be choosing, I must be manifesting, those new age books say, this agitation, my divine force must be doing it t this very moment, I'm manifesting the agitation of my infestation, then I get this thought, an instant of bliss, where I'm a lesbian, a woman, I'm in this coming of age film where my wife tells me how beautiful I am, I tell her the same thing, too, you're so beautiful, I say, the film is a small art house epic with a limited audience, and of course, the critics kill it, 
Still, I'm in love, privately, with the woman I want who I want to be. My lesbian wife smiles and I see Georgia's right behind me, zooming in with the handheld camera like she thinks I'm thinking this shit up. Like I'm choosing, like I'm manifesting this shit. He's busily capturing all of my announced irritations as I continue to blurt them out. And now my daydream is over. I'm still scratching myself furiously. Bugs and mosquitoes swarm over me. See? Georgie? Look, I say. Mosquitoes. Flit nibbling, I say. It's like a tick. Georgie drops his gaze, looking around the viewfinder. Cut nibbles? That's a good one. You mean they are biting you? He says, I zooming through the lens. My arms, I say. My face. My ankles. A bee's nest. Mosquitoes and wasps. There's too many fucking bugs out here. Like I said, Georgie says, come back inside now. Fine, I say. I'm coming. You can't run. Ben, you can't hide. Georgie says, from anything. Can you as we walk back? I can't even respond. See, you're stuck. Georgie smiles encouragingly. Now come on back inside. There's a long pause as we keep on walking. Georgie puts his arm around me. Why not give us a tour of the house, he says. Will you? Ben, I'm barefoot, wearing my robe. Still talking to Georgie's camera. I jump around the house, giving the tour of all its shortcomings and issues. Like it's me. Like I'm on this old house, or something. Well, I say, the walls are concrete, cinder lark, 70s stuff. Outside, dirt, no grass infested with goat heads and fox tails. The goat heads, they jam into my bare feet like sharp crystal glass. You're stinky, dirty, overgrown, hairy, scarred, bare feet. Georgie prompts, just look at you, Ben, I know, I have to pull the suckers off, each little fucking goat head, one by one, and the dogs keep bringing them in, too, I let the three dogs in, outside, the courtyard is adorned with colorless landscaping and a few empty fountains, why don't I remember any of this, it's always been ugly, just plain ugly out there, after peeking, I turn my inside out back inside, jeez, I'm thinking, it's like, 120 goddamn degrees out there, the humidity is up to nearly 40%, so much for getting out of New York. So much for getting out of California and moving out here, huh? Out here to Albuquerque, where the weather is always just gorgeous, where everything is beautiful, I start feeling doubtful. So much for this suffocating morsel of love, living in this living hell. So much for this poor, mortal morsel of a person I call myself. Whoever myself is, eloquent, Georgie says, that's very eloquent. Ben, I look at him, showing him my sorrow, and smile. Okay, cut, I say. History of sex, it's night time, the dead of night, sometime in the past. I'm in our guest house, and I guess you ought to know, our guest house was once New Mexico's nastiest crack den. Still is, in my mind. Yet, it still is in my mind. The phone keeps ringing and ringing. The dim bulb light flickers, lighting up the cramped living room piled knee-high with dirty clothes, abandoned pizza boxes, crushed beer cans, half-eaten chocolate bars, everything a pig leaves behind after months of just letting it lie. I stumble through this mess, with a crack pipe in my mouth. I'm searching for the phone, and the phone just keeps on ringing. The troop, a troop of zombies, jerk spasmodically out of the walls. The nameless movie director, a slick guy in his thirties, carrying a megaphone, the fit and slim jogger, a really sleek dude in his twenties wearing an Olympic jogging outfit, the successful stockbroker, a flashy dresser in his forties in Armani with Hugo Boss kicks, and the poor homeless guy, who's old aged or ageless, dressed in ratty clothes filthier than the mess in our crack den. All of them surround me, spasming and jerking, shuddering and twitching, and from somewhere, Georgie appears, or maybe from nowhere, Georgie says I don't even notice how creepy they are, these crackhead dudes. But I do, I really do, Georgie says those crackheads watch me, when I'm not watching, like now, they copy me when I rummage through my pile of clothes, discovering an old closed umbrella, why an umbrella, who knows, not me, and then the phone stops ringing, umbrella makes me spread my wings I pick up the umbrella and examine it intently, it's one of those cheap umbrellas that will snap, break, tear, and tatter away with the slightest gust of wind, a Georgie gust of wind, for example, are you there, Georgie? Funny, I never use an umbrella, so somebody some other crackhead must have left it here while making a delivery of cheese or crack or whatever I was into at the time. I don't remember somehow, but I must have been in the rain. It must have been some time. I can't remember, the time is now. The zombies copy me, they pick up their own closed umbrellas and examine them intently. Their umbrellas are the expensive kind with elegant, cane-like handles, looped, curled at the end, sort of mobster style. Real gangsters, not gangsters. You know classy. 
thunder booms, lightning crackles, the room glows, rain begins to pour, I open my umbrella, but it's shredded, and I'm instantly drenched in the downpour, the zombies open their umbrellas, which are not shredded, they look at their umbrellas, they look at me, they look at themselves, they seem somewhat confused, I take the crack pipe out of my mouth, trippy rainwater pools up in the bowl so I can't light it, so much for the umbrella, huh, I dump out the water, try lighting the pipe. Then I notice the zombies again, I hold my crack pipe up in their direction, like I'm asking them for a light, without really asking, you know, the zombies know, the zombies back off, and the rain stops, the phone starts ringing again, I'm not wet anymore, but I'm not carrying the shredded umbrella, either, I still have the unlit crack pipe in my mouth, I'm still looking for a light, I'm still searching for the phone, I crawl over piles of dirty clothes, across discarded boxes of pizza, I creep over all of the garbage, the zombies, also not carrying umbrellas anymore, follow me, they creep after me, searching, and the phone keeps ringing, I pick up a crushed pizza box and shake it, hard, something rattles around inside, I don't know what, the zombies pick up their pizza boxes and shake them, too, I open the pizza box exposing a crumpled pack of cigarettes, I pull out a cigarette from the pack, I light it up and take a deep drag, the zombies do likewise, they talk to themselves like this is some goddamn party, wine glasses pop up in their hands, with a lit cigarette still stuck in my fingers, I smile at them, I pick up a half empty beer bottle with cigarette butts floating around inside it, and I raise it in their direction, like I'm toasting them, here's to you, zombies, I say, fuck you, anyway then I down the beer, butts and all, and to me, this foul brew tastes good, tastes something, anyway, the director, jogger, and stockbroker watch me, shaking their heads in disapproval, like I'm some kind of second class citizen or something, maybe even a transvestite, maybe a queer, maybe something even creepier, hell, I'm better than all you zombies, I want to say, the homeless guy downs his beer, too, he belches happily, he nods at me like she likes me, thanks, brother, he says, I stretch out on the mound of dirty clothes and pizza boxes and close my eyes, I'm trying to get some shooty, I try to tell myself I'm dreaming all this, like it's all some kind of sweet dream, the homeless guy stretches out, like me, and shuts his eyes, too, he starts snoring, like he's having sweet dreams, too, the director, jogger, and stockbroker keep staring at me disapprovingly, I take a deep breath like I'm falling asleep, and drop my cigarette, the homeless guy drops his butt, too, the phone stops ringing, time passes, I open my eyes, the whole room is on fire, but at least the homeless guy and the other zombies are gone, I must have burnt them out, I think. Somehow, I have a lit cigarette stuck back in my hand again, but I don't care about the burning room anymore. I watch the fire get bigger and bigger, and then watch it shrink and die out, for no reason, from nowhere, out of the fire, steps Georgie Gust. He's in his thirties, Georgie is, and he's my alter ego that's my Georgie. He's sitting there on a pile of dirty clothes. Georgie has the crack pipe in his hand. I thought you quit, he says. Georgie scolds me like I'm his alter ego, or something. Crack I say, then I glance nonchalantly at the cigarette in my hand, they will kill you, you know, I hear, I take a dark, deep drag, emphysema, Georgie says, cancer, heart disease, I flick the lit cigarette in Georgie's direction, like a big gummy booger, it splats onto the carpet, TSK, TSK, Georgie says, he just stands there, brushing off his clothes, even though no cigarette butts even landed on him, real mature there, then, I say to myself, you see, I'm Georgie, too, and Georgie porgies me, they're really close, Mr. Georgie and me, sometimes we don't even know who's who, just burn down whatever you don't like, I say to Georgie, why don't you, starting with me, I keep on staring at Georgie for a long time, finally, I say, it's Kelly, what, who Georgie replies, incredulous, your wife my wife, Kelly, an emaciated, skin and bones, apron wearing, rolling pin carrying housewife zombie in her thirties, twitches and jerks into view, Georgie takes a closer look, that's not your wife, he says, that's not Kelly, the housewife zombie from the 1950s twitches and jerks out of sight, she's replaced by conservative zombie wife, a Grace Kelly clone, wearing a straight skirt that ends well below her knees, an angora sweater with a clip, and sensible flat shoes, and that's not your wife, either, says Georgie, you can't fool me, conservative zombie wife spasms and jerks out of sight, she's replaced by the real Kelly still a zombie, but kind of sexy, wearing a tight t-shirt and jeans, I stare at her for several seconds, 
She doesn't get me, I say. Ah, Georgie says, I get it. Ben, it's the old line. It's my wife she doesn't understand me, right? Kelly flashes a yeah, sure, kind of look at Georgie. It's not me, he says, it's him. Blame it on him. Kelly flashes the same kind of yeah, sure, look at me. She doesn't get my, I say, she doesn't get my obsession. You know, I pause significantly. She doesn't get my Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, the real zombie pin-up post of girl for the eroticism of homeliness old, chubby, bespectacled, pimpled, chunky, and brutal. Besides that, a vampire undulates lasciviously into view. I sigh in rapt appreciation. Kelly lifts an eyebrow. The phone starts ringing again. Claudia notices Kelly. She hisses, baring her fangs. Kelly flips Claudia off with a stiff fuck you finger and twitches and jerks out of sight. Claudia watches me as I look for the phone. Still undulating. She comes closer and closer. Stepping between us, Georgie blocks her path. She stops dead. Claudia's dead, I tell myself, get used to it. I throw clothes from one pile to the other. I throw pizza boxes from one end of the room to the other while Georgie and I talk. She gets jealous, I say. Georgie is still keeping an eye on Claudia. Who? Kelly he says. Yeah, Kelly, I say. She's my grill. She grills me. See the stockbroker wheels are grilled in two sight and douses charcoal fluid on it. I briefly see myself spinning on the rotisserie. Georgie frowns at him disapprovingly. The stockbroker wheels the grill away. I can still hear the phone ringing, but it seems quieter now. Constantly, I say. I shrug. The housewife zombie shows up again. She shakes the rolling pin menacingly, first at me, then at Claudia. That doesn't sound like the Kelly I know, says Georgie. The housewife zombie disappears. The real zombie Kelly shows up again, looking slightly miffed, but maybe also somewhat amused. And all she is, I say. All Claudia's was ever will be as an obsession, you know? She's just a figment of my imagination. Claudia frowns, begins to fade out. I finger my crotch, and a goddamn good one, too. I say, Claudia wavers back in two sight. Kelly fingers her own crotch, and what is Kelly asks Georgie. Chop the movie director shows up again, carrying a meat cleaver. Claudia's image gets clearer. No, Georgie says to the movie director. Just say number the director disappears. There is was will never be anyone like Claudia, I admit. Now Claudia is crystal clear. She's right there in front of me, and I'm just about masturbating. Kelly imitates me. Fuck me, she says, but tauntingly. Claudia wavers. The phone gets louder. The movie director shows up again and starts fondling Kelly. She fondles him back, but she keeps looking at me, like she doesn't give two shits about him, trying to make me jealous, or something. When I get real again, I stop fingering myself. Claudia fades out. There's no one like Kelly, Georgie says. Right. Ben the ringing phone keeps getting louder. If you don't watch out, Ben, she'll leave you. You know that, Ben, Georgie says. Just like Claudia, I look distracted, annoyed, even, and that's when Georgie disappears. I keep looking for the damn phone. It blares unbearably. Like before, I throw everything from one side of the room to the other. The phone blares and howlers. I'm holding my ears. Goddamn phone, I shout. The ringing phone turns into police sirens. The zombies, all of them, including Kelly, climb out of the pile of garbage. Georgie's there, but this time he's a zombie. Two, one by one, they slip simple black suits over their costumes, then clip guns and police patterns on each other. I shriek, not necessarily out loud, though, in terror as the zombies turn on me. The zombies want to eat me. I'm nothing but zombie bait. I race away, over the clothes, over the pizza boxes, over the whole mess. I'm outside, now, somewhere in Albuquerque. I race through an alleyway lined with metal garbage cans and dumpsters. Every time I pass a garbage can, it clatters noisily down and starts rolling towards me forcing me to jump over it. Every time I pass a dumpster, one of the zombies pops up and points a police baton at me. I'm terrified. I keep racing away, panting and sweating. I fall down. I faint. I blink out. I wake up back at the crack pad, just like before. I have a crack pipe in my mouth, and I'm lying on a pile of old dirty clothes. I'm alone. The phone rings, not so noisily. A toilet flushes in the background. Georgie walks into the room. He glances at me and nudges me with his foot. I roll over on my side. The phone is underneath me. Georgie picks up the receiver. This is Ben. Georgie answers. I'm not here. Leave a message. The dial tone fades and fades. Blackout. 
Part IV, Dr. C meets Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean excerpts from Ben's secret diary. It is always late September, always Indian summer, when the air is always really crisp and clear. The red, brown, and yellow leaves are always changing, and the bright summer light is always fading away. It's never winter, it's never spring, never summer, it's always fall, always September 1987, when those creepy builders are tearing up our old house. I'm shut up inside and I can't even get away from the fucking noise and smells. I always want to go outside and ride my bike, but my mother says, it's too cold to go outside, Ben, and so all day long there's this wire of electric drills and power saws, a shrill, high-pitched screeching noise, and the sweet sour smell of freshly sawn wood attacking my nose, my ears, and my eyes. I'm 11 years old, just a little squirt, not even big enough to be the big jerk I turn out to be, but, yeah, it's me Benjamin J. Screeber, only I'm called Benji, now, mostly, I'm living with mother and pops in suburban New York, three doors down from New Jersey, my mother rags at me daily in that same whinny, high-pitched voice, we're not from New Jersey, she says, we're not like those Jersey people, my mother is really clear about that, it's the one thing that she is ever really clear about, we're not from New Jersey, she says that only niggas, spicks, and white trash live in New Jersey, and so, mother says, we're definitely not from New Jersey, okay, mother, I say, to get her off my back, we're not from New Jersey, now can I go outside and ride my bike, the whole truth is that I don't care where I'm from, really, I just want to go outside, where the sycamore and maple leaves are changing, I just want to go outside, where the whole world is on fire with blazing colors. The leaves flame red and gold and the skies are brilliant, vivid blue, a Georgia O'Keeffe kind of blue. I just want to go outside and ride my bike, but my mother says it's too cold out. It's too cold to ride your bike. Benji, mother says, you'll get sick, you have to stay inside, with me, and I have to listen to her, because she's my mother, but I know she's lying. I can see it in her face. I can see the way her eyes shift away from me when she tells me her lips purse tight. No, Benji, it's too cold, you'll catch your death, or maybe, mother, my death will catch me. My mother doesn't want to let me go outside because my pops is divorcing her and she can't take the thought of being alone, not even for a little while. That's the real story, behind her bullshit lies, but she doesn't have the guts to tell me, and I know it. Our family is so unhealthy that I can feel it, taste it, and see it. It's like being sick, or tired, or dead though I don't know, really, what dead people are like, or even really sick people. I only know something is sick, or tired, or dead in my family now that Pops is leaving, for my mother. I'm the uncle and son, maybe even the husband and son she never had, and now will never have. How can I be all of those things for her? Anyway, I'm just a kid, just 11 years old. Yeah, that's me, Benjamin J. Screeber, only you can call me Benji, mother, my mother never says she's lonely, not to me, anyway but she tells her friends, especially Rita, she talks to her friends like I'm not really there, even when I'm right there in the room, she talks to Rita more Rita, Rita with the short hair and long, painted nails, Rita comes over Tuesday and Thursday afternoons to play canasta and drink gin and tonic, my mother tells her, I can't take it, Rita, I just can't take being alone like this, now, now, Rita says and pats my mom's hand until she starts crying, my mother, that is, my mother says she's not going to make it and what is she going to do, meanwhile, Rita polishes off her third cocktail and pours herself another, and that's why I can't go outside because it's not Tuesday or Thursday, and Rita's not there to keep my mother company, and because my three-year-old sister is too little to be company, so I have to be there for mother, and be her little man, even though she knows, and I know, that I can't give her what she really needs, so instead of going out, I kneel on the nubby white couch, resting my chin against the back cushion and stare out the window, instead of riding my bike, like I really want, I have to listen to Mark Nova, the contractor, who's sitting at the piano in our living room, my mother's living room I guess, not mine so white and stark and modern as it is, blindingly white. I listen to Mike Nova droning on in his whinny voice, just like those electric drills and power saws screeching in the background, trying to woo my mother into getting more bang for her buck, but he's just trying to talk her into expanding the renovation into a complete remodel, which she does. Eventually, Mike transforms a simple remodel job into something more like a whole second home built over the skeleton of our old house. This demolition job, this so-called renovation, this complete remodel, it will be my mother's final fall fling. It is her last big double dip into my father's money, because after this they'll split the money. All I know is that my pops is never around anymore, and I 
they can't handle that, either, it's like a big empty spot, and that sick, tired, dead feeling fills our old new house, Pops told me early this morning he would be home tonight, but he's not, and he's not home the next day, either, so I spend the whole day in my own secret loneliness, my sick, tired, dead feeling like a winter weariness, I sit staring out the window at the blazing trees and the red, brown, and gold leaves, waiting to see a bald up no jogger I call Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean runs past our home every day, same time, same place, though he looks old and big and strong to me, he can't be more than 20, he's still young, even if he's old to me, and he has that sleek look like a big hungry cat, like a big cat stalking prey, he just runs, every day, no matter what the weather is like, he runs around the whole block, the whole town, with his white t-shirt never showing any sweat, and his white mailman shorts pumping, and a big silver cross necklace bobbing to the beat of some old, sick song in my head, he never stops, it doesn't matter if it's Christmas, New Year's, or any other holiday, he runs every day, all day long, still, no one else in my family has ever seen him, not Rita, either, maybe he's not even real, how the hell should I know, all I know is that I've seen him, and now I can't stop seeing and seeing him, in my memories and dreams, but late that day in September of 1987, I think of him like a white porcelain stallion, like the white clay figurines on my mother's shelf, maybe he's really sick, I think, maybe he's terminally ill, or maybe he's just fake sick, like my mother, sometimes, maybe he has nothing else to do except run his whole day, run his whole life away, even at night, I watch him from my bedroom window and I know he'll be there, eventually, someday, he'll be there for me, just wait, I say, maybe that's him now, here he comes now, Mr. Clean, here comes Mr. Clean, Dr. C meets Mr. Clean so this is my writing therapy, huh, my writing as therapy, that's what Dr. C says, anyway, write it out, Ben, she says, write it out of your system, so Dr. C agrees with Kelly, it's probably a good idea, she says, to write out some of the grosser stuff the obscene stuff, the violent and sexual stuff, write all of that first, get it out of you, yesterday, Dr. C asked me what, specifically, I was talking about with her that I wasn't willing to write about, so I explained it to her, for one thing, like the way my stepmother was in bed, and how salty her pussy tastes, how about that, Dr. C, is that what you want me to write, Dr. C looks a little cautious, worried even, yes, I would like you to write that stuff down, she says whether it's true or not, okay, then, just write the stuff, she says, whether it's true to life or just another one of my childish sex fantasies, she tells me how much she hates the stuff Hollywood is coming out with nowadays, and how she's not somebody who cares much for any story arc, or any continuous through line, or any happy wedding endings, stuff like that the real stuff even depressing plots make her feel better entertained and better brained, she says, watching those as time well spent, like when she's psycho tapping my sick brain, like now, I agree with Dr. C I say, dude, man, I know, like with Kelly, my maybe wife to be, my living colorful beauty, when I'm with Kelly, I feel like just being myself all morning, not getting up or getting going, or anything, but Kelly drags me out of bed and into the morning routine, she has this strong desire to help me, to make me stronger, she wants to get the old me back, she wants her true partner back, she says, but it really comes down to her frustration with the world in general, not me, I don't believe her, what she says, I think it's me, I think she gets mad at me the old me, new me, or whatever, I tell her she's just pissed off at me, and she says, not mad, just frustrated, and I say, same thing, babe you know what I mean, mad or frustrated or pissed off, it's basically the same thing, I'm really trying my best just to get up with her, get in the shower, take my meds, and take an active role in our mornings, I try not to just lie there on the couch all morning just thinking and feeling and getting shit straight, when she's all active and productive like, flitting around, unlike me, who wants to just lie with my smokeless tobacco lodged in my lower lip, but it's hard, really fucking hard, for me, anyway, it's a good thing Kelly and I have in home care coming now, we get more attention from them now than we did last week, when the in care people first came to the house, initially, they came to distill all of Kelly's worries and insecurities, of course, they could really only quell some, not all, of Kelly's insecurities and worries, there's so many of them, in fact, though, I admit, she's been a real trooper with me, I have no clue how difficult her living with me has been, I haven't got a fucking clue how unending the stress and frustration must be for her, I see it takes a toll on her, though, she won't really talk about the shit, but, 
but, for the most part, she's catering to my every need because my health is important to her, just like her health is. We just might find some peace and some kind of happiness, whether together or apart, in the long run, we just might. Hey, stranger things have happened, like Georgie always says, in the long run, it will all be fine. Georgie comes and goes, but he's always a part of me, more than just a spare part. He's like a seraphim, you know, a guardian angel, like maybe Michael, Gabriel, even Lucifer before he fell, maybe even after, I haven't figured out all that much about him, about Georgie, I mean, sometimes, though, he shows up in my life like the devil, the bad angel, instilling chaos, fucking with my electronics, and scaring the cats off, you know, that sort of poltergeist shit, other times, he's seraphim, the good angel he's my savior, my caretaker, he watches out for me and takes care of me when I need it most, other than that, though, he's just a part of me, Georgie is, we move ahead, we backstep, Still, Georgie and I stick together, he's always there, somewhere in the foreground, when I expose my confessions, my sins, my fetishes, even scat and incest all that bull, I know it can get pretty bad, pretty crazy, and pretty sick, maybe I selfishly hand my insecurities to Georgie, he's more like the passive type, see, he's a passive observer, and I observe and judge him, but since he's stickier than I am yeah, he's sticky and jelly-like, blob-like, but fresh, not foreign, I have an easier time dumping my symptoms and pathologies onto him, it's almost like he doesn't mind taking on my worst, you know, almost like the dude actually likes it, sometimes we fight about things usually when I'm off my psychotropic medication for a period of time, or when I just get so fed up with my life that wanting to attempt a fucking crime seems like a good idea, during those times I just dissociate because I'm overwhelmed, and I start fantasizing with Georgie, letting go, well, I have hardly any social life at this point, anyway, and no real world experiences, so, yeah, I'm pretty much bound to whatever place I'm in and whomever I'm with, I guess those new age books would say that divine intervention determines the places I am in at the moment, and the people I'm with show up partly because I give everybody else all the control over my life that I can, I'm trying to sell my life, giving money away, for example, lots of money, fucking lots, to anyone who might trade it for my sanity, tranquility, fulfilled hope, lessened fears, selling it for some kind of love, whatever love is, my family is fucking crazy, the whole extended and nuclear family, I mean, they are the living colorful rich, they have all kinds of issues with erratic boundaries, sexual boundaries, and emotional neglect, the same kind of stuff you hear from everybody else in America like on talk shows and late night radio, that kind of stuff, it's a sick country, sometimes, isn't it, you know, they have a really high rate of medical cures in third world countries, and families that tend to hold together better, I live a couple of hours from Mexico, basically just north of the border, that must be a good sign, I guess, I'll never get that fucking family to feel my love and I sure can't feel their love for me, love is like the satanic cult I'm disengaged from, but I still crave the way they would forgive me for being myself if I worshipped them, so they swing around the metal can of sulfur smoke, and they say they love me, all my life, they navigate my angels and demons, they revive me, they pick me up and string me along if I love them, I say, fuck them, I say that because I did, fuck them, I mean, but I hope I don't bring any of that shit up again, most of that crazy stuff I need to keep to myself, just so I have some secrets left for myself, so I can feel like I have something left that's me, like, all mine, I've done the incest gig, I've fucking been there, too, why haven't I fucking been, I won't read anything they send me, and I never answer the phone anymore anyway, especially if it's pops, still, my father is trying to buy this house so I can live here, rent free, he wants to buy my dream house, I guess he's already bought my other dreams, and so has my stepmother, Gladys, why not this one? Two, Gladys started a small publishing company when she found out that I wanted to get into one myself. And Bobs, he started funding films and film festivals, stuff like that. When he learned I wanted a film career, they said I'd never have to work and I shouldn't work, even if I wanted to, so why should I? I mean, why should I sweat and piss for chicken scratch at some bullshit, sub-minimum wage job? Or sell my sorry ass on the cheap side streets, when Gladys and Pops already supply everything I need, 
free and clear. The only question is, why do Gladys and Pops pick up my tabs, and support me in my squalor and luxury when as far as I can see, they don't even like me, let alone, love me. But now I know why, it's because they want to buy and sell me out, cheap and easy, so they can control me. They want to kidnap me and knock me out and fly me on their private jet to some mental institution lockup, and put me in long-term rehab even though I've been sober for over five years now, and I ask you, Dr. C, is that any way for a wholesome, loving father and a swinging, sexy stepmother to treat their sweet, loving stepson and firstborn male child even if he's a big fuck-up, like me? I tell you, Doc, it's all upside down and backwards, it's all fucked up, but the transgression is lovely, don't you think? So what will I do now? I'm going to go read what I've just jotted down for Kelly to see. Maybe she'll tell me that I'm on the right track again, writing my big blockbuster classic novel, Living Colorful Beauty. Maybe she'll be the sweet, sexy muse I need to help me over my writer's block, get me to spill out sperm and words on the sweat and blood-stained writing paper, like I did back when Claudia and Georgie were making it together for me. But Kelly is in another one of her frustrated moods. She must have just gotten another crappy email from someone in my family Gladys, I bet. Instead of going to bug her, I have a smoke just outside her office. Her windows are open, and I can hear her on the phone with one of her lawyer friends asking about my father and my trust fund. I know she feels insecure and really thinks she deserves long-term benefits, and my family's trust and appreciation too, for putting up with me, all that shit. But I'll tell you, she isn't going to get any of that shit from Ben's family the fuckers. Kelly needs to come, I think. But she hasn't let me near her coot in a long while. I feel like jerking off to one of the titty pics I have of the late, transgressive writer, Kathyaka. She kind of reminds me of Claudia, but Claudia is tall maybe 5 foot 10 and Kathyaka can't touch Claudia's tits and ass. Still, I just love jerking one once in a while for Kathyaka, even with her double mastectomy and stretch marks. She's nice, I'll say. I like nice. I can deal with nice. Good fantasy. Good feeling. Nice. Jerking off like that. I train my hand for war. I'm all for pointing my finger at myself and feeling everybody else get fucked. My heart seems to have gone straying off, somewhere, maybe into a delicate obsession with Georgie's girl, Claudia, whoever she is, whatever she is, for me, everything started back when we were invincible, Georgie and Claudia and I, back when we were young, when we were kids, when we were curious, we had nothing good enough to last, we had nothing to really hang on to, but we had each other, Georgie and Claudia, Kelly and I, didn't we, or that's what Georgie tells Claudia, anyway, I wonder if Kelly knows about all the longing I've felt, just to, just to be alone, just to exist, to be just to be anything, even nothing, sixth grade was an acid trip straight out of a summer movie, or something, and somehow, the trip never stopped, second skins I used to get so mad at school, the teachers who taught me just were not cool, the Beatles class, Mrs. Petit says, today is our first day of sex education, we snicker, we're in sixth grade, of course we snicker, Mrs. Petit frowns, the worry lines across her forehead deepen, her voice is clipped, terse, before we begin, everyone in this class will be required to say aloud the following words without any laughter, sex, penis, vagina, breasts, say, sex, she tells us, sex, we say, okay, class, very good, Georgie, that was especially good, from Mrs. Petit, I hear for the first time the words I've come to know, so well, as an adult, I never even crack a smile as I go on, penis, vagina, breasts, dick, pussy, tits, cock, cunt, noinas, 20 years later, the word breasts still whistles through my teeth as I struggle to make it plural, breast tstsds, I say, and I'm back in 6th grade, always use a condom, Mrs. Petit says, always use a condom, the class repeats every word in unison, I'll never forget, always use a condom, a man ahead of his time I collected my first porn when I was 9, I pilfered it from my father's closet, my pops had nothing but triple x stuff, real hardcore, crotch shot porn, nothing ice, nothing tame, no playboy, no penthouse straight to Tapu and Jerry Popper's a stick
Mickey, dog-eared copy of Anal Amateurs. At 10 I was determined to buy my first X-rated magazine all by myself, using some of the Christmas money I'd saved up from my Aunt Beatrice, so one day I ditched recess and the whole elementary school thing. Instead of playing kickball or asses up with the other kids, I rode my BMX to the quick fix on Maple and Forth. Stepping inside, I saw that the place was basically empty, and nobody too scary was working at the counter. It turns out to be Randy, some 19-year-old kid, with acne scars and an I-don't-give-a-shit pose. He's the most promising for me of all the employees I've ever seen there. Hey man, I say, looking around. Cool, I tell him I'm 18 and I'm there to buy a magazine. Hustler, I tell him, yeah, right, he says, his breath hits my face, it's rank, sick, stinking of coffee and cigarettes, so I pull back, tell you what, Randy says, a smug smile on his face, if you can reach Hustler, you can buy it, I can't reach Hustler, but I can easily reach Genesis, and it's mine just like Randy promised, I pay for it, I roll it up, I stick it down the front pocket of my jeans, and I pedal back to school just in time to march inside with the rest, post recess, Boy Scout brothel a year later, the three of us, Lonnie, Andrew, and I, we organize a sex club, a little kiddie brothel, we set up inside the built by Boy Scouts treehouse in Lonnie's backyard, we play tame, safe games there, like truth or dare and spin the bottle, then we play nasty, kinky games, we try to get the girls to act out the scenes from our forbidden magazines and videotapes, several girls, our age and younger, let us finger fuck them, they make us taste their bubble gum come off of our dipping fingers, we call it hitting third base, then we hit second next, we take first last, we like going backwards like that, starting at third, working our way back to something tame, once you've made out with a girl, you're officially going out, we have a pee pail up there, and we watch Kathy Friedlander, the girl I'm going out with, pee sweet and easy, then she wants to watch me, I had asparagus for dinner, probably every night for the last two weeks, for that matter, so I gladly take Kathy in private to the bathroom downstairs, near the garage, I sit down to pee, I know the asparagus will make my pee smell funny, but Kathy isn't too thrilled, no, Kathy says, don't make pee pee sitting down, stand up so I can see, I tell her I can't see crap when she's sitting down, squatting over the flower pot, up in the tree house, but hell, I stand up anyway I'm a gentleman, and pretty soon, I've lost all fear of my semi-public pee, we make out and end up fucking through high school, but we don't tell a soul because she's not a popular girl and I'm a fucking computer geek, math league contestant, and Titch's pet, it's like we're adults trapped in our little kid costumes, acting out our early childhood sex kicks, our little kitty child porn roles, for whatever creeps and pervs and child molesters might be watching in the invisible audience, and it all started out, like I told you, at our little wilderness in our secluded clubhouse where porn was preferred to pussy footing, I did other things those years too stuff for school and sports and shit, I was a multi-talented individual, you know, I look back fondly on those times when we were all invincible, our fathers, brothers, and cousins never knew when a stacks of playboy and penthouse disappeared too, or maybe they knew, but didn't care, or maybe they knew and, well, you know, we knew exactly how to access them, we just borrowed them like we were at the library, and the club house stayed for love variety and bulk material, and latex condoms, too, we kept it safe, we kept it real, as real as big time, grown up adults playing at little kitty sects can ever be, when I'm in 7th grade, my father drops a box of non lube rubbers on my bed, I think he's discovered our little sex club in the backyard and he's encouraging me, he isn't, though, he's just covering up for himself, in case I get in trouble, maybe, always use a condom, Georgie, double up if you have to, pops reminds me, so candidly, I left a lifetime supply in your bedroom, they are pretty self explanatory, I say, embarrassed, your business is your business, he says, just use them and use them well, don't worry, pops, I will, no babies, and none of that hokey pokey stuff, you're here of course, pops, I know, I open a couple samples of the latex condoms along with Webster's dictionary, I know we can have a better supply for the treehouse at our fingertips, but I decide to keep these for myself, it's time for research, I check the dictionary, la, texts, a milky liquid or usually white sap in certain plants, such as the poinsettia condom, or thin sheath, usually of rubber I enjoy feeling the complete covering of my private part, 
That smooth, baby soft sheath is just like heaven to me, it reminds me of those stress squeezer balls you find in novelty gift shops, or whatever substance it is that fills the inside of that elastic Y action figure, stretch Armstrong. As an adult, I pleasure myself with latex wrapped around me snug, warm, wet with saliva, there's no mess to clean up when I'm through, as real as that's right, I think, as the saliva of other women and their vaginal juices complement my less frequent sexual experiences, later on in my 30s, that's the way to do it, and I invite any woman who has a fetish for latex herself to share that desire with me, her looks don't matter all that much, something can always be done about that, I have a lot to cover up myself, and what I need is a partner with enough dignity to hide her flaws as I do, with her second skin, I have issues in my adult life, like a real fear of getting somebody pregnant, I fear big responsibilities, since I was never brought up with any, responsibilities, I mean, looking back, all my sexual preferences seem to have been selected with such divinity and such a sense of appropriateness, maybe the divine force was watching out for me there, too, I go for older women who already have kids or can't have kids or don't mind the balloon, it's even better if they prefer it, I go for a clean woman, a safe woman, someone who doesn't make demands or ask for commitments, but a wild party is always welcome, especially if she makes the first move and happens to live right next door, I really go for women with issues, women like Claudia, who loves latex not on her lover only on herself. Claudia Nesbitt must have been the daughter of a 1960s feminist who taught her to hate men, and somehow I was just a man to fulfill her hate, so when Claudia and me got together, it was a marriage made in hell for the both of us, I guess, whatever else, she sure wanted men like me to suffer, and she used her limited charms to lure the bottom feeding, desperate, love-starved men of our culture, men like me, into her web, regardless of how susceptible I was to her seductive temptations, Claudia cast me as a victim of conspiracy in her own private persecution fantasy her perverted sadomasochistic sex play, so what happened, Dr. C, how did I get into this mess, I was such a good little kid, really, if you got yourself into it, then, yeah, I know, I ought to be able to get out of it, so I'm trying, already, I'm trying, so you see, Dr. C, how I overcome Claudia's sinister man trap is what matters the most to me, and when I'm freed from her at last, and I've discovered the real me by discovering the real her, will you be free, then, then, or just caught in another trap? A sinister man trap of your own device well, I don't know, at least it'll be my own trap then, huh, Dr. C, but getting back to Claudia and me, Claudia had a thrilling personality, always upbeat and perky, she spoke in short sentences, she got right to the point, her otherwise pale face was always decorated with glitter, like an adolescent princess, and her arms were covered with the temporary tattoos of Lucky Charms marshmallows, Claudia lived for Harley Davidson's, she never owned one, but she dated guys who did, but then, she dated a lot of guys, her favorite summer vacation pastime was Six Flags Magic Mountain, or Six Flags over Texas, or Six Flags over Georgia. Mostly though, it was Magic Mountain. Vintage, wooden roller coasters satisfied her lust for things fast and chaotic. So did her men and that led to her dangerous affairs, not just with men, but with women, too. Strippers, hookers, bikers, dykes and then the drugs hard liquor, pot laced with angel dust, and the occasional visit to King Arthur's strip club in the San Fernando Valley, with the older women who swooned over her. That was Claudia's wild life, away from Georgie and me, she never paid for a thing. She only had herself to offer, and her package always seemed plentiful. Those naturally luscious lips that others would pay thousands to own didn't need surgery, and her oversized, natural pear-shaped breasts, which I could make out only by the stretch and pull of the second skins that covered them, were perfect. Just like they were, there was always some sweet mama or sugar daddy to pick up Claudia's tap, and when Claudia rode double, the ride was always free, when she lived across the street. Her original handwritten diaries detailing her adult sex life were placed open on the living room coffee table. A jumbled collection of toys, costumes, and a wardrobe of textiles were stationed throughout the rest of her house. Her favorite pornographic apparel was a blue latex jumpsuit with fluorescent green latex boots, along with a matching two-inch thick green belt with an orange buckle, black gloves, and a black cloak. It spelled C-O-V-E-R-M-E-U-P. All of me, Claudia was the type of 
naughty next door neighbor you find in your favorite wet dream. She had a slightly sagging ass, but it sagged in just the right sexy way, like a real woman's. I stared at it when she stepped out for the mail in her terrycloth bathrobe and her wet, just washed hair. She'd answer the doorbell in skimpy latex lingerie, sometimes a smooth rubber bra or sometimes just with black electrical tape crisscrossing her relaxed, puffing nipples. She sucked fire out of the mailman's breath any time there was a special delivery that wouldn't fit in her mailbox. She illuminated temptation like a pygmy sign. Otherwise, Claudia was always pretty quiet and subdued a secret control freak. The way I see it doc, her visual cues and her visible charms provoked the subconscious mind's ability to make fantasies perfect. She'd fall asleep in her first story bedroom with the blinds open, a nightlight on the wall, and glow in the dark stickers of the stars and planets on the ceiling. She lived alone and often woke up for a midnight snack. I watched her from my place through the windows, through the walls. Her refrigerator was covered with pictures of herself all shot by herself in some pictures she was sticking her tongue out, in others she just showed off her paint-covered feet, or maybe an obscure angle of what I figured was her vast beige reala. The cockpits of her nipples had wrinkles and folds that became geometrically complex when she was aroused, even slightly. Unfortunately, what I got were only snapshots, just pictures of the real thing never the thing itself. What could she be hiding? I often wondered. She was never seen in her naked element, but she was mine. She was all mine, I say and she'll be mine, all mine, again someday. But then again, maybe she never was really mine at all. Anybody who experiences Claudio loves to hate her, unless they enjoy self-deception. She's a manipulative she-devil in disguise. She is a Mrs. Jekyll inside a Dr. Hyde. Her Jekyll side bursts out when she slithers into that second skin which covers up her all-too-sinful sexual nature and her prize-winning ethics. But whatever she wears, she doesn't fool me. Not anymore. Claudia is drenched with forbidden qualities and secret temptations. But as the puny, pathetic, desperate, wimpy horndog across the street from her, I was attracted to Ms. Nesbik because I could piece together from each piece of her puzzle. Things I once enjoyed or things I could never have. The forbidden kinds of things I just did it if the balls fit. And Claudia was the best piece of all the puzzle piece that put it all together. And besides, we both had a thing for fabric certain kinds of fabric. Claudia seemed, at least at first, the complete antithesis of my mother who was strict and abusive, both at once. Since my mother learned things the hard way, by force, so does she, like my school teachers, taught me to be faithful, to practice safe sex, not to be gay or sexually ambiguous, and to be normal whatever the hell normal means, act like a human being. My mother would yell at me, y'all look like a dumb zombie half the time, Georgie, fucking smile, be excited you're obsessed with sex, don't dwell on sex, she'd constantly demand, slapping me across the face or screaming over the telephone. She'd already found out about our sex club in the treehouse by the time I left home for boarding school. Don't do drugs. Don't drink. Don't cheat. Don't pretend. Don't worry about everything all the time. She commanded me. What did she expect? What did she want from me? An angel? A virgin? Whatever she wanted. It sure wasn't me. And what did Claudia want from me? I'm still trying to figure that one out. Dr. C. Partway through my college years at NYU I started to see a shrink. My first shrink was a proper sweater wearing old lady doctor who gave me the creeps. If possible. She was even more controlled and critical of me than my mother was, Dr. Jenny Danielson. That was her name. Dr. Jenny was certain that I had a lot of letting go to do. She said that I wore a mask over my face, literally, that my goatee and mirror shade were a disguise. She'd tell me, take those sunglasses off and shave your beard, let us see the real you, but I never showed her. Claudia, on the other hand, was a perfect match for me, we were two doomed, tortured souls. She had many relationships, gay and straight, even with married men and married women. She said she questioned her affairs sometimes, but since they made her feel good, she held on to them. Claudia did drugs, I didn't, I had a problem with drugs and quit. Claudia didn't think she had a problem with much of anything, and she never quit, I had to run 5 miles a day to just barely keep in shape. Claudia didn't have to work out, and still she maintained a perfect body. She was poor and I was rich, and so I thought maybe I could spoil her unlike anyone else but number, Claudia practiced unsafe sects, 
I preferred rubbers. She was 40, I was 30. She was a ball of chaos, and I have this rage for order. She was a big bundle of contradictions. She was a marriage counselor who had never been married, or a parenting educator who never had kids, and a rehab counselor who never quit. She was a walking oxymoron. But what bothers me most about Claudia Nesbitt is that after she lured me in the first time, any time after that when I called her or want to see her, or fuck her with a rubber, I'd have to wait a lot longer than my cock could bear. I just kept on getting let down. I wasn't allowed to make out with her in the middle of our street because her sugar daddy or her sweet mama might show up any minute and blow her whole set up. So she'd swap spit with married men right there on the sidewalk by my kitchen window, but she'd rarely lock lips with me. She said she couldn't love me, she was just using me, and I knew it. But when she did use me, when I told myself she really did use me and made myself believe it those rare moments were holy and divine. To put it simply, Claudia Nesbitt was, and is, an a win situation for me, or anybody. But when she climbed into her latex gear and refused any rubber with me, she was simply incredible. I couldn't, I can't, get her out of my mind. I lost my dignity for her. I became sensually, or sexually, obsessed with her, and I was always dying to see her naked. You could say, I guess Dr. C, that is a masochist I was in the perfect relationship. I loved everything about her, but I could never have a healthy relationship with her. Everything was strained and stretched to the breaking point, and as I became obsessed with the agony she caused in me, my character deteriorated. I became a much less dignified person as time went on. I lost all self-respect. I started to not even like myself much, as if I ever really liked myself from the get-go, anyway. The last night we were intimate, about a month after the time we'd last been together, we proved to be inseparable until our second skins came off and we had to really look at each other stripped naked as we were, as we weren't and this is how it began. Just when I think I've had enough torture and emotional abuse from Claudia Nesbitt, I discover a small handwritten note by my front porch. Georgie, find your costume and just show up. Your unexpected entrance last month was morning bliss until today. Having not seen you in some time, my affection toward you has cooled to mere fondness. I'm becoming indifferent. I don't want that. We've been separated from each other far too often even though you live right next door. I want to see you again, Georgie, tonight. I gasp, chewing a butt out of one of the homemade oatmeal cookies she's left with the letter. I continue reading, as you know, Georgie, my house was robbed last week. I have no erratic products left in any of my closets. Some pervert must have ripped off my skins and toys, but I've changed since then. Come over and see for yourself. I'm sorry for otherwise completely amputating myself from your life. I did it of time, but now I must have you. I require your services, tonight. Come to me, Georgie, XXX, Claudia. Immediately, I grab an orange jail jumpsuit from last Halloween. I was an escape convict at the big party, and I storm over to her place with the cloth and cuffs in my hands. I have a box of rubbers clenched between my teeth as I run across the street. I'm in such a hurry for love, lust, and submission that I leave the keys to the handcuffs in the bedroom closet along with my unmentionables. I'm not sure we'll need the keys. Anyway, I don't know what to expect. Do I hope to see Claudia in the flesh? The door slams shut behind me. No condom tonight. Baby boy Claudia's voice calls out from the bathroom. Throw them in the fireplace before I come out. I keep a couple in my pocket and drop the box into the blaze. Claudia steps out, fully nude, to watch the sizzling cardboard disappear in the blazing fire. The fire that keeps your house warm might eventually burn it down, Claudia says seductively. I gaze at her pale flesh. You've changed, I say. You're perfect. You're even more perfect than you were before. I'm doing the best that I can. She sings quietly in a best Beatles imitation. There are no drugs, no other lovers present, no tattoos, no secret diaries, no makeup not even any jewelry. Finally, Claudia is nude, completely nude completely naked before me. She has not the slightest blemish on her skin to ponder. There should be celestial music playing to the gentle beats of her all-natural angelic presence. No sooner does this idea come to my mind than she turns on the CD player. It must be one of her Beatles days, I think. Woman, I know you understand, the little child inside of the man, they sing, John Lennon the window shades are closed. We're sharing a private wilderness, 
Claudia lights a few beeswax candles and pushes the coffee table over to the side of the living room. Cautiously, she bends over and covers her eyes. She spreads herself wide open, gaping for me. The abstract pulp of her pussy is tucked snug beneath her dark pubic Hitler's dash. What the hell is this woman thinking? I pause, spellbound, mesmerized, and stupefied. Claudia starts dripping ever so slightly onto the hard wooden floor. I've been erect for about five minutes. I roll down my shorts. I decide to secretly double up, fearing the worst. Watching her loose lips dangle like the beads of a pearl necklace, loose, free, and liberated, I enter my covered key into her flesh machine, the forbidden gates of a hell I've never seen before. The smell of perfume pervades the room, the sound of moist suction has the fibers in my mind vibrating until any sense of control is lost. Harder, she cries. I fucked her harder, deeper, she says, don't stop. Georgie the condoms are on, but she doesn't seem to notice. I'm so wet, she cries again. I'm so wet because of you. More fleshy friction makes the slurpy, slushy noises of a sensual circus. I reach around and index her erect little clit. The clit is so important, so oh oh sensitive. Claudia moans, put your spit on it, hurry. I reach around and underneath. I rub her swell in small circles with two fingers, then three. I massage her pronounced outer labia back and forth as it twitches. She's throbbing quicker than the beats to John and Yoko's double fantasy album, which is still on repeat track 10. Woman, the taste of grapes dipped in corn syrup, that's all I can think about. I'm about to erupt, but I hold it as long as I can. I'm so close, Georgie. Claudia reveals, I love you, baby, I fucking love you, suddenly, at the point of no return, both of my rubber snap open at once, we hear a light, defeated, clicking sound, the first break is followed immediately by the second, my sperm explodes through to her pussy haven, unable to withstand the bliss, Claudia's personality shifts instantly, she becomes her old self so easily, oh, great, she sighs, I extricate myself from her and squint down at the floor, I think something popped, she says, it seems like she's glad it's happened, I think you doubled up on the pleasure I asked you to get rid of, I can't say a word, I'm shattered in a million pieces, all my dignity is lost, Claudia is the missing piece, are you on the pill, Claudia, please say yes, she shakes her head no, and smiles slightly, I remember the time I told her I never wanted to see her again, she kisses her fingertip and brings it to my lips, I'm not letting you go that easily, I still want her, of course, if I had the choice at that moment never to see her again or to marry her, I would marry her, no questions asked, I am just so sure she is the woman of my dreams, I'll be raising my baby with another woman, Claudia says, what about me I argue, I never really loved you, not like that, but I know you've fantasized about this for some time, admit it, you enjoyed yourself, your crazy Ayala, I have been obsessed with her, I admit it, now, in an instant, I know I've been wrong about her, all along, she isn't the woman of my dreams, it's the idea of her that fascinates me, not the Claudia in the flesh, but the Claudia in my mind, for me, Claudia was the idea made flesh and come an idol, an icon a living colorful beauty, a more than incredible phenomenon, and now the perfect, pure, beautiful woman I idolized becomes all too human, all too real, for me, likewise, the real me emerges the following week, I am ready to be an adult for once in my life, I tell myself, I am ready to have some responsibility, I try to convince myself I'd be the perfect father for Claudia's baby, I would have someone to love, my own kid, we'd raise a child together, Claudia and me, and I would face the brutal consequences and heart-wrenching fears of my self-exposure, I need to grow up, fast, that's for sure, my moment of clarity comes when Claudia and I meet for coffee in town that week, when we meet, Claudia uses the longest sentences she'd ever used, with me or anybody, she talks on and on about nothing, until she finally gets to the point, I can't have kids, Georgie, gulp, my tubes are tied, Claudia says, I just wanted you to be honest with me, I like you, I fucking love you, I do, Georgie, I don't want to be such a crazy girl anymore, I just want simplicity, and then it strikes me I know she's lying, there's just no way that she loves me, maybe she's always been lying to me, I never knew what a wake up call was until this afternoon, over a particularly strong capuccino, the blend is just as sweet, seductive, addictive, stale, 
pungent, and dark as the person I used to be and the person Claudia Nesbitt would always be, in my mind, anyway, all that time, I was trying to be safe, and doubling up meant security to me, and Claudia blew the whole thing in one climactic moment of self-exposure and embarrassment, ridicule and humiliation. I moved out of town a few months later and never saw Claudia Nesbitt again. She fucked me, and she fucked with my head. She fucked me up. Bad still, I loved her. I still love her in my own twisted way. She won't really ever change, and maybe neither will I wait a minute. Who am I kidding? The affair I had with Claudia caused unbearable confusion in me, especially looking back on the things that might have happened, what might have been. Claudia took everything worthwhile out of the past 30 years my whole lifetime and I blame her for scrambling my self-esteem. I'm in a stupid metamorphosis. Shit, I've exposed myself to you now, haven't I, Dr. C? And finally, now, you can hate me for it, like I said you would, and by the time the demons overcome us, you will know for sure that we, that Georgie's, disintegrated more than you might have imagined. By the end, when you're still wondering and wondering, what has happened to you, then, something terrifying and blissful will have happened to Georgie a daydream will have been fulfilled for him, a reward will have come true for Georgie and for no one else. To the fans of Georgie Gust, we love you, you're our heroes, love beyond dignity I wake up bombarded with the same leftover intrusive thoughts and obsessions from yesterday, I shudder to think what today might bring, my alarm clock rings after I've stared at the ceiling for 10 minutes, I'm still in bed, I let the alarm clock ring, its tiny pendulum knocks back and forth against the bell, but the chimes get slower and slower, as the batteries inside start to wear out, I stretch my arms and curl my toes, my eyes are crusty with sleep and my mouth is dry, finally, I get up and head to the sink, the bathroom light burns out as soon as I flip a switch, noon sunlight squeezes through the two small window blinds to my left, I douse my face with cold water, I twitch, I sit on the can and drain myself, I remember the nightmares I had just minutes ago, they kept me in bed, over time, I tried to beat them off, but they finally won me over, I can't remember the details, but I dreamt of another world, some place I'd never been before, in the dream world I could feel that what this world considers happiness and joy, was actually considered pure misery there, all my senses and perceptions existed as their own contradictions, I was with my best friends, drinking, laughing, and playing, but I could see myself as I was dreaming, and I was aware that I was dishonest and selfish and not deserving of love, all the pleasures of this world, in my dream life, seemed wrong and false, I tried to make them seem true and real, but could not, I still have a belly full of angst and suffering, now I've woken up, I think of my life now, my real life, am I a selfish, antisocial narcissist now, I ask myself, am I delusional, are my senses intact, is everything alright, I think of lost love, I think of the loss of my childhood and the loss of my life, I guess you could say this is a form of depression, it's hard to accept that I've turned out for the worst, I used to be such a good little kid happy, bright, and full of life and vigor, I had dignity, I think, I head upstairs to my office and start dosing up on Joe, I think of what love without dignity means to me, I've been stuck on this thought for a couple of weeks now, ever since I saw that Nicholas Rogue film, Bad Timing, in that flick, Art Garfunkel and Teresa Russell play two tortured souls, stuck in a dark and disturbing sexual obsession, not long after I saw that flick, I checked out Roman Polanski's Outrageous Bitter Moon, another study of the dark side of love, I knew I wasn't alone when I saw those films, I knew that I wasn't really all that disturbed not any more than normal, Stand Al's book, Love to Alarm Hour, sits on my desk. Standard's notes on the unfortunate imbalances and nuances of love of me chilled. Even centuries ago, I know other people were subjected to bad health, sickness, even death, because someone wouldn't give back their love. It's in all the stories and books. What has caused this imbalance in me, Inman? And why do I think anybody should care? My misery continues Wednesday at 9.55 a and just back from the drugs tour. I play Georgie's answering machine at home. Beep, good morning, Mr. Gust, Miss Nesbitt calling. Hi, I don't want to completely abandon our friendship, so I thought I'd give you a call. I almost called you last night when I was running around, cleaning and doing laundry and stuff. But I was kind of on, I was kind of in the zone, and I didn't want to break up a zone, you know? Anyway, I just wanted to call and say hello, just to check in with you to see how you've been and what's going on with you and what you're going to do for the holidays. I'm probably going to go back east. Anyway, I just wanted to stay in touch, and apologize for amputating myself from your life. It's just, it's just been really, I needed to put 100% into my family, and I'm glad I'm the type of person who can do that with her family. So, anyway, alright sweetie.
sweetie, have a beautiful day, I actually just got back from a little morning walk, and oh, it's just gorgeous, so that's it, I can hear her Bo's motorcycle starting up in the background, I'll just catch up with you one of these days, bye, I don't hear from her again until the Thursday at 7.31am beep, good morning, Mr. Gust, Ms. Nesbitt here, just had two seconds and wanted to say good morning and have a beautiful day, I'm always running off and around and about and just wanted to say hello since I'm not the best at returning calls, take care, I'll catch up with you later, bye, therapy to whom it may concern, it doesn't work to say, Georgie, don't dwell on it, I've got an illness, and I hope you can understand that, it hurts me when you tell me what to think or how to feel, because I really can't help thinking or feeling, I think that's why we've never had a real, healthy relationship all these years, this is not a heart attack, it's just a sudden realization, I've been reading up on mental disorders and trying to identify with whatever I can, part of me says I should just get out of the house, get a regular job, and make friends, but that's easier said than done, and there are medical explanations for my inability to make decisions and stick to them, a lot of things relate back to past events or situations where I was hurt or taken advantage of, and fear of betrayal and abandonment and feelings of low self-worth and shame and guilt still overwhelm me, I'm unable to just let go, and it takes me years to give up any obsession, I turn inward, giving myself up to my imagination and fantasy, what else am I going to do, right, I just can't take the excess of stimuli from the real environment reality, is that reality, it's overbearing, it devours me, there's a whole spectrum of issues I've been dealt that I can't deal with or deal out, I continue on my path, looking for meaning and self-discovery, with lost love and lust and daydreams, Georgie just mother's naked friend for the past three months, I've seen Dr. C every Monday and Wednesday, promptly at 3.30pm I like seeing her on the half hour, rather than the hour, it's odd, unique, peculiar, good word peculiar, I like that I'm peculiar, in fact, I say, I've elevated peculiarity into an art form from the way I dress to what I eat to whom I choose to have sex with, the older the better, that is why Dr. C, even with her sling back, open toed, fuck me sandals and electric blue toenails, doesn't turn me on, she's just too young, as far as I'm concerned, a woman under 40 is still half formed, still immature, let's talk about your fascination with older women, Ben, Dr. C puts on her professional bedside manner, when did it first begin, well now, Dr. C let me tell you, my fascination with older women started early, right around the time my parents got divorced, right about the time, in fact, when I saw Darlene Crocus naked, Darlene was my mother's one and only New Jersey friend, she was around all the time after Pops left, she was there for dinner and canasta, and she was there from 3 to 5 every Thursday afternoon, immediately after my mother's weekly Weight Watchers meeting, my mother was a Weight Watchers failure, not only did she not lose weight, she actually gained weight on the program, ostensibly, my mother gained weight because of a glandular problem, but in reality, she gained weight due to Darlene's love of hot fudge brownie sundaes topped with whipped cream, nuts, and maraschino cherries, even at age 12, I knew that nobody could lose weight eating hot fudge brownie sundaes, but Darlene had mother convinced these were special negative calorie sundaes that would actually burn calories and help her lose weight, like exercise, but more delicious, mother was never too bright, and after pops left she believed whatever she wanted to believe, no matter how asinine, she refused to see the connection between the food she crammed down her throat and the big black number that magical number that rolled up on the bathroom scale, up and down, down and up, and then, up, 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 mother was a pretty big woman back then, she's even bigger now I guess, but she was still hefty back then, and with Darlene's help, she got even more so, Darlene, unlike mother and mom's other friend, Debbie Sidgwick, was a Weight Watcher success, she was always fit and trim and she got fitter and trimmer, despite all those Sundays, both mother and Debbie idolized her, they wanted to be just like her, and they would do anything Darlene told them to do which included eating negative calorie Sundays and playing racquetball at the 10th street gym, the thing was, my mother never exercised, never, even getting out of bed in the morning was too strenuous for my mother on most days, if she had her way, she'd have had assistants to roll her straight from her bed to the kitchen on a gurney, they'd serve her her coffee and her pop tarts, and then they would roll her on down to the living room, plop her straight down on her overstuffed chair, and switch on her omnipresent TV, but when Darlene was around, my mother was a completely different woman, she got motivated to at least pretend that she really knew how to exercise, but she never did, in reality, mother never once played racquetball, she always found an excuse not to, 
One week she had gout, another week she had a goiter, and once for an entire month, she had a pernicious anemia that left her lightheaded and much too weak to do anything but stay in the house. I have a sneaking suspicion that mother is the reason I have trouble with hypochondria, and when she ran out of diseases my mother relied on me, and my persistent mystery disorder, to keep her off the court, which is how I ended up seeing Darlene Crocus naked. My mother had already used up her gout and her goiter excuses, and she hadn't yet discovered the pernicious anemia excuse, so mother dragged me along to explain why she really couldn't play for yet another week, and maybe another after that, a tanned and toned Darlene, dressed in white shorts and matching knit shirt, met us in the lobby of the 10th street gym, Darlene kissed the air on either side of my mother's face, and then she ruffled my hair, oh, Rose, Darlene drilled, he's getting egg. I blushed appropriately and scuffed my toes against the tiled floor, and so handsome, she said, he's still a handful, though, mother said, in fact, da, that's why I really have to sit this one out, Benji got himself kicked out of school again mother rolled eyes, the twitches and ticks, you know, she said, they just don't understand them at school, oh, poor Benji, Darlene said, I blushed, my mother massaged the base of my neck, like she really loved me, or something, and she told Darlene she'd meet up with her after racquetball, Darlene beamed, absolutely, Rose, Darlene said, my mother marched me off to the women's locker room, so she could weigh herself, okay, now, nearly 20 years later, I still have to wonder about my mother's motivation, I was 12, I really didn't need to be with her every minute, and I certainly didn't need to be in the women's locker room, but she's my mother a woman I'm still trying to figure out. When I was 12, I was sure her motivation was to humiliate me, and so I fought back maybe I couldn't keep her from parading me and my Tourette's out in front of her friends, and maybe I couldn't keep her from dragging me into the women's locker room, but I could keep her from weighing herself in private. In fact, I delighted in keeping her from weighing herself. My mother's weight has always been a carefully guarded secret. On her driver's license, she admits to 150, which she hasn't weighed since she was 12. My mother, still gripping my neck, pulled me with her into the locker room. Then she pushed me down on the bench, and told me not to move. Sure, I said. I promptly grimaced at her. The grimace is one of my favorite tics, and one I can always perform on command, and stop doing that. She told me, okay, I said. I blinked, wrapped my right arm over my head, and scratched my left ear. My mother hurried away. I waited half a second, and then snuck off after her. I ducked in between the rows of benches and lockers, intent on finding out how much my mother really weighed. It was something I was always trying to do, even back at the house. I'd pretend I had horrible explosive diarrhea and was just about to let loose unless she let me into the bathroom with her. Right then, at that precise moment, once I actually pushed open the door and burst in on her and her secret scale, I tried to sneak a peek at it but my mother shrieked, jumped off the scale, and all I saw was the needle bouncing back and forth, forth and back, up and down, up and down, up, up, up. So that day in the locker room, I was really bent on discovering what my mother weighed. In fact, I was so intent and focused I almost, but not quite, not quite by a long shot actually, failed to realize that Darlene Crocus, in all her naked beauty, was standing directly in front of me completely nude. I turned a corner, and came upon her. Darlene Crocus, breasts and pubes uncovered. She was magnificent. Her breasts, they were gorgeous, flat with dark prominent nipples. They took my breath away and made my ding-dong go straight up, made my little general stand at attention. I loved them. I wanted to put my 12-year-old hands all over them. I wanted to fondle them, molest them, do unspeakable, secret things to them. Yet, as wonderful as those breasts were, they couldn't compare with her hairy snatch, her juicy pubes, her perfect V-shaped patch. It made my mouth water. So I just stood there, gawking at Darlene, who stood naked talking to fat Debbie Sidewick. Finally, Darlene must have felt my presence, because she turned, caught my eye with hers and smiled, seductively, invitingly, then glanced at the bulge in my pants, enjoying the show she asked, then she pulled her clothes on, oh so exquisitely, methodically, torturously slowly, all the while staring straight at me, what a glorious four months that woman gave me four months of unmitigated masturbatory pleasure, when I finished my tale, Dr. C doesn't say anything, she just kind of wrinkles up her mouth, shows her crooked tooth, and raises her eyebrows, 
She drives me crazy, sometimes, wondering what she's thinking, so I tell her more about Georgie. My thing for older women is something Georgie shares. Age is so relevant in Georgie's sex life he's fascinated with age. It is of course, one of the only things we share because, like I say about a C, Georgie's really not me, he doesn't even look like me, I look like a rock star, a young David Bowie or Simon Le Bon, and what? I wear Hugo Boss loafers, no socks, Armani jeans. So I'd rather be who I am than be who Georgie is. Even if Georgie's me, every day, all day long, Georgie does nothing. He doesn't change, doesn't move, nothing changes or moves in Georgie's world. Whereas for me, I'm right with the next big thing and I'm not hung up on that early childhood sex thing, like Georgie is. Believe me, Dr. C would I lie to you? Mother's lava soap so. Like I say, when my mother wasn't parading me out in front of her friends making me twitch on command, she was yelling at me for being a smartass, or for having Tourette's, or whatever else pained her spirit that day. She was grooming my life, prepping me for borderline personality disorder if only I'd known what that meant back then. What were my symptoms? Well, I'll tell you about symptoms. I feel an exaggerated emptiness now, a drive to fill my private void, and I act out a whole disturbed cycle of emotions. Somewhere deep inside I must still be this traumatized, wounded little kid. The wounded little kid mother made me because I can still recall the slightest detail of her domination over me, and I'm afraid. You think just because you've got some sort of fucking disorder, that I'm gonna let you talk to me like that shit shriek. And then she'd squat me on top of the head with a rolled up newspaper, like I was some kind of too late mutt. I hated my mother growing up. I know that's probably a horrible thing to admit, but I really just couldn't cope with the woman. I had Tourette's. It made me swear. I couldn't help it. I couldn't fucking help it. I swear. But she didn't seem to really care. And when she wasn't swatting me with the newspaper, she was washing my mouth out with soap. And, yes, I know lots of mothers wash their kids' mouths out with soap, but my mother washed mine with lava soap. Even now, 20 years later, I still taste pumice when I swear. Now I'm in therapy again, dredging up the past, looking for answers, and I wonder if all the pumice somehow got me thinking about women's feet and if that's what left me with such a peculiar fetish. My foot fetish. Dr. C says that a foot fetish isn't peculiar and is quite the opposite common in men like me, especially men like me. Like me, I ask, looking away from her, at some silly calendar on the wall. She stammers, stutters, catching herself. As I turn my eyeballs back at her, a ribbon of saliva drips from the corner of her mouth. For a minute, she looks so goddamn imperfect, it's all I can do not to throw her on the ground and fucking attack her right there in the psych ward office. But then she clears her throat and smiles, she slurps the spittle back into her mouth. Men like you, Ben, she says. Men with self-esteem problems, self-esteem problems, self-esteem problems? Yeah, right, I know, I have self-esteem problems which is probably the reason I love feet. Please step on me, I say, and my self-esteem. No fucking duh, waste. Notes on Ben's novel I'm frustrated with having so damn much to say about something so simple. The words in my head have turned into tossed salad. The real problem involves my year-long obsession with Claudia or Heidi or maybe both of them. Maybe it was the love at first sight between Heidi and me that made me admit what was happening between Georgie and Claudia. Maybe it made me face my obsession and my perplexity and the trouble they've caused me. Things have really gotten blown out of proportion. Claudia was my dream woman. Even though we split up she still haunts me, like a real flesh and blood person. She infests my otherwise incredibly lonely and desperate existence with her spectre. When Claudia came into my life and our love was born, I decided to sober up. I wanted to become a better person, just in case I ever saw her again. But instead of lifting the fog and confusion from my mind, life without alcohol and drugs has only added to my perplexity. I blame my overwhelming mental derangement on my incomplete love affair with Claudia. Meanwhile, my desire to succeed in life, to succeed in a better life than this one, takes second place to her, to Claudia. Besides, I already have everything I need. I have one desire left, the desire for Claudia and me to make it, full time. But since she's not there anymore, all sorts of fantasies, both haunting and exhilarating, have taken up residence in my dreadful little mind. Like right now, I'm possessed by the fantasy of sinking. I'm writing this pastiche in the present tense, but it's all happened at different times. What I'm writing about, I mean, I can't think. I leave my existence behind. 
The light is dim, everything is quiet, the sky is grey, flat, and still, the rain falls without a pause, in absolute silence, watching the clock, I wait for tomorrow, I throw my pack of cigarettes away, I'm no brilliant demagogue, I'm an aberration, a misconception, a miscreant, these antidepressants really don't do shit, my vision is getting murdered, I'm going blind like, finally, forever, my sense of sight is diseased, as it were, seeing Claudia was just like seeing the devil, face to face, it's night time, now, it's time to get to sleep, but I stay up and write, about Claudia, and my imagination is on fire, I think I see Claudia everywhere, but I can't have her, oh god, I'm just a waste of sperm and egg, what has gotten into me, lord, god, hear our prayer, and Claudia, I'm sick of you, and Heidi, humph, I tried, I tried, god knows how I've tried, but I failed to get what I always wished for, at which, I tick, I take a tack and prick my skin just to feel something, but I know nothing I feel can be put in two words, everything is stuck in my thoughts, like all I feel is somehow kept secret, even from me, so I lie, of course, just listen to me mumble, like a mouthful of marbles, Claudia, 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 what a shitty mess, I'm not even Irish, just look at the mess I've made, I'm still alive, but that's about it, I need to finish what Claudia and I started, on the miraculous day I made my pathetic little trip to the convenience store and had my first encounter with her, everything's a little dreamy, though, dreams really aren't any more significant than our everyday thoughts, I guess maybe even less so, still, I think the same things every day, the same damn repetitive things, but these things I think still confuse me, my dreams don't confuse me like my thoughts, Georgie and Claudia muddle up the atmosphere, I love you, Georgie tells Claudia, just as he dissolves into a deep, deep slumber, maybe there really will be no more sex with that woman, Georgie thinks to himself, have I just realized that, I watched Georgie scoff, he switches off the bathroom light, leaving only the light that crawls beneath the bathroom door, a whole parade of creepy people have over his head, they all wear halos, they must be watching over me, like guardian angels, they are looking after me, that's it, Georgie decides, he steps out in his terracloth robe, I've got to get back home, but I don't want to go, check out is at noon, at 2pm, Georgie's back home, he's spent the whole night at the local cheat hotel because geographical change is the easiest quick fix solution, Georgie's kicked back in his reading chair facing the white wall in his bedroom, he's thinking about the strange episode at the cheat hotel, he stands up and pulls the window shade down, who is possessing who he thinks, what's going on here, a little while later, Bobby Banks calls him up, Georgie's forgotten he has friends, it's a typical American greeting, hello, what are you up to etc, hey, you still fucking around with that chick next door Bobby finally asks, that chick Claudia, right I'm fast asleep in dreamland, Georgie's alarm clock's silent on the nightstand, batteries removed, Georgie and Claudia keep getting caught up in my endless attempt to complicate things, somehow, because that's what my mind does, or maybe that's what Georgie's mind does, what's the difference, I don't even know, I feel like a minor character in a bad B movie, I'm nothing but a poorly written slob in some really shitty, crap stinking network produced movie of a week, I'm so fed up and tired of myself, I'm finished, I'm through, I'm all washed up, keep trudging along, buddy, you're not going to die anytime soon, so quit share bitching I hear Georgie yell, I yell back at him, fuck, yeah, Georgie, the doctors advised me last week about the importance of always taking my meds, I want to get off of them, but I remember how I miss my sanity when I'm off them, I'm a psych case, and I, Ben J. Screeber, psycho freak, that's me, I am such a stereotype, a nothing, nothing exciting, nothing important, maybe I'm not getting prepped for anything, after all, I'm in my new home in LA, I finally moved here from Manhattan, after Pasadena, but the sober hallucination of Georgie just is more frighteningly vivid than ever before, pretty soon, I bet our new neighbor, Claudia Nesbitt, will take up residence in Georgie's mind, I can sense her her secret existence, she is beautiful whether you want to believe it or not, fuck that, dude, she's perfect, but Claudia's a chaotic woman, the whole idea of her excites me and my imagination goes wild, she still does it for me to this day, I'm still going crazy for her, Georgie's affair with Claudia has shattered the whole heart and soul of the desperate, lonely man who just wanted to replace Heidi with Claudia, dump inside one of our heads for about 5 minutes, there's never a dull moment up here, go ahead, 